It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Hello, this is The Mop Up for October 12th, 2020. I'm David Feldman in Manhattan, where it's cold and rainy. The New York Times says that right before leaving Walter Reed last Monday, Donald Trump floated the idea of walking to his waiting limousine, looking frail and weak. I'm not making this up. And then shocking photographers by ripping open his suit to reveal a Superman T-shirt underneath. The idea was then rejected by Trump after aides reminded him that such a stunt would be way too dignified for his presidency. Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett's hearings began today. Judge Barrett thanked the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg for opening doors that Barrett says she can't wait to start closing again. Judge Barrett said, nobody will ever take Ruth Ginsburg's place. And by that, Barrett meant once she joins the Republican majority on the court, Donald Trump will be given a second term, as well as a third and a fourth term, and nobody with Ginsburg's sense of judicial decency will ever take her place. Judge Barrett says she will bring a new perspective to the Supreme Court. Well, actually, a new perspective for this Supreme Court if this were the Supreme Court of, say, 1854, Barrett would be bringing a perspective most of her colleagues would call jejun. Barrett belongs to a crazy religious sect that speaks in tongues, believes marriage is between a man and a woman, and that the Second Amendment is sacred. That religious sect, of course, is called the Republican Party. 
Barrett boasted that she would be the first Supreme Court justice ever to be the mother of school-age children. Two of her children are African-American. They are named Prop and Photo Op. She is the mother of seven children, and she said today that with her and her husband, her family consists of nine members, just like the Supreme Court. Barrett's husband then added, he can't wait till the hearings are over so he can start packing it again. Barrett served as a <laughs> Barrett served as a clerk for Judge Antonin Scalia, and in her opening statement, she said Scalia taught her everything from how to read the Constitution to hiding deep fried bacon wrapped cheese slathered pulled pork sandwiches underneath your robe while delivering a commencement address at Harvard Law. At the hearings, Mike Lee, Republican who tested positive for COVID, refused to wear his mask. Chief of Staff for the White House, Mark Meadows, was there. He refused to wear a mask. Lindsey Graham, who refused to take a COVID test, also refused to wear a mask. This uh, Amy Coney Barrett, her, her garden party at the White House resulted in 40 cases of COVID. And now today she's seen more hot spots than Attorney General Bill Barr's car seat. I don't know what that means. I'm just going to keep repeating Bill Barr's car seat over and over again. Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, accused Democrats of attacking Amy Coney Barrett's Catholicism. I don't know. I'm pretty sure with her position on guns, capital punishment, and corporate giveaways to the rich, Amy's done a pretty good job of attacking her Catholicism all on her own. Barrett said that while she is a Roman Catholic, she will not bring her religious beliefs into her decision-making. Well, how could she bring her religious beliefs beliefs into her decision-making. Her religion supports the Affordable Care Act, believes the meek should inherit the earth, warns about climate change and the dogma of neoliberalism. I'll tell you what, Amy, bring all your religious beliefs to the court. Please, Amy, bring all your religious beliefs into this court. Give us your Catholicism, all of it. You know what? Get rid of Roe v. Wade but also get rid of capital punishment, provide universal daycare, universal health care, provide assistance to all those pregnant mothers you want to keep, you want uh, to keep their babies, make sure no kid goes hungry, no mother has to worry about getting evicted. Something tells me a lot of women, not all, but a lot of women would give up Roe v. Wade if Republicans like Amy Barrett weren't so hell-bent on making this a world nobody in her right mind would want to bring a baby into. Read the Pope's latest encyclical, Amy. By all means, bring your religious beliefs into your decision-making. Here's the latest on the coronavirus. So far, 7,802,000 Americans have contracted the virus with nearly 215,000 Americans dying from the coronavirus. There's been a 15% increase in the number of cases compared to two weeks ago. There's been a 15% increase in the number of cases compared to two weeks ago. Yesterday, yesterday, 420 Americans died 
from the virus with 44,333 new cases reported yesterday. 44,333 new cases reported here in the United States. Two days after meeting with French President Macron, the president of French Polynesia has tested positive for the coronavirus. France reported a record number of 27,000 new coronavirus cases on Saturday. The prime minister of France warned that unless citizens start social distancing, France will institute more lockdowns. France is experiencing the dreaded second wave. Luckily for the United States, we've been spared a second wave because Donald Trump ingeniously never ended the first. On Monday, South Korean leaders said anyone caught without a mask will be fined $87. New Zealand announced it is purchasing 1.5 million doses of Pfizer's vaccine, which is expected to finish clinical trials by the end of this month. I don't know why New Zealand needs to buy a vaccine. They're doing a pretty good job without one. And at best, this vaccine, we'll ask Henry Huckamaki who's coming up, but from what I understand, a vaccine is at best 50% effective and wearing masks, maybe almost double that. Northern England is experiencing a second wave of COVID infections. Liverpool especially has become a COVID hotspot, just like Bill Barr's car seat. I have no idea what that means. Liverpool has become a COVID hotspot. And so on Monday, Prime Minister Boris Johnson closed all the pubs and restaurants in Liverpool. 2.4 million people in and around Liverpool will be in lockdown while London, for the time being, continues life as normal where they're not wearing masks. They have the same problem in London that we have here in the United States. A lot of a-holes. And one of them is their prime minister. China reported its first domestic, get this, this is unbelievable. China reported its first domestically transmitted case of COVID in two months in the city of Qingdao. And so all of its 9.5 million citizens are being tested right now. All 9.5 million citizens are being tested, all of them, which explains why China is reporting its first domestically transmitted case of COVID in two months. See how it works? America. There's nothing Americans can't accomplish so long as we try to accomplish nothing. On today's show, we're going to talk about COVID with uh, immunobiologist Henry Huckamaki, and we have a big COVID town squares coming up this Saturday. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the pay-per-view button, and purchase a ticket. All the money goes towards Henry Huckamaki's research and education. Let us now go to Denton, Texas, where jazz professor and musician Mike Steinell is standing by. Hello. Hello, David. How you doing? Much better now that I see you. Ah, same here. Happy Columbus Day. Happy Columbus Day to, uh, I don't celebrate. I call it syphilis day. Have they figured out if Columbus gave syphilis to the Native Americans or the other way around? That's a good question. Nobody can answer that. I have another question. Were there, were there any Jews on the Nina, Pinta, and the Santa Maria? Yes, they needed, 
Yes. You know, the, uh, my great, 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 great grandfather was the uh, social director on the Nina, uh, along with uh, Hirschfeld. The, uh, who, was the, who was the cartoonist for the New York Times? Hirschfeld, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Drew Little Ninas. He wrote Ninas. He wrote Ninas. That's he right. He wrote the Ninas, right. They were hidden in the thing there. He, uh, amazing guy. Hey, did you he read his uh, daughter, Pinta? Well, I'm sorry. There were no, they think Columbus might have been Jewish. He sure he probably was because of the Spanish Inquisition. It started in 1492. Well, he was Portuguese, wasn't he? I believe he sailed for. I think he was a, Italian, but sailed for Spain. Yeah, and you know that the important. There's a really good book I have over here called The Discoverers, and it talks about um, how things, the history of discovery, and um, how important. The Portuguese were because they were the fearless sailors, I believe. They, were, they weren't scared. You know, everybody would head around Africa and then they'd chicken out. Right. They'd go back because they didn't know what was down there. Imagine that, you know. And it was the Portuguese that first went around the Cape. And uh, that's, that's pretty remarkable. I may have yeah. that wrong about, uh, about uh, Columbus. I, I think he was Italian, and I think the Italians want to hold on to Columbus Day to celebrate Italian heritage. I think, you know, I, if I were Italian, I'd rather have it be called John Gotti Day. I, I think John Gotti killed fewer people <laughs> than, than Columbus. Columbus, I mean, horrible, horrible human being. I mean, he was just a bad guy. Well, terrible. I don't, you know, it's all relative, isn't it? No. It's not. I don't know why we have to protect these people. <laughs> hey, did you read this? This is really, I really enjoyed this uh, in the Sunday Review. The, um, what does it mean to love a country? Yes. By Marilyn Robinson. What'd you think? I loved it. Well, protesting is patriotic, right? Not doing anything means you, you think of your country as weak and ineffectual and can't handle a little talk back. Right. I love this paragraph. I'm going to read this paragraph. She's talking about some of the reasons that people have uh, gravitated toward Trump. Resentment displaces hope and purpose the way carbon monoxide displaces air. Mm. This fact may have been reflected in the policies of any number of tyrants and demagogues. Resentment is unsatiable. It thrives on deprivation, sustaining itself by magnifying grievances. It will, by nature, never resolve. It sustains itself by magnifying the grievances. You know, that's <clears throat> really um, an interesting... I should introduce you. Mike Steinel is a jazz oh, yeah. trumpeter, composer, and educator. And he taught jazz studies at North Texas University of North Texas for decades, and he is also the author of the highly acclaimed Essential Elements for Jazz Ensemble and Building a Jazz Vocabulary. And this is the kind of music I love. I listen to you all the time on Spotify, the Mike Steinel Quintet featuring Rosanna Eckert, Song and Dance. Buy the CD, listen to it on Spotify. Are you writing a new book? Well, I, I have done an I have finished the first, I guess, the first draft of, of my um, audio book. I've got all four sections done. It's a uh, crime thriller. 
oh, right. called The Lake House. And I want to sh- shout out to um, Bruce Malm, who's a listener. Right. And comes to, and um, Brian McCrory, uh-huh. and a gentleman who calls himself Von Riesling, but oh, that's only his. Why do some people not use their real names when they log into your show, David? Uh, probably because I would make fun of them. <laughs> well, what's the point? Well, anyway, so they they all have read parts of the book and have given me really good feedback, very positive. So I'm forging ahead, and uh, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do with it. I need, a, I need a literary agent. Do you know any agents? you have an agent? I have an agent. He's got an unlisted phone number, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I have uh, I have Bob Dylan's agent's form phone number. Do you know that? Yeah, I mean, and as a comedy writer, there you get literary agents, but you know, I, I think fart jokes don't qualify as <laughs> literary. But in Hollywood, I guess they do. So you wrote a new song. You're, you're, yes. Are, are you going to put out a new album? I hope. Maybe I could put out an album of uh, <clears throat> the David Feldman collection. The that songs. Would be the David how many Feldman. have how, how many have we done now? I don't know, but the David Feldman collection. I say we. I don't know know how many. Absolutely. I've done. No uh, input into this. (laughs) Well, let's see. We had the the, um, Richard of Chaos. Last week was uh, My Oh My, So Many Signs. Mr. Bezos. Mr. Bezos. I'm going to be a million. I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm on my way. I'm I'm on my my way. So, we I got mean, the they're all great. They're all great. We got uh, hard times in the city. Right. Got, oh, I, you know what? Who is the next person in your show, your show regulars that needs a theme? Mark? I, they all do. Well, some of them have themes. Like um, everybody wants. Aaron Berg's got a great theme. Everybody wants Professor Mike Steinel's theme. So. Tell me what you got. You wrote a new okay. song, a love letter to our president. Well, you know, this is a love letter to a drug, a steroid. Oh, oh. You know, he's he was saved by those that those drugs. One of them was it's it's hard to say. I did pretty good in the song dextromethazone, dextromethazone, which is a steroid, which has all sorts of of. Uh, Side effects. And by the way, I was embarrassed to tears. It cured him. I was embarrassed to tears last week that I I sat there and hemmed and hawed and I couldn't think of the word side effects. Isn't that terrible? I'm getting to that age. I can't think of the word good night, which is why my (laughs) podcasts go 10 hours. (laughs) There you go. Oh, by the way, this one's shorter. I'm going to try to make my song shorter just for the sake of your listeners. Uh, The last one was five minutes long. But but this is this is a, a song that's a tribute to all the different side effects that dextromethazone might uh, in um, you know entail with someone who takes it. But it'll make you feel better than you have in twenty years. Well, I any drug that that helps our president is okay with me. I'm so behind it 110%. So what, what is the name of this song, Professor? <laughs> I have to say it again. The Dextromethazone Blues. <laughs> the Dextromethazone Blues. Methazone Blues. Dextromethazone Blues. Let's, we're hearing this for the very first time. Thank you. Let's listen to it. I can't wait.
aggression, agitation, irritability, and anxiety, depression, and nervousness, and changes to my mood. Got trouble thinking, got trouble speaking. My vision is blurred, and I'm eating too much food. Where's my dextromethasone? Get my doctor on the phone. I haven't felt this good in 20 years. Professor Mike Steinel, thank you so much. You have to unmute yourself, sir. Hang on. By the way, when Professor Steinel mutes himself, he literally puts (laughs) something bell-shaped in his mouth. I I had a little mouth. I had a ticket to boom, but I, you know, but I didn't have the fish part. Ticket to fish, bucket of fish (laughs) at the end. I forgot the fish. Hey. Today is Columbus Day, but tomorrow is something super, super important. Uh, October 13th is my mother-in-law's 98th birthday. She's downstairs. Your mother, your mother-in-law's what, what birthday? 98. Wow. God bless her. She's born in 1922. Wow. She's That's had uh, three husbands. Really? And, uh, yeah, and and the last one she married at seventy nine. Wow! You know, it's she's an amazing woman. She's a beautiful gal. She's smart as a whip, and it's a lot of fun. She's been living with her. What's her name? Nadine Hoke. Nadine, Nadine Hoke. Hoke. Happy birthday, Nadine Hoke. She, I'm going to play this for her, and she'll love it. Great. Thank you, Nadine Hoke, for watching Jeopardy with Professor Mike Steinel. And How we'll is she at Jeopardy? She's pretty darn good. She's pretty darn good. You know what? She's really good at uh, Wheel of Fortune. She can ah. get this thing. Yeah, she's amazing. Wow. Yep. Yeah, we all should be so lucky to, to be cooking like that yeah. in 98. 
Well, some sad news. John McCain's mother, Roberta, died today at the age of 108. Wow. So congratulations, Donald Trump. I'm sure Donald Trump had a good day today. Thank you, Professor Mike Steinel. Thank you. Thank you. I hope to see you at office. Hi, Henry. I I hope to see you. Coming up, Henry Huckamacki, but Lance Jeffries, who founded the COVID Players, uh, wants to say something. I, I don't know. You have something on your mind, Lance? Yes. Yes, I do, David. This is serious business. Uh, what, what, what uh, something bothering you? Yes, and not just me. David, I have a statement that I would like to read on behalf of all of the listeners. Uh, we've been meeting on Discord, and you know all of our grievances. I'm going to list them for you now and for your listeners as well. You refuse to officially recognize us as a bargaining unit. You I, lecture to us about is, how hey, you... Hang on for one second. Yeah. This is what? not the time or the place for us to air our dirty laundry. We could, this can what, wait. David, don't you have enough time in the podcast to discuss such issues? This is, we're family. We don't need to. What goes on in the family, we don't need. Go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, David is now demonstrating point number two. Before you know it, he's going to get to the other points before I even get there. Number three, you constantly try to turn us against each other, even though you know we're a bunch of communitarian leftists who are perfectly capable of identifying a boss when we see one. Oh, hang on, Henry. Um, have I, Henry Huckamacki, have I ever tried to turn you against any of the other listeners? Generally, Haven't I always told you that you were better than all the other listeners? Yeah, see, David, I was just about to say, normally you don't turn us against any of the other uh, other guests. You turn us against all of the other guests what simultaneously. What are you talking about? But well, go ahead. I don't turn anybody against Lance, anybody. Lance, Lance, carry on. By the way, that's Point a really four. nice shirt, Lance, much nicer than Henry's. <laughs> Point go number ahead. four. I'm sorry, Your what? I can't... Y- yeah. Go ahead, <laughs> going to turn me down, folks. Your podcasts go on for dozens of hours per week, infringing on quality time we could be spending with our friends and families. Management has failed to provide PPE, including but not limited to hearing protection from bad jokes. (laughs) And lastly, the probable misappropriation of Henry's funds, as well as the definite mispronunciation of his last name. I, Henry... Are you complaining again that you're not getting the money that you so richly deserve for our COVID town squares? Well, David, you know, that's a source of ongoing frustration for me, but, uh, you know. You want me to write you a check? I'll write you a check right now. I I would like that, David. You You want me to stop this right now in front of everybody? I can go to my checkbook right now and write you a check and pay you for all the COVID town squares, all those events. You want me to do that right now? Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I didn't think you wanted me to oh, go. Okay. Go ahead, Lance. I didn't think you wanted me to do that, Henry. Go David, ahead, I'm, Lance. I'm, I'm going to get to the heart of the issue now. Because okay. of our continuing grievances against management, as of this moment, we are launching a sit-down strike. As you broadcast today, your hardworking listeners, and make no mistake, listening to you is heavy labor, are sitting down. Even Henry and even Dan, your loyal sidekick, and the one who cleans up most of your auditory messes each week, even Dan Frankenberger sits in solidarity with his union brethren and cistern. Some of our comrades are going above and beyond 
by sitting down but with their cameras off, not even allowing you the pleasure of seeing their beleaguered faces. And lastly, David, you know I never make threats, only promises. If we do not see improvement on all of these issues, we will escalate to the following. We are prepared to institute a lie-down strike. Should it be necessary, and in the memory of our first leader, the great Captain Spaulding, <laughs> our membership has authorized rejecting your platitudes by passing out in a well-lit room <laughs> with the Zoom camera still streaming. And in addition, we are considering a slowdown strike. No. Yes. No. Yes. We may choose to listen slowly, not fully comprehending all of the words spoken by quick-witted guests such as Harvey J.K., Dave Cyrus, and Corey Brechneider. We will still be hearing the second verse when Mike Steinell is getting to the last chorus. And should you have the temerity to call on us, we will give you a taste of your own medicine what? by speaking very slowly pushing you to the limits of your patience and your podcast storage, thereby gumming up production. Do not take us lightly, David. We will not stand for this any longer. I am disappointed. This portion of the David Feldman show is brought to you by No Evil Foods. If you love <laughs> vegan food as much as you hate unions and a livable wage, try No Evil Food. You know, I, I just don't understand why you're turning against me. I thought we were family, Lance. I thought this was one big happy family and... Uh, well, you know, David, on, on the Discord, on our union hall in the Discord, we do think of ourselves as a family. Yeah. Yeah. And, and am I part of that family? We continue to come to your podcast, but we are learning a lot about each other and learning about what we can do for each other. By the sleep. way, by the way, before we go to Henry Huckamacki, Lance Jeffries. Yes. I turned office hours over to Chloe and Kathleen Friday night. Yes, I thought, they do a great job. Don't they, they do they? a great job. So they are, they are excellent. Yes. We have, we have office hours on Friday nights. It starts at 9 PM Eastern around midnight. I thought, you know what? Uh, I'm going to turn this over to Chloe and Kathleen. Good idea. Bad idea was I fell asleep. Okay. I woke up at, I'm not making this up, Henry. I woke up at 1030 Saturday morning. The Zoom meeting was still going and Lance, you were there. So was Dan Frankenberger. You were, you were all there in that meeting. All the liquor was consumed. We, we had a great time, David, and, and we brought the car back just, just where you <laughs> left it, right? The guy in the you, we, the guy who lives in the Zoom room next door, I understand you spoke to him. He complained to you while I was asleep. Yeah, there was a convention of biologists, and they didn't <laughs> like all of the uh, all of the noise that was happening. Uh -huh. they, they were concerned about the sounds they were hearing uh, and the, the loud music. So um, 
but uh, we'll, we'll try to keep it down next time. The Zoom Room Owners Association wrote me a note to complain about the noise that you guys bring. Thank you, Lance. Thank you. Dave. Great job. You're, you're better than the rest of the audience. You don't need to be with them. Why are you, why do you want to identify with the rank and file in the chat room? Don't you want to rise above them? Don't you want to? David, David, you're, you're supposed to try to do this in private. This is, you're saying no, no. you're better than the people in the chat room. You don't want to form a union. There are two types of people and you're, you're not, you're not a, a, a chat room habitue. Don't, they'll just drag you down, Lance. Thank you. We're, Great we're, job. we're sitting down. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Lance Jeffries. <laughs> Henry Huckamacki joins us. He's an immunobiologist. And this Saturday at 930, we are doing COVID Town Square's number four, number four, Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Henry, go to David, because last time I screwed up on the link. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit pay-per-view. It'll take you right to Eventbrite, and you can buy tickets for COVID Town Square's number four. All proceeds go towards Henry Huckamacki's research and education, and everybody right now should go to patreon.com forward slash Huck 1995 and subscribe to Henry's newsletter, which covers public health. It covers COVID-19 and it covers uh, science, which everybody should uh, read about, including this administration. I want to show you something, Henry, if you don't mind. Can okay, I show David. you something earlier? Give You, you know who uh, Mr. Meadows is? He's the White House chief of staff. Yes, I do. And he was welcoming Amy Coney Barrett today. He accompanied her to Capitol Hill for her first day of testimony. And he got into a little trouble with the press. Why don't you watch this? Well, I think I need to share. Let me do this right. I, w I was seeing it. I wasn't hearing any audio. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Now we'll do it. Here we go. Can you hear it now? No, I've got no audio on my end. Well, that's the story of my life. So they asked him to, I'll just share it with you and I'll do the sound. Hello, everybody. I'm going to take my mask off and get a couple of feet away from you because I'm a stupid idiot and I'm going to talk to you. What, do you want me to put the mask back on? I'm not going to because goodbye. I won't talk to the press. Masks are stupid. That was basically the message. The press wanted him to wear a mask. That was and, a really good interview, David. A whole 16 seconds right there. Yes. Yeah. About as long as they can keep a straight face without lying. Yeah. Mike Lee tested positive. He shows up for the hearings today not wearing a mask. Says he's not contagious. Lindsey Graham refuses to take a COVID test. Speaks without a mask. What do you make of all this? The, the, the Republican Party is uh, so pro-life they don't want to kill the COVID virus. Is the virus even alive? No. The do they virus know that is, the virus isn't alive or is uh, it alive? 
we know the virus isn't alive. Those Republican senators, I don't, I don't know if they know that the virus is not alive. The vast majority, almost every virus is not what we would consider alive because it doesn't do a lot of the things that we would, uh, you know, say are prerequisites of being considered life, like the ability to reproduce themselves. Viruses, the vast majority of viruses, almost every virus, including uh, SARS-CoV-2, the causative agent for COVID, they aren't able to reproduce themselves without utilizing a host cell, like a parasite. And since they can't do it on their own, uh, they, they're not considered living things because they can't live on their own. So Republicans would like COVID-19. They identify with COVID-19. Because they're parasites, David. Because they're parasites. They invade other people's work. They loot the cells. They break into existing. They're like venture capitalists. The cell is already functioning. COVID-19 breaks in and loots it, takes it over. And pretty, yeah, that's why they don't wear a mask. Yeah, We're not going to get on the, other, on the political side of things, David, then for that analogy, you have the representatives and the senators pumping money into companies that they have investments in and, uh, you know, saying, oh, look, the stock market's doing so, so good. Everybody's doing great because the stock market is doing good. But you have people like Kelly Loeffler that have uh, insider information and, and make trades on the stock market based on the insider information that they have in order to profit themselves. So yeah, absolutely. They're using taxpayer money and uh, advanced knowledge that they get from being the representative of the people to personally profit. And, and in that way, they're like viruses. Are we getting any reports of all these Republicans who contracted the virus at Judge Barrett's ceremony are we getting reports of anybody being seriously ill? We don't know what happened to Chris Christie. Do, do most of these Republicans end up surviving this? Yeah, of course. Um, there's a few things to keep in mind here in regards to COVID infections. So somewhere between 20 and 40% of people that get infected with COVID never have symptoms at all. They'll still test positive on a test, but they don't have symptoms. That's 20 to 40% of the people. Then out of that remaining 60 to 80% of the people, the vast majority of them, let's say 80% of those will have very, very mild illness, something like a, a cold or the flu where they're not requiring hospitalization or anything like that. I'm sorry, Only Chris Christie's out of the hospital. Yeah, it's, I believe yeah. that I heard that. Right. Um, so out of that remaining 20% of the original 60 to 80%, those people might require hospitalization. Only about 1% to 2% of the people that we're seeing uh, testing positive actually end up dying from it. And that's in a population that, as we've described before, includes standards of care that are nowhere near what these, these you know, multimillionaire politicians are getting. So the odds would have been well within their favor to begin with. They would have only really had a 1% to 2% chance of dying even if they got the standard of care that you or I would get. Uh, on top of that, they're getting absolutely incredible standards of care. So you're right. We're going to see a lot of Republicans getting ill, a lot of big name Republicans getting ill. I mean, we've seen the president of the United States, several senators, former governor, 
uh, get ill. I just saw a video of Ron DeSantis high-fiving people and then wiping his nose at a, at a rally, didn't have a mask on. So that's uh, my new watch is on Ron DeSantis. But these people, a lot of them are going to become ill, but very, very few of them, like Herman Cain, are actually going to die from it. And they may try to spin that as, oh, yeah, look, it's not that serious. We survived. Yeah, absolutely. Most of them are going to survive. We've known this since December, January. It's not like it's something that has a 50% case fatality rate where, you know, you get it and it's heads or tails whether you live or die. The vast majority of them are going to live and we've known that. But to politicize that as saying, oh, yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a politician and I survived, that's not representative of what the people in the country are seeing. We're going to have hundreds of thousands. I mean, we've already had hundreds of thousands of deaths. We're going to have probably hundreds of thousands more uh, before, before we're through this. So to say, yeah, I as an individual didn't die and the odds are in your favor, firmly in your favor if you get sick of surviving. Well, yeah, but the 200,000 people that have died in the U.S. already were people's family members. They were their friends. They were their teachers. They were nurses, uh, you know, to, to try to minimize that is really, really damaging from a humanity standpoint. What would be going on if Hillary Clinton were president right now? The Republicans would all be wearing masks? No, I, I, I doubt it. Um, I think that there is kind of an ingrained, this is a personal opinion, not something that's based on science or polling. Or anything, well, well she would be telling, I'm sorry, she would be telling everybody to wear masks. Yes, she would be so telling everybody. So they wouldn't everybody. be wearing masks. They wouldn't be wearing masks. Right, exactly. Right. There's kind of, there's two things at play here. Um, the Republican Party as it's currently constructed has much more of a uh, ingrained macho mentality where they have to seem like they're they're able to withstand any sort of, physical assault. You know, they have to be the big, strong men for the most part. Right. Um, so that's one side of things. The other side of things, and I've said this on the show previously, David, a couple of months ago, as a matter of fact, that you, you asked what would happen if Obama was president when this was happening? What would have happened if Hillary Clinton was president or Bernie or Joe Biden, you know, whoever, what would happen if a Democrat was president? Sure, the people in the country would be getting a much more cohesive signal from the government as to what they should be doing. Everybody's, everybody would have been told long ago, wear your masks, wear your masks. We would have had nationwide mask mandates. Of course, that would end up in you know courts and the Republican-controlled Senate would have things to say about that. But at least from a messaging standpoint, using the bully pulpit, the highest office in the land would be saying, wear your masks, socially distance, don't, you know, go in bars. That's where we're seeing a lot of infections take place. But on the other side of things, uh, we would have these states, particularly states controlled by Republican governors, as well as legislatures, that as an act of defiance would really firmly oppose any sort of mask mandates or any sort of messaging out from a democratic administration. So it's the same States that we're seeing oppose these things now, because well, hang on for one, let me ask you, hang on for one second. This is really sure. interesting. Trump doesn't want anybody to wear a mask because of the optics. It's embarrassing. Every time he sees somebody in a mask, it reminds the world how he dropped the ball on COVID-19. Wouldn't the Republicans, if it were Hillary Clinton, wear masks to shame Hillary, they would say they would go with the optics, right? 
if they did that, David, the pandemic wouldn't have been as bad as it is. If they were all wearing masks, we wouldn't right. have gotten to 200,000 deaths. That's the long story short. But no, I, I think that, so there's two different things that play again here. Uh, of course, we have to look at things um, dialectically. Hillary Clinton, if she was president, would have been saying, wear your masks. If everybody listened to the statement, wear your masks, we would have had far fewer deaths. Would we have had masks? Early on, we may not have had enough. Uh, so originally, it was not fully understood how effective cloth masks are. It was originally thought that surgical masks, particularly N95s, but even just standard grade surgical masks were really what would pr protect you from infection. After a little while, it became really clear that even simple cloth masks um, are basically just as effective as an actual surgical you mask. You work with Ebola. You spend your days working with Ebola and nobody knows about a mask, like whether or not a mask will protect you from something that's a little, I, I think COVID-19 isn't as dangerous as Ebola. Is that fair? Well, it's much easier to catch. I mean, Ebola is really difficult to get. Uh, basically, you have to puncture your skin uh, or get it in your eyes, you know, uh, so how could blood, you but, how, but how could you scientists this late in the germ theory game not know about masks? I, I find that hard to believe. Well, there are a lot of things that masks aren't super effective for. So things like smallpox, there was a case and I believe it was in West Germany back in the fifties. Um, I might be getting that completely wrong, but I remember this case pretty well there was a hospital where there was a patient that came in with smallpox. They put them in a room and uh, they closed off all of the ventilation ducts because smallpox is spread via aerosol, really, really tiny particles. It's super, it's super contagious. So all of a sudden people, a couple of floors below that room started to get smallpox in the hospital and people were wondering, well, how, how on earth were these people getting smallpox? They've been confined to their rooms and the one person with smallpox we have here, we cut off all their ventilation ducts and everything. What turned out to be happening is that person who had smallpox was opening their window to smoke. They found this out later. They went into the room and put some uh, smoke into the room and to see where the smoke went. And the smoke went straight down the side of the building and into the windows of the exact people that ended up getting smallpox. Masks don't prevent things that travel like smoke. I mean, if you wear a, a cloth mask and you smell smoke through it, if something is traveling like smoke, you're going to get it through the mask. But we've known since January or February, at least, that masks were effective against covid at least largely, like I said many times, there's about a 62 to 64% reduction uh, in your likelihood of contracting COVID just by wearing a mask that's not okay. with eye protection or anything else, but under the set of circumstances that you're in at any given time, you're cutting your chances by 62 to 64% just by you wearing a mask if you're not the infected person. John, you have a question? Um, do you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, no, I raised my hand in solidarity with Lance and um, a few other people were supposed to do that. But how many people actually raised their hands, David? Oh, I don't. I only oh. see this is why you need to join management. Oh, God. <laughs> this is, you can't trust the rank and file to. Uh, OK, well, 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 thank you for that. Uh, You're welcome. John. That's backhanded. Thank you. Thank you. See, Henry, you don't want to be part of it. 
the listeners and unionize. Look oh, that's where I started, David. That's where I got my start. But I kicked you up. I took you out of the chorus line and made you a star. You don't want to be with those unwashed people in the chat room. They'll, they're, see how they drag you down? See what they we were talking about COVID-19 and, and, and John was jealous and he tried to ruin the segment. Stay with me. Stay with management, your family. Uh, what would be if you had a choice between a vaccine or everybody wearing masks, what would the infection rate look like January 1st, 2021? You can give everybody a vaccine today or get everyone to wear a mask, but you can't do both. Which one would you pick? Is everybody wearing a mask religiously? Yes. Depends on whether we're looking at short-term or long-term gains in regards to responding to the virus. So if I was looking at trying to cut the rate of people dying right now, because we really are having just a ridiculous number of cases and deaths at the moment, masks would be much faster. The uh, reduction in the uh, ability to get infected with COVID is likely going to be the same between wearing a mask and getting the vaccine. It's about the same. I mean, we, we don't really know for sure on these COVID vaccines yet because we, ha- we don't have. I mean, they're saying COVID. it could be as little as 50 percent. Right. And, and as I said, it, it could be 50 percent. It could be up to 80 percent. We don't know. We have no, no idea. But as I said, even you wearing a mask alone is going to cut the rate by 62 percent. Right. So if everybody was wearing masks, on the side of the person who is not infected, you're reducing your own risk by 62%. If all right, 64% now that I'm thinking about it. On the other side, if the infected people are wearing masks, it cuts the risk of the people around them by 82%. So if everybody's wearing a mask, you're having a huge reduction in the overall amount of virus spreading. Of course, there's going to be some transmission that's still going on, but that number is going to drop really, really far. You're going to see basically what you saw on Taiwan, New Zealand, uh, places like that, where they were able to basically get rid of the virus from the country without ever having to develop pharmaceutical drugs or a vaccine, just because they were able to contact trace and, and curb it like that. Now, of course, if we wanted to be sure about these kind of things long-term, a vaccine would be nice because you're conferring immunity that lasts hopefully for a couple of years. And so people would have the same kind of protection all the time for a couple of years and be able to actually go back out and integrate the society in a normal way. But if we're looking at really short, short-term stuff within the next like week cutting it, if everybody in the country wore a mask anytime that they were anywhere near anyone else for the next, let's say, 20 days, we could expect the rate of, of cases to drop by probably at least 50%. If we did it, everybody, everybody religiously for 20 days i just there's no way to really enforce that do we know if speaking of wearing masks religiously how the arab communities are doing because the women wear burqas do have there been any studies about i haven't seen any studies on that specifically i know that iran was having a problem with it i didn't look at how the demographics of iran's covid uh, rates were doing in terms of men versus women um but we do know that, as I said, cloth masks are effective at cutting the rate of transmission of COVID. 
what we don't know is, uh, you know, the, the composition of the burqa, for example, if they were wearing a burqa, and of course, keep in mind, most uh, Muslim women do not wear right. burqas. The vast majority don't. It's a very, very small percentage that do. But a single layer of, let's say, cotton, one layer of cotton is not going to cut transmission by a lot. It'll cut it by a little, but not by a lot. What you need is about most of the studies have been looking at 10 layer thick of fabric. So those cloth masks that you're seeing are 10 pretty thin layers stacked on top of each other. Now, if let's say one of the few Muslim women that does wear a burqa, if her burqa is made up of at least 10 layers, it would be just as effective as wearing a mask. But I, you know, I'm not, not, uh, what do we know about the, uh, the burqa textile industry? So I don't know how the composition of them. What about catchers and umpires? They wear masks or they can, okay, let's, uh, uh, so somebody I really trust who's a Republican, one of the few Republicans I can talk to insists that Pfizer has a vaccine that's ready to go. And that by January 1st, millions and millions of Americans are going to be taking this vaccine and it's going to be perfectly safe. And we will look back at this is what he's saying, that we will look back at Operation Warp Speed as a success. Plausible. I'm sorry. Absolutely plausible. The Pfizer vaccine is in the final phase of trials. The results that we have seen from the previous phase of trials looked encouraging, really encouraging, as a matter of fact. But we don't have any data back on the phase three trials. We're going to have to wait until the phase three trials are done in order to see that. And we're not going to have any kind of long term data on that. Uh, These trials are being cut down to between two to four months each in terms of the phase three trials. Typically, phase three trials alone take two to three years to go through because what you do is you give the, the vaccine at the very beginning of that time period. And then over the course two to four years, you look, okay, is this person still protected? If not, how long did that protection last before they were able to be infected? And do we see any sort of long-term side effects, either things that arose really early on and then persisted for a long time or things that didn't come up for a while that we never really knew. We're not going to have any kind of data on that for at least, you know, another six months or so after the results are out. Is it because we don't know. Uh, one second, David, yes. let me finish this point. We don't know how long any protection that these vaccine candidates are going to elicit is going to last. So in the the previously released trial results, we've seen, okay, they elicit a really robust immune response. That's really good news. Eliciting a robust immune response means that you're likely going to have a lot of neutralizing antibodies in your system and you're making every possible ability for you to generate memory B cells. And as we've discussed previously, B cells are memory B cells are what give long-term immunity. But And here's the big but. We don't know whether or not that robust immune response that we're seeing early on in these phase trials, again, after only one or two months after being on there, we don't know whether or not those are actually going to generate memory B cells that persist for, let's say, six months to three years, which is, you know, at at least what we would be hoping for at least six months. We also don't know any of that long-term safety data. So, I'm going to not go into specific examples because uh, I've discussed it before on here, but some of these safety problems that we've seen with previous vaccine candidates 
they don't come up like you don't inject the person right now and then tomorrow they die or tomorrow they you know have some sort of encephalitis that they're going to be in the hospital for a long time you don't see those the day after the vaccination a lot of the time a lot of the time what ends up happening is everything looks good they've got immunity for a while two or three months then you know six months down the road all of a sudden you see that the person generates Guillain-Barre syndrome or they generate some other sort of inflammatory syndrome. They've got, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of different things that can happen. We've talked about uh, dengue vax uh, and the problems that they saw with that, generating a 10 or 100 times higher rate of dengue hemorrhagic fever in people that hadn't previously been exposed to dengue. So uh, a, vaccine, a vaccine can be dangerous. A vaccine can be dangerous, right? That is exactly why we do these trials, because we've had numerous examples in the past of where, and mostly in vaccine candidates, we'll catch them early on. That's why we have three individual phases of vaccine approval process. You first give it to a couple dozen people. That way, if you see something going wrong in the first couple dozen people, you're only going to have two or three people that really have this bad side effect. By the time you get to the end of your phase trials, you're hoping that you're not seeing any, which would indicate that you're likely not going to see very many side effects uh, once you put it into the general public. But we do have examples of where that happens too. But for the most part, I, I don't want people to become anti-vaxxers because of what I'm saying. For other vaccines that have gone through a long regulatory process, again, previous record was the mumps vaccine. It was about four years uh, of trials before it was finally approved by the FDA. When they go through that long and robust of a uh, regulatory process, they're likely to be extremely safe. Because they have years worth of data. That's the one issue that we have right now. Even though the vaccine development strategies that they're using for all of the the vaccines that are in phase three right now, they're really safe techniques for generating vaccines. There's very little probability of having really severe side effects. But the point is, is we don't know because a lot of these aren't uh, a lot of these negative side effects aren't going to show up for several months if they do show up. And again, it's a very safe strategy. But, you know, by cutting the length of the regulatory process, we are increasing the likelihood that if there was something that was wrong, we wouldn't catch it until already millions of people have gotten the vaccine. But for other vaccines, everybody, and I just want to reiterate the point, don't become an anti-vaxxer because of this abbreviated regulatory process. Every other vaccine we have has gone through years of regulation and has been found to be extremely safe. So any other vaccine that you can get, if it's something, if it's for a disease that you have any possibility of getting, I would recommend getting any other vaccine. But for this one, I don't know. It's just a bit, it's a bit speedy right. for my we, liking. We, we have to get to Howie Klein. Last question. I hate Donald Trump and I hate Mike Pence and I cannot tell you what I wish. Just leave it at that. I despise this presidency. During the debate, Senator Harris said she would not take a vaccine that came out of Operation Warp Speed. Do you do you think the scientific community that their judgment has been clouded by this visceral hatred for Donald Trump. Do you think it's possible that Satan, that Donald Trump, and I think Donald Trump is Satan, 
it looks like he might have beaten beaten it, right? D- despite all the animals I've sacrificed on the altar. <laughs> I haven't. But uh, it looks like he may have beaten this. Do you think, do you fear that the scientific community's visceral hatred for this administration clouds your judgment? No, not at all. I think that under any other circumstances, we would still be calling for a multi-year regulatory process and approval process for these vaccines. We're abbreviating that to less than a year. If the scientists in, you know, scientists broadly across the scientific community had such a visceral hatred that they didn't want to go along with something Donald Trump was saying, they would insist on having the same multi-year regulatory process that has always been in place. That's if everybody hated him so much that they were allowing their personal feelings to get involved with the science. Right. They're not. They understand that this is a crisis, a global crisis that we're seeing. And therefore, they're willing to go along with an administration that, yes, most scientists don't agree with. They're willing to go along with it because they understand the crisis that's at hand and they want to try to help as many people as possible. So they're allowing pressure because they, I mean, world, we'd have a vaccine already and we would already works. So what they're doing is they're going along with the absolute fastest that they feel could potentially be safe. And that plays right into the administration's hands. If they didn't, if they wanted to go against the science just to be anti-Trump, they would drag their feet a lot more than they have. Right. You're, you're, you're breaking up a little there. He has just put out its vaccine. You're, you're, I'm losing you. You're breaking up, Henry. Vaccine Henry, I think guidelines not you're you're freezing on me. Everybody is. Some people are saying that I'm fine in the chat. Well, OK, I didn't hear what you said, but. Uh, OK, uh, well, the chat says I'm fine, David, so I'll, I'll just carry on until you're going to believe them. You're going to believe the chat room. OK, go oh, ahead. Yeah, those are my people. You give your as loyalty as, to the animals. As long over. as there's a soul in prison, I am not free. And as long as there's people in the chat room, those are my people. <laughs> so carrying on. OK, uh, yeah, if. If the scientists were allowing their political views to cloud their judgment, it would be a longer approval process. They've already sped it up far beyond what some scientists, including, uh, I believe, Irritable and and certainly myself, would consider to be typically uh, acceptable. And so I think that it's it's fairly safe to say that, no, the opposition to the government is not affecting the science here. If anything, the the political uh, pressure has sped it up a little bit too far. But I don't think that it's an obscene amount of speeding up, considering the crisis that's at hand. I think that they're trying to catch, you know, a a happy medium. It's a little bit too much on on one side for my liking. But, you know, that's the scientific consensus at this point. Great job. Henry Hakamaki is an immunobiologist go to patreon.com forward slash huck 1995 sign up for this man's newsletter he covers science public health and of course covid19 this saturday at 9 30 the covid town squares with the irritable immunologist 
Tickets are $15. It's a pay-per-view event. I don't ask you for much on this show. Please go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit pay-per-view. It'll take you to Eventbrite. Buy a ticket. All proceeds go towards this man's research and education. He is a, a international treasure, and I hope to talk to you on Thursday, Henry. Yeah, and uh, if anyone that's listening uh, isn't able to come for whatever reason, uh, it would be great if you were able to just share the ticket information with anybody that you think would be interested as well as just on your, your social media timelines or, or whatever. That's really helpful. And yes, I'll see you on David uh, Thursday, David. I've got a great guest lined up for it. Great. Thank you. As always, Henry Huckamaki. Thank you so much. Now let's go to San Diego. Everybody welcome, how we climb. We got him right here, he's on the line. How we climb. How we climb. Got a good idea who might be a winner. He tell you why he's cooking up a vegan dinner. How we climb. He's oh so smart, he got a lot of brains. He lives in San Diego where it never rains. How he climb? How we climb? What he got to say gonna blow your mind. Put your hands together for how we climb. How we climb? How we climb? Let us now go to, I hope he moved to San Diego. Did you move to San Diego, Howie Klein? I'm living there now. Thank you. The, the song is that good. That, should we have him, should we have Professor Mike Steinel fix the, the song or? Yes, please. Oh, you're not going to move? Okay. Let this me, is the first time I've actually really heard it. Oh, you never heard the whole song? No, I've heard bits and pieces, but I, I, I've never heard it clearly before. This is my my first uh, real here. <laughs> Let me introduce you. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack. They raise money for progressive, some socialist candidates, mostly progressive. And he writes down with tyranny, which everybody should be should be reading. And I read it every day. Can we talk about Mike Siegel? I was curious how his fundraiser went Saturday night and if he's going to be going finally to Washington, D.C. Is he going to beat McCall? Well, I, I think so. It, it, it's, a, it's a very tough race. It's a, um, it's a district that was specifically drawn to elect Republicans and specifically drawn to disenfranchise Austin Democrats. So it's very carefully drawn. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a prohibitively Republican district, but Mike is an exceptional candidate. He's been campaigning for this for nearly four years and doing a very, very effective job. Um, so the, the last polling shows them tied and, uh, you know, within the margin of error. So it's hard to say. If I had to bet, I would bet that Mike's going to win. Good. That, that's good news. He's a good man. The stimulus deal. Is there going to be a deal between Mnuchin and Pelosi? What are we looking at? between? I, I think that 
we're not far from a deal between Mnuchin and Pelosi. The problem is actually the Senate. Um, McConnell says he's not going to take it up. He said if they if they come up with a deal, he will not allow a vote. So that and that's an interesting thing because if if Trump sees this deal as his ticket to re-election, which of course is absurd, but Trump is delusional and on drugs. But if Trump sees it that way, and then it's it's McConnell who's standing in the way of him getting what he thinks he needs to win re-election. Who knows what can happen? I mean, uh, you know, certainly Amy McGrath is very Trump friendly. She has said some very, you know, positive things about Trump. And if Trump, I don't think it's going to happen, but if Trump wanted to, if, if he feels he's been screwed over so badly by uh, McConnell and he wants to, he can just say a couple of words offhand to his followers in Kentucky against uh, McConnell, and McConnell could lose his reelection bid. Um, you know, there are, there are counties, I, I counted them yesterday, I think there were, uh, there were more than a dozen counties in Kentucky where Trump got over 80% of the vote when he ran against Hillary. So think about that, over 80%. Wow. And uh, he does better in those places by far than uh, McConnell. McConnell wins all of those counties, but he doesn't win them by that kind of margin. So, you know, Trump can really have an impact on, on Kentucky if he wanted to. Now, I don't, like I said in the beginning, I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, Trump is irrational, unpredictable. Uh, he's delusional and insane right now. I mean, this, apparently, from what I'm reading, this drug he's taking, this steroid, is very, very strong and can, um, you know, cause people to have delusions and of all kinds. Uh, I, heard, fact, I, I heard it's so strong, Larry Kudlow wants to get COVID-19 just so he can be prescribed it. <laughs> I think he just sticks to the cocaine and doesn't bother with his other stuff. Tell us, about, tell us about Larry Kudlow. There isn't anybody in this administration who can control their appetites. They're either sociopaths, psychopaths, or, or drug addicts. Tell us about Larry Kudlow. <laughs> well, Kudlow is living the fast life as a Wall Street, uh, uh, you know, the Wall Street goon. And he was uh, going on, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Fox, but it might not have been. It was, it was one CNBC. Of the, one of the, they loved him on CNBC. Uh, CNBC, okay. And he was, uh, he, before he would go on, he would, uh, you know, do some tootski, as they say, uh, to get himself all hyped up. So he was an alcoholic who was using a lot of coke. And he wound up, I think he had a heart attack. Mm -hmm. He had a couple of like, really bad episodes with drugs that, uh, in fact, I think, I don't remember the details of it. One of them led to him being fired by the firm he worked for. Right. Uh, so he's had a, a rough time. He's been committed uh, at least once or twice. And he claims he's, he's rehabilitated now, and you never know if he is or he isn't. He's not in uh, an atmosphere where rehabilitation is uh, is the big plus. So who knows? So personal, by, by the things he says, I would say he's still a drug addict. Right. Personal weakness is a virtue in the Republican Party. Can you explain that? You've worked in a previous life. You worked in the record business. Did you find that there were record producers, people in promotion, who gravitated towards people with personal weaknesses because they were easier to control? 
Well, no, not really. I usually found people who gravitated towards pe- personal people with personal weaknesses because they had the same personal weaknesses. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's really what I saw all the time. Uh, you know, the drug people would all hang out together. Now, we didn't have a huge problem like that at Warner Brothers, but uh, for a short time, uh, uh, what's now Sony, but was then CBS, bought uh, my independent label, and I wound up uh, working for, for Sony for a short time until I couldn't stand it anymore. And they, there, there were a lot of drug addicts. I mean, it was very different from Warner Brothers. The, like the head of marketing, for example, was uh, you know, his whole life. I mean, you could literally see the worn-out carpet from his office to the men's room where he would go and do blow. Uh, but yeah, well, I, my, you know, I had given up drugs, you know, decades before, so I wasn't part of that. But I, I, uh, from what I could tell is that the druggies sort of all clustered together and uh, had their own community. So when you look and at I would, the, the reason- same thing in the White House, although from what I could see, they were all a bunch of drug addicts. That's why I brought it up, because when you look at everyone Trump surround himself with, especially as campaign managers, Corey Lewandowski accused of hitting a woman. Manafort is in prison for witness tampering. You got Brad Parscale, who is in rehab. He just got arrested in Florida for threatening to hit his wife and threatening to kill himself. Who might no, be himself, but he did hit his wife. He did hit his wife. And uh, Bannon, Steve Bannon arrested on a yacht for stealing money from a charity that was going to build a wall. They're all degenerates. I mean, Steve Bannon, when you, you, what, didn't you tell me about some party house that Steve Bannon had in Florida a couple of years ago on the show? You talked about what a degenerate he is. Yeah. They're degenerates. They are. are, I mean, did you see, uh, I think we may have talked about this already. I probably asked you if you saw it. The Billy Ray, uh, the new film. That yeah, he we just talked did. about it last week, and I've been meaning to get to it. I, I, I haven't had. Well, to. Well, he, he very successfully portrays President Trump as a mob boss, and it. it I mean, the way he he uses phrases, the, the intonation of his voice. He never. He never. No one ever says Trump is like a mob boss. Or so maybe someone does, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is is the actual way that um, the actor, this guy Gleason, uses his diction to make you imagine that, you, that you're not listening to the president of the United States, but you're listening to some mafia boss. Right. And he did that very, very successfully. And you can just see these are the kind of people that a mob boss would want around them. I mean, Trump doesn't want strong people around him. He wants He wants to be the top dog. He doesn't want someone smarter than him. I mean, that's one thing you know, that any successful CEO learns immediately is you want the smartest people around you that you can get who will enhance what you do. Trump's the opposite. He wants to dominate everybody, and he's offended when someone is smarter than him. He doesn't like them, and they don't last long around him. Right, right. He is threatened by people who are intelligent. It, yeah, it's, that's, it, that's it's, it's an entire party. It's an entire. Hey, don't worry about me. I'm no threat. Let me run for office as a Republican. It's 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 
terrifying. And the whole country, not the whole country, but about 40 percent of this country thinks that way. They don't like people who might know something they don't know because it makes them feel inadequate. Amy McGrath is not going to win, though, right? She's not going to beat McConnell. What about... I don't think she is, but like I said, you never know what's going to happen. McConnell is not popular in his state. Um, the people don't like him, and the people... You know, who knows? Who knows? If I Again, if I had a bet on it, I would not bet on Amy McGrath. Jamie Harrison, Democrat, running against Lindsey Graham. Uh, margin of error race right now. McGrath has outraised Lindsey Graham by gigantic numbers. But I, I can't see it. I just literally can't see him beating Lindsey Graham. It could happen. Graham isn't that popular in his own state. I mean, he's popular in some circles. But uh, the upstate area where there's uh, a lot of uh, animus, uh, towards gay people, they don't like Lindsey Graham, and um, that's for the churchy area, and very, very right wing, very, very extremely Republican. Oh, they may decide to sit on their hands I, again. If I had a bet, I would still bet on Lindsey uh, pulling this out, but who knows? How about the degenerate Cal Cunningham in North Carolina running against? Yeah, it looks like he's gonna he's gonna win. Uh, you know, people just want to get it, you know, get even with Trump and Tillis is just seen as, um, you know, just a Trump lackey. And uh, a new poll came out today. So this is a poll that was entirely taken after the, uh, the degenerate uh, information came out. And, Shocking. Uh, Shocking. Cunningham uh, went up in polling. Right. A Democrat cheating on his wife it goes against everything we believe in. So Tillis uh, could be sent home back to acting. Yes, I, th I think so. I, I that's one I, where I would bet on. And I, I don't like Cunningham. I, I you know, I, I, he's a conservative Democrat who I think will make an, an awful senator. But um, uh, I, I, I'm just saying that I, I think that he's going he's to win anyway. OK, I find this surprising. Joni Ernst from Iowa, the senator from Iowa, Republican, is she in trouble? Big time. She's in trouble. The um, again, <clears throat> you know, remember Iowa was was uh, Obama country, and you know they they got fed up at the end that uh, you know Obama didn't deliver really deliver, or the Democratic Party didn't deliver for them. Trump was making them all these promises. Hillary was not an attractive candidate in that state, and they uh, they went for Trump. But it's not like some you know red hellhole. I mean, Obama won both times, and you know it's it's uh, there's a lot of Bernie people there as well. Uh, you know there there are four members of Congress from that state. Three of them are Democrats. One is a Republican. So it's not you know it's not like Alabama or Mississippi or anything. Okay, I don't understand Georgia. So explain it to me. Is is Loeffler in trouble? In yes, both of them are in trouble. Loeffler. Um, tell us know, who Loeffler is first and then tell us what the. OK, we'll do Loeffler first. I'm so sorry? Loeffler um, is, is in a is in a jungle uh, race now where everybody runs regardless of party. And the two top people 
they'll have a runoff if no one gets to 50 percent. There's no chance anyone's getting to 50 percent. So right now, the Democrat that's got this uh, African-American reverend, Warnock, he's ahead. He's, he's, he seems to be uh, the top one. And then number two and three are the two Republicans. So she's supposedly a moderate, although she thinks she can't win as a moderate, so she's trying to act like she's some kind of radical extremist, which goes over well among Republicans there, but not so well among independents. And the other guy um, is a, is a uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, so he's a congressman, a Trump kook, and he decided to take her on. Now, she didn't ever, she was never elected. A seat came open, and the governor appointed her. Trump didn't want her appointed. He wanted this other guy appointed. So now she has to run for the seat or for the remainder of, of the term. And uh, they're, they're, you know, neck and neck. So it, it looks to me like it's going to be Warnock against one of those two Republicans. She may not even make it into the uh, into the runoff. I think she will, but she, there's a chance that she won't. But then he's got to run against a Republican party that's solidified against him. Maybe, uh, you know, there are a lot of a lot of uh, there's a lot of bitterness between those two and the supporters of those two. And I don't, it, hey, I don't know if they're going to come together. Okay, Georgia John Ossoff, I believe you dislike. He's the son of a he's a got a rich daddy. He's the Democrat running against David Perdue. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew him a little bit. We we talked when he ran for Congress uh, several years ago. You know, he, he I felt he like misled me and and again, you know, tried to paint a rosy picture of himself as a progressive, and then turned out not to be. He's just he's just a you know, garden variety Democrat. He's not terrible. Um, if I if I lived in Georgia, I would probably actually vote for him. He's not that bad. He's not as bad as some of the other Democrats who are running. He's certainly not the kind of Democrat I would contribute to, or that Blue America would ever uh, endorse. But he's uh, he's not he's not terrible. I mean, there are some really terrible candidates who are running for Senate from around the country that I wouldn't even vote for. But that's what I would probably vote for. So this begs the question. How will Biden do in Georgia? He's, he, it's, it's so neck and neck that my, my expectations is that it's, it's pretty much a 50-50 race, and one of them is going to win by a small number of votes. This is all going to be about voter turnout. And they're and turning out. I mean, the lines today, I mean, people are, people are showing up, right? It's going to be a, a you know a high participation election, and who's going to get their voters out? The Democrats or the Republicans? Uh, you know, you, you know, based on past history, you have to, you would have to say the Republicans. But this is a very special time, and this is going to be a very big tsunami. And independents just do not like Donald Trump. I mean, Trump has the uh, you know has the Republican Party solidified behind him in Georgia in, in very strongly. But he's he's lost the independent base that he has. They don't like him anymore. Right. And Democrats turn out big and the independents break significantly for Biden as they are telling pollsters they're going to, uh, Biden could win Georgia. He doesn't need Georgia but but uh, it, it would I mean it, it would be part of the landslide he is hoping to put together. He doesn't need Florida, but Florida is in play partly because 
there are no Republicans down ticket other than the House running. You don't have any senators or governors running. So when you turn out, you're voting for your congressperson and for president. Who does that benefit? Yes, I mean, look, this is really a race about uh, Trump. The you know, Ron DeSantis, the governor, and Rubio, and uh, uh, that other vulture-looking guy, Scott. Yes, that's right. Uh, They they um, they're thanking their lucky stars they're not on the ballot because Florida again is not uh, you know they're suffering very badly from. Uh, COVID, you know, way more than they, they should be. More people are dead than should be. More people have been infected than should be. People are sick. It's a, it's a very bad situation. And everyone knows it's, it's all about DeSantis's policies, which basically Trump's policies. Uh, so Biden is ahead right now in the polling averages. And if I had a bet, I would bet that Biden is going to win this thing. Yeah. What house races do you find fascinating? What are you optimistic about? In Florida? I'm sorry? In Florida. Or anywhere. What do you want? Well, okay, well, we'll start with Florida since we're there. Okay. There is a very interesting race that it would be the, you know, the uh, big surprise of, of the uh, cycle if the Democrat pulls it off. The Democrat, uh, we may have had him on, I think we did, Adam Christensen. Yes, he's about 26. That's right, he's 26. And he, he beat two more established Democrats in the primary. Everyone was surprised that he did. And he's running a really, really smart campaign, like really smart campaign. And, you know, sort of, you know, he looks at what's been done before and, you know, takes the stuff he thinks is going to work and discards the stuff that's not going to work that usually people do by rote. Like, you know, in that district, everyone says, well, you got to get a big Democratic turnout in Alachua County, which is Gainesville. And of course, he's, he's doing that. But he's doing something that other Democrats have never done in that district, which is why they don't win there, is he's working the, um, the rural areas and even the suburban Republican areas and suburban, some of suburban Jacksonville and exurban Jacksonville is in, in his district. And he's working that real hard and it's paying off. It's, it paid off in, in the prime, in the primary. That's why he won. And uh, he says that he's, you know, talking all their, they're out campaigning and he's talking to Republicans all the time who are telling him that he's going to be the first Democrat they've ever voted for. Hmm. So this is a place that the DCCC it, it doesn't even have this district on its radar. They're not looking at it. They're not thinking about it. It's not. It's, it's outside of their purview. And Adam, I think, can pull it off. It's an uphill race, but there is no incumbent. Ted Yoho is retiring. There's a scandal around that retirement now. A woman who was his um, chief of staff was fi- suddenly fired. And it was sort of known on Capitol Hill that they were having a sexual affair. It got it sort of leaked out. He he sent her back to his district, and she was then in charge of the district. And she and suddenly she started a, um, a consulting firm. He was the only the only client, and he was putting fairly large sums of money into her firm. And it looked like like blackmail and bribery. It's a it's a weird thing. Now there's a um, uh, a House Ethics Committee complaint, a formal complaint, and uh, it, 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 she doesn't want to answer it. But you, when you look at her record, she's never been in office, but you look at it as her, her record as a 
person, all she does is lie. Everything's a lie. You know, she makes up insane things. Like, you know, she had a uh, uh, some kind of a ranch, and it got uh, it got repossessed because of Obama. She didn't have a ranch. That's a lie. And she didn't live where she said she lived. That's a lie. And just about everything she says is a lie. So Adam, you know, he, he has, he's at a disadvantage in terms of registration. He's at a disadvantage in terms of finances. But he's not doing badly. And he's working hard. He certainly can out, out you know, I mean, a 26-year-old right. can work hard for long hours. I can talk to him at uh, 1 in the morning if I want to. He's right. up working. Yoho isn't running for re-election. He was the man who exhibited chivalry in front of AOC, right? He very courteous. That's the same yeah. guy. Yes, and and his 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 so-called replacement defends him and says it never happened, even though it did happen, even though he apologized for it to some extent. Uh, and like I said, there, he hasn't endorsed her either, uh, which is weird. Um, it, it, it's a really fishy situation. The whole the whole Republican thing there is weird. Now, Adam has also organized all the people in his district who are running for state rep and uh, the county county um, offices and state senate, and they all are, are are going about this as a team. It's a, it's you know they're big on solidarity and they're big on trying to help each other, and that's the way it should be. Everywhere, but it's not. Right. But he's doing it that way. I, I have uh, I have some faith in this guy. It's, it's like I said, it's a long shot, but uh, I'm urging people who have a little bit of extra money to uh, donate it to uh, Adam's campaign, Adam Christensen in okay. Florida. Three. Before you go, has Trump given up? Because he's dark in the battleground states when it comes to radio and television advertising. He's dark in some of them. He 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 comes down in some, then goes back up again. Uh, you know, he definitely is suffering financially. Some of the big Republican players who give millions of dollars have decided they're going to try to save the Senate, and they've given up on Trump. So some of the money that they were expecting isn't coming in. So they don't have as much as as they as they want to. So they can't do their program as they planned. But. Um, I don't think he's given up. I think he's on drugs, and he doesn't see any kind of reality. And he has fits of um, euphoria, according to a doctor. And um, so, no, he hasn't given up. I think people around him, some of them have. Uh, you know, everybody wants to believe that it's still possible. Hey, it's three more weeks. Anything can happen. Well, yes, that's true. Things can change. But every sign shows that they're changing for the worst. There are a lot of people that haven't been tuned in the way we have and the way your listeners have. And those people are making their decisions now. And every poll I read is saying that they're making their decisions against Trump. You are the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. You're the treasurer. The war chest. Trump is probably eyeing his war chest. What does he get to keep? Interesting question. Yes, he does get to keep quite a bit. If there's money left over, there are uh, there are ways that he can put, uh, put that money into his own pocket. For example, he can start a um, a pack, for example, and and hire Melania or Barron. Let's say he hires Barron as the treasurer 
of the pack, and you can pay Barron a million dollars a year to run for him. And all that money, and it could be hundreds of millions of dollars unspent, perhaps, that has been funneled through Brad Parscale, the since demoted, defunct campaign manager. Well, he's actually fired now. He was yeah. demoted and then fired when he tried to kill his wife. He fired him. Right. But it is conceivable that he can't help himself, Trump. He sees this money and he needs to pay his legal fees, right? So he's skimming off the top of these donations and legally he can use them after he can use that money after he loses to pay the lawyers who are going to be representing him in something like nine serious trials. He, there are nine serious trials he's facing, as I understand it. No, he, he can't use he can't use the money for those, them. He can use the money for some of them. The ones that have to do with his, uh, you know, the election. He can't, you know, he can't use that money legally uh, for, for things that have nothing to do with the election. He can, he, but there, like I said, Congress has made sure to put loopholes in these, uh, these laws that, that have allowed them and will allow Trump to steal the money. Congressmen do it all the time. It's disgusting. Right. So he's going to lose because he can't help himself. He cannot spend the money on winning. He's got to keep it for himself. That's why I, I don't know about. I, I I really don't know if that's what's going to happen. Uh, there, I think that the reason they're not spending money is because they don't have it. And he really does think he's going to win. I I think he, you know, he may have moments when he thinks he's going to lose, but any other moments when he thinks he's going to win. I mean, this drug he's on, this this I don't know how to pronounce it. This steroid is so powerful and so mind altering that he is going through these crazy fits where anything can go. I mean, I don't know if you read this or not, but the, the Pentagon is very, very disturbed now that is what's going to happen if he decides to launch a nuclear attack against somebody. What are they going to do? Well, I before you go, I think it's telling that we have a madman in the Oval Office Ooh. and we're not going to war. I think we're safer with an absolute lunatic who nobody trusts as our commander in chief than having somebody like Hillary or Joe Biden or Kamala as our commander in chief. Because when they want to go to war and they do want to go to war, people are going to march in lockstep. I think we're better off with a crazy commander in chief. I think the world is safer. I can I can see why you say that. Right. Howie Klein to be continued. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack. Everybody read him over at Down with Tyranny. Thank you. Please bring some bring some candidates on. Well, they're all really busy now, but I'll I'll try to bring someone next week. Okay. Thank you, sir. Howie Klein coming to us from Los Angeles, not San Diego. Thank you, Howie. Bye, David. Bye. Everybody welcome Howie Klein We got him right here, he's on the line Howie Klein Howie Klein <laughs> Got a good idea who might be a winner He tell you why he's cooking up a vegan dinner Howie Klein Howie Klein 
so, so smart, he got a lot of brains. He lives in San Diego where it never rains. How we climb? How we climb? What he got to say gonna blow your mind. Put your hands together for how we climb. How we climb? How we climb? Let us now go to Los Angeles, where my old friend Ed Larson is standing by. He has a new a new documentary out. It's called How America Killed My Mother After His Mother Unexpectedly Dies. Comedian Ed Larson goes on a journey across America to find out what led to her death. Hello, old friend. What's going on, Dave? How you doing, it's, buddy? It's great to see. You. What is the name of your podcast? My podcast is called The Brighter Side, right. uh, and it's a cynics look at optimism. Right. Uh, me and Amber Nelson, comedian, uh, host it together, and we take all the uh, the crappy, bad things in the world or things with a bad reputation, and then we try and find the good in them. Right, and, and you uh, also host a podcast with my friend Jeff Ross. That's right. I'm uh, I'm the sidekick, thick skin with Jeff Ross. When am I going to come? When are you going to invite me on? Whenever you can. Are you I'll kidding do, me? Yeah. I mean, you're a hard get, Dave. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's hard for me to get hard. That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> but I'm always hard when I see you and my friend Jeff Ross, who uh, brilliant podcast, brilliant comedian, Jeff Ross, great man. Thank you, man. It's great good to man, see that Jeff the. Ross. Uh, the, the snow leopard poaching is going well with that chair back yes. there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Give my love to Jeff Ross, will you? Always, always. I'm in his basement right now. Okay. And say hello yeah. to, I, well, I was going to make a, I was going to make a joke that we can't make, uh, but uh, he's a great man and a good friend. So tell me about how America killed your mother. Well, um, but before, well, let's start off your mother. You almost killed your mother. That's right. That's Tell right. everybody the, who you are. I was the biggest baby born in Florida. Now I'm like, give me burgers, give me meat. Hey, hey, the, body, the audience is laughing. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, now I'm like fifth or sixth because modern medicine has learned how to save the fat. But uh, I am. Uh, I was the biggest baby born in Florida uh, when I was born. I was 14 pounds, 13 and a half ounces. And six days later, my mom became a type one diabetic. And uh, so I'm 39 years old now. My mom right. died when I was 36, 35. And, uh, you know, well, give me diabetes. the math. Hang, hang on for one second. You're how old? I'm 39. And your mom died when? Uh, she died four years ago. She died so, four. Right. Yeah, on July nineteenth, twenty sixteen, she passed away in her sleep, uh, and uh, she from diabetes. Uh, right. Basically, I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, with diabetes. Well, you're about to get booked on Diabetic Fury. We do a series. Ooh. Yeah, we have a a special pay per view event coming up 
in about two weeks. I'm being serious. Where we, we have a pay-per-view event? We're doing diabetes? pay-per-view. Yeah, it's uh, where diabetes takes on COVID-19, 13 rounds, bare knuckle boxing. No, no, <laughs> we're doing a, we do with Jim Earl, comedian Jim Earl and Martha Previtt. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, Martha Previtt does Melania. Jeff called me. He loved the Melania impersonation. She That's great. set up Diabetic Fury. And uh, we, we do fundraisers to draw attention to diabetes. So go ahead. Unbelievable. Thank you're you're you. going to yeah, be no. on the show. You're, you're doing it in two weeks. So go ahead. I love it. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in right. because it's like it's become I mean, inevitably, I'm going to become a diabetic. My father is a type two diabetic. He's lost both of his legs at this point. And it's a, you know, it's a horrible disease. And it's, you know, a lot of people have it in this country. Over 7 million people have it. And, you know, the cost of being a diabetic is astronomical. Uh, the average cost to be a diabetic in America is uh, $16,000 a year. And that's a huge number. My mom was, made, was uh, working as an activities uh, person over at a, a, a nursing home. She was making $10.20 an hour, uh, $32,000 a year. And so if her disease costs her $16,000 and she's making 32, those numbers don't add up. And it's a, it's crazy what's going on with the cost of insulin. Now, I know that it recently dropped a little bit, uh, but it's still not even nearly enough from, from what's going on. And it is the people who are out there charging this money, uh, Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, and Sanofi Aventis, the three companies in the U.S. that make 90% of the global insulin, uh, they can charge whatever the hell they want. And it's crazy. The, the amount has gone up uh, for Humalog, which is the most popular insulin, which is what my mom used to take. In 2008, it cost $147 a month. In 2013, it cost $295 a month. And in 2017, it cost $530 a month. It is the same product. It has not changed. It is, uh, you know, it promotes, it has the same results. It is the same recipe. And yet that is the price increase that has happened in the last couple of years. And you just can't help but think that they're doing it out of spite, uh, just to line their pockets and it's and people are dying because of it. And my mother was one of those people. She couldn't afford her insulin. She couldn't. Uh, we were very broke. It was right when I met you, uh, Dave. And I charge saw. and I charge mm-hmm. for friendship. That's why you Absolutely. were broke. And I had to ask her for money just to get just, into that. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. But we um, but with her job in the nursing home, she made, you know, they had a good program for her insurance. And what happened is they changed insurance companies and then she had to give back a, a blood sugar monitor that she had. Now, it was a machine that was hooked up to her. It didn't give her insulin. It wasn't a pump. It was just a monitor. So if uh, if your insulin, if your level sugar levels go up or your sugar levels go down, it'll beep and let you know. And they changed insurance companies and they're like, well, if you want to keep the monitor that you've had for two years and that's working for you, you're going to have to send us $800. And back then for us, $800 might as well have been five grand. You know, we just weren't coming up with the money. It just wasn't. I was both of us are counts are negative. You know, we just didn't have a chance to come up with this money. 
And so we gave back the machine and then she died in her sleep. So it's like that is murder. Result. Yeah, it's exactly. murder. It's fucking murder. And it's my mother. And it's I got pissed off. And, you know, sure. We you know, we worked with each other. Her accounts were all negative when she died. There was no estate. Um, but there, she did have some life insurance money. And so I took the life insurance money and I made this movie. And I wanted people to know about the ways that, you know, not just the government uh, takes care of each other and just how the government screws you over with bad health care. It's everybody in this country, it seems like, is just trying to get a leg up on people who are desperate and really need it. You know, whether it's banks with overdraft fees, uh, casinos being predatory, and or if it's like uh, loan companies and check cashing stores and, you know, credit card companies and department stores with high interest rates. You know, people don't have a chance if you're poor. It is very expensive to be poor in this country. It's very and, you're 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 treated your mind. M.I.N.E.D. They, they, they we're like a vein of rich resources and the Republicans and the Democrats tap this mine of poor people and they get a rich ore, get you in debt. And once you're in debt, you, the money just flows up. And they want to get you in debt. That's what no one talks about. The banks want you to be behind because that's the only way they're going to make money off of someone that has a $200 balance. You know, they want you to overdraft so they can charge you all the fees. $34 billion in overdraft fees for the banks in 2017. $34 billion from the poorest people in this country. That's that's not taxes. That's nothing. That's someone making a mistake and spending $50 on McDonald's because they thought they had $10 in their account and they only had seven. You know, so is this is like what's happening to people and no one seems to really give a shit. And I've noticed a lot of this, you know, because my mom also had a gambling problem, you know. And so when I realized, like, after putting this movie out, how heartless a lot of people can really be. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, you should be more responsible. Well, you know, like, let's give each other a little bit of a break here. You know, what are we talking about here? Because when it comes down to my mom. I really, truly believe that if we had three thousand more dollars, she'd still be alive. Like, I really do believe that if we could have got the enough insulin so we're not worried about stuff and we can get her out of debt and we can afford the car payments and everything else, I think she'd still be around. And that's a crazy thing to think about. You know, just like how much how close people come to living and dying and it all comes down to money and greed and it drives me insane. And so I'm screaming into the wind all over town (laughs) about this. And, you know, just we need to be better to each other. You know, there's no humanity in any of this stuff. You know, when it comes to like overdraft fees, like, what are you doing? You're a bank manager. Reverse the fees. Who cares? It's not your money. It's just like you give someone just like a little bit of power. And then they just like, no, because I remember when my mom was trying to get these fees reversed because you're looking at it because once one overdraft fee comes like then they all start piling on top of each other. And then next thing you know, you're 10 deep and you can't get out. And I remember my mom going to TD Bank in Tom's River, New Jersey, trying to figure this out. And I was on the phone with her and I was like talking to the teller and stuff like that. My mom's literally in tears. This is weeks before she died. 
in tears in the bank saying she doesn't know how she's going to come up with rent. She doesn't know how she's going to come up with money for insulin. And they're like, just like, well, you need to monitor your funds better. And that is their answer. And it's like, you could reverse a couple of overdraft fees if you really wanted to. And so after she died, I went back to the bank and I told them, I was like, this is what you did to my mother. I showed up a picture of her and I was just like, this is what happened. She couldn't afford her medicine. You guys blood sucking her and you do against everyone else. And then you know what they did? They're like, well, we can reverse a couple of the overdraft fees. Now we can reverse three of them. And I was like, Oh, Oh, thank you. You're going to give me, you're going to give yourself $90. That is, that is my constant. That is, that is my consolation. Is this in the movie? My mother. Yes. This is in the movie. This is in the movie. Yeah, no. And so it's like, this is like, so this is like, this is what we get. And it's like, is this not right? Cause like, no matter how much money you give me back, my mother's still dead. You know, like you like, thanks for refunding. And also, Everyone tries to get when the estate is negative. Everybody wants you to pay your mother's bills or your parents' bills when they pass away, and you don't have to. Um, you, you, the, everyone they'll try to convince you one on one way under the sun that you have to that you got to close out all these accounts, uh, but you don't uh, because they're all negative. And if there is no estate, you don't owe anybody anything. If there is an estate, they will take whatever they you are you they owe are owed out of the estate and they can't touch the life insurance money. And that's also untaxable. And I think that's very important that everyone knows that. Yeah. Joe Biden. Don't let Joe Biden find out that they can't touch the life insurance. He'll change the, uh, the laws on that. He's the Senator from Delaware, which (laughs) he's the credit card president. Wow. I mean, I don't trust any of these people. My mom died under Obama, you know, and, you know, granted, like Trump was still a major part of her death because the casino that she went to that was taken all of uh, was 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 robbing her dry was Trump Taj Mahal. And I know it was run by Carl Icahn and he only received 10 percent, but it's still his name's on the side of the building and it's predatory as hell. And I'll tell you why it's predatory, because everyone says, you know, it's your choice to go in and bet. Yes. And gambling is gambling can become a disease and just like alcohol or narcotics, any of that, you, you get addicted to it. And my mom became addicted to it because she won big one time and it saved us. She won 15 grand one time down in Florida and we were able to move to New York. I was able to not work for my first month in New York and like, like establish myself in the city. And it was a godsend. But then it became the answer. And once it becomes the answer, that's when they get you. And my mom would go to Trump Casino and she wasn't right in her mind. Uh, she was, you know, from all of the horrible diabetes problems, uh, she developed brain damage uh, because every time your sugar drops below a certain amount, you, do, you get a little bit of brain damage. And over the course of 36 years, it really takes a toll. In the last year of my mom's life, she was not with it. Uh, she didn't know where Europe was during a couple conversations we had and stuff like that. And so it was a, it was a mess. And I go and she writes and she wrote a couple bad checks to the casino and she wrote one. That's one thing. And she wrote another. That's another. But when you get like six bad checks deep to the same casino, at what point do you stop taking them? You know, it's not like they don't know that she's writing bad checks. They know they know she's the same person. She's she's showing up at the casino. She's at the casino with no money and she's going over to the casino. And she's addled. She passed out 
at the blackjack table, Dave, and they had to wheel her to the hospital. I didn't find out about this till after she died. And then they refused to give me the incident report, which there probably wasn't even an incident report, you know? And so it's like, that is like, that is the kind of operation that these businesses are running. Now they're mining her. They are literally, she is a vein, a rich vein that they're just sucking all the money out of. Yeah. And they want her to write bad checks. They don't want her to have that money in her account because what they do is they put the check in and then every time it bounces, they charge her a bounce check fee. And so now they're getting a little more money off who the banks and the casino or just the banks, both of them, really banks, the banks get $35 and the casino gets $25. And so. And so at every time, and then Trump Taj Mahal, they had the stinky trick that they used to do all the time, which was you can deposit. I don't know if you've ever bounced a check before. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And uh, uh, never, never. <laughs> <Me. clears throat> and what they what they do is they get submitted three times, which means it could bounce three times. And so each time is thirty five from the bank, twenty five from the casino. Well, Trump Taj Mahal figured out that if they submitted three times as an electronic check, after that, they can they can submit it three times as a paper check. And so they were submitting each one of these checks six times. And then when you get to the fact that it's five checks deep at this point, it's the number is through the roof. And that was where we were at. And then I went after my mom died to. Trump Taj Mahal. I wore a hidden camera. I was like the last person to get footage in there before the place closed down. Uh, And I remember going, I was like, Oh, I want to settle my mom's debts to the lady to where you go to the window where they give you give a check and they give you cash. And they're like, Oh no, you can't pay that here. And I was like, why not? And they're, they're like, well, no, you have to mail that into Vegas. I was like, but I got the cash right here. And this is where my mom got the money. And I want to give you the cash. And they were like, no, you got to mail it to Vegas. The only way that they'll take your money is if you put it on the table and you bet on something. They don't want you to pay your debts because they want the interest to accrue and they want the overdraft fees to come in because that's where they actually make their money off of someone who only has $300. Well, how do they you know, collect it then? How would If she had stayed alive, how would they collect it? They, she goes into collections. She go the Venti, I think was the name of the loan company. Uh, they put her into collections, and then she has to pay. And then the, once you're in collections, there's interest rates, and there's all this other stuff, and it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And it, you don't. It's really once you, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, if you if you want to make your car payment, so my mom goes out to try and win some money on the blackjack table, and then next thing you know, you owe everybody money. And, you know, and then my mom is not in her right state of mind and she's doing all these and they're being predators. And you and she and the thing is, you can go to the casino and you could tell them, don't let me gamble here anymore. And they have to, like, not let you gamble there anymore. But the thing is, there's a casino next door. So, you, you know, it doesn't even matter. And so you just work your way down the boardwalk or whatever. And then the whole thing's a disaster. They call and it the whole, gaming. They call it gaming. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, it's right not no, no, gaming like it's not gambling. It's gaming. It's yeah, you know, recreational activity. And it's not a recreational activity is golf. You know, and the only one losing money on golf is Michael Jordan. <laughs> and <laughs> and but the thing is, you go to these casinos and right outside of the front door is a cash for gold store. 
And he's like, he's like, oh, so I lost everything. I can go give them a wedding ring and get a couple extra bucks. But don't worry, I'm going to get it back because I'm just going to go win real quick and then I'll go get my wedding ring and nothing bad will ever happen. But you're not going to win because you're desperate. And these places, they feed off of desperation and they offer delusions of grandeur and you're never going to win. If you're going to win, they wouldn't, the doors wouldn't be open. You know, the business model wouldn't work. And so I'm just sick of all this predatory activity from everybody. It's almost like you get an award for how many people you rip off. And I hate it. It makes me stick to my stomach. And what happened to my mom is not unique in any way. It happens constantly, probably hundreds or thousands of times a day all over the country. And I feel like no one talks about it. Nobody talks about it because they've convinced us it's our fault. It's our mm-hmm. fault by not we're not allowed to control our appetites. They, they, they wave the temptation in front of you all day and then they blame you for for being hungry. I saw it where my kids, my kids went to Hollywood High and there's an In-N-Out burger right across the street. Yeah. All day, those kids smelled onion rings. You would immediately you know, it would just trigger hunger for bad food all day. And that's yeah. what they do. They, they pipe in the scent of chocolate chip cookies at Disneyland. In the casinos, they pump in both oxygen and the scent of tempting food. It's, you know, they, they make, they outlawed subliminal advertising on television. But subliminally, we are being tempted all day to eat bad food, to drink, and to gamble. Yeah. And to gamble. Do you gamble? No, I, I mean, I used to, but I don't anymore. I don't even play fantasy football or anything like that just because of what happened to my mom. I feel like I can't do it out of principle. It's not fun to me. You know, if I sit down at a blackjack table, I just think about her. So I'm not going to have a good time. You know, it's, I just I just get mad. I've so, spent I, a year. If you add up all the times that I played Vegas and Atlantic City, I've spent a year of my life in in a casino, living in a casino. Yeah, and I still do. I mean, you know, as a comedian, I have to work casinos uh, a lot. Nobody's happy there. I I never see anybody smiling and having a good time. I don't see anybody happy. And the only time you're happy is when you win, and that's because you got one over um, the other people. And I'll tell you one other thing that really, like, This was what I hated about Trump before he ever became president or anything like that. His brother died of alcoholism. All right. Yeah. That is how he died. And yet the motherfuckers given away. Sorry for cursing, Dave. I know how you know. Well, if once you say Trump, (laughs) the language is broken down. (laughs) But he's given away free alcohol at his casinos. His brother died of alcoholism. Like what kind of monster does that? What, you watch it kill your own brother and then you give it away for free because you know people make mistakes when they're on, when they're drinking and they're going to bet more and you're going to make more money? Sure, it's a good business model, you know, and you're going to make more money, but, what, you know, where's the soul? And now we trust this guy with our health and with our, with our bombs? You know, it, it makes me insane. Well, the insanity I'm- is that we're forced to vote for Biden. I'm telling everybody as if it matters what I think, but I'm voting for Biden. Of course. I did it yesterday, actually. But is he talking about this? Of course not. 
He's the senator from MasterCard and Visa, Delaware. He yeah. wants you in debt. The Democrats aren't talking about this. No, I don't trust any of these people. Like I said, this all happened while Obama was president. And, you know, I'm just as guilty as this as everyone else. We got our guy in there and we didn't keep him in check. You know, we got Obama in there. We're like, good, done. And then we let him go. And then he's freaking sending murder robots across the, the world. And, you know, it, it, it shit's crazy still. And I'm marching in the street because cops are killing kids. And that was when Obama was president. You know, so it's not like it was better before it, they we are a capitalist society which you know i do have there are good parts of capitalism i hope that one day i will have money but that is the problem with capitalist society people who no matter how poor you are you vote like you're a billionaire that's what gambling one, and gambling trains you to think that way the the, yeah. the rise of gambling in this country it gets you to think to look upwards and and leave mm-hmm. The pa- leave the past and your people behind you. That's what gambling trains you to do. Go ahead. Yeah, and not just that. Gambling's killing Atlantic City. I don't know when the last time you've been there, but that's a dead town as far as I'm concerned. They've lost like 10,000 jobs in, in less years than that, you know, in, le- in, in less than 10 years. And that's... But it always did kill Atlantic City. They, they sold it as a way to save Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. I was playing Atlantic City at the height of its popularity and success and there was a dmz there was what was on the boardwalk and then right across the street from the boardwalk pawn shops and poverty pregnant dogs and pregnant dogs (laughs) and i swear to you i wore a condom ed you know that (laughs) but nobody in atlantic city benefited from gambling other than the mafia and Mm -hmm. the state of new jersey which collects revenue gambling doesn't help and now they've no. got the lotteries and and they they, oh, don't they, even, they i hate the lottery don't even get me started on the freaking lottery my i go to my i'm going through my mom's belongings when i'm trying to get her back on track and i find a ziploc bag with the number 784 on the side of it and it's just filled with losing lottery tickets oh my god there's 784 losing lottery tickets in this i was like oh so my rent's in this bag you could have paid my rent and then like it's just like it's losing my mind over this shit and it's like the lottery is so that's in every state and i think that's also why atlantic city's really in a a lot of trouble these days and that's because it used to be a destination it used to be like vegas you'd have to go to vegas reno atlantic city and that's where you gamble but now every town has its own casino every county has its own casino there's one in philly they're in cincinnati they're in connecticut they're in bethlehem pa why you don't have to go to atlantic city anymore well you can just go down the street so Atlantic City's dying and everyone else is paying for and everyone else is developing serious gambling problems and there aren't even enough counselors to deal with it. I talked to a gambling counselor in Reno, Nevada. Her name's Danny Danley. If you're in Reno, Nevada and you have a problem, please look her up. She's a beautiful, wonderful woman. And she was telling me that she is number 27 on her license number of people dealing with gambling problems. And she got her license in 2006. So that is how few people specialize in Nevada, in the the town, in the state of gambling. That is how many people specialize in this. And it's crazy to me that they're not there's not a lot of money being poured into just 
helping save people from making horrible decisions. And we all know that we all make bad decisions on a regular basis. You came on my show. That was a bad decision. I regretted it every moment. since. I want to introduce you to <laughs> Dr. Harriet Fraud, and then you'll come back next week to continue this conversation. Dr. Harriet Fraud, this is my, my friend Ed Larson, and he came out with a new movie entitled How America Killed My Mother. And I kind of booked you next to each other. Ed, this is Dr. Harriet Fraud. She hosts Hi, When Dr. Capitalism Fraud. Hits Home. And it's not just in your head. She's a psychotherapist who filters our problems through the prism of the economic system we're forced to live in. And tell, your, uh, tell Dr. Harriet Fraud how your mother died, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, she was type 1 diabetic for many years, and she... Her insurance company changed at work, and we had to give back her blood sugar monitor, which beeped whenever she would uh, her sugar would drop, and she would know to either eat some uh, glucose tablets or something like that. And they said that you have to give it back to us or give us $800, and we didn't have close to that amount of money, and so we had to give the machine back, and then she died in her sleep because it didn't wake her up. So he Not used... Uh, you didn't hear the first part of the interview, Dr. Fraud. He used oh. what was left of the life insurance to make a movie to retrace the steps leading up to the murder of her. And mm -hmm. it was casinos and hospitals, overdraft fees, credit overdraft card companies, yeah. every, you know, and, and it's more than that. The insurance company also screwed me over because four days before she died, she called in frantic because she wasn't able to pay all of all of her bills and uh, lowered her um, how much she paid for insurance. And so instead of $60,000, I got $30,000, even though she was at the hospital the day before and I had documentation and she wasn't in her right state of mind when she made it. She signed the papers four days before she died and I lost 30 grand. Amazing. So, I mean, yeah, no one cares. Ed Larson's <laughs> new movie is How America Killed My Mother. And how do people watch it? Uh, you can go to HowAmericaKilledMyMother.com or you can, uh, it's, it's for rent or for purchase on Vimeo. On Vimeo. Uh, so go check it out. Yeah, on Vimeo. So go okay. check it out there. Great. You'll come back next week. What are the names of your podcasts? Uh, the Brighter Side, uh, that is on the last podcast network available only on Spotify. And uh, Thick Skin with Jeff Ross. You can check that out on iTunes podcast. Very good. Give my love to Jeff Ross. I want to get him back on the show as soon as possible. You're going to see Jeff? Buddy. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally going to walk upstairs and go say hi to him. Right, and we're going to start prepping Thick Skin. Then we're going to do a little bit later. Good. Give him my love. I'll talk to you hopefully next week. All right, man, I'm okay. here. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Thank you for doing this. Ed Larson will be back with Dr. Harriet Fraud in just a second. Okay, all flight controllers, go now, go for landing. Retro, go. Fido, go. Guidance, go. Control, go. Telcom, go. GNC, go. Ecom, go. Surgeons, go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle Houston, you're go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Dr. Harriet Fraud joins us. 
thank God for fraud. And raise your hand now. Before I bring you on, I see John Hayes and Dave and PA have their hands raised, but they've been up since the beginning. So I'm lowering your hands. If you have a question for Dr. Fraud, uh, raise your hand. Dr. Fraud hosts when capitalism hits home, as well as it's not just in your head. You heard the story. You wanted to talk about family. So I figured I would bring Ed on. What is your reaction to hearing that story? Well, that it, it is typical that if you have a system that is a market-driven system, then the object isn't health, it's money. And so wherever there's a choice, they'll choose the money. Right. That's what capitalism does to healthcare, And that's why none of our European allies have private health care. And that's why the Cubans are healthier. You know, that's why a little place like Cuba had 18 deaths and Cuba has 11 million people. 18 deaths from COVID. From COVID, whereas um, also with 11 million people, Pennsylvania has 8,000 deaths from COVID. So it's quite a big difference. It shows if you have a doctor for every 12 people and people are organized into health squads, even if you're a poor little country and you spend less than $10 a person on health care, you can keep your people healthy because it's not about making money. It's about helping people. So my friend Ed had a mother who died a couple of years ago from, as he said, diabetes. She had a gambling problem. She was being mined by the system. They were just drilling her for money. The, the, the casinos knew she was addled, and yet they allowed her to write bad checks so that they could rack up the collection fees. She, she was a mark. The, the credit card companies loved her. The casinos loved her. The fast food giants loved her because she was diabetic. She was addicted. Her body was... Type one, type one diabetes. Her body's working against her, and she's t- tempted by garbage. All the food that's garbage, and the added benefit is she gets to blame herself. Mm-hmm. That's the added that's benefit. She can't control her appetites. Right. That's right. Well, if you have, it's really quite straightforward. If the object is profit. That's what drives you. If the object is health, that's what drives you. So they can tell you, you know, we do it all for you. Sure, we do it all to you if you get we get money out of you. It's a great big money extraction machine. And that's why we don't have a good health system. That's why, although we are supposed to be the richest country in the world and have the most expensive care, care we don't have the best. So you're a psychotherapist. You, you you don't have the, the wherewithal to take your patients and move them to Canada or move them to Denmark. We're stuck here in this effing country. We're, and it is a nightmare for 99, more than 99%. It's a nightmare for the richest 1%. Their kids are miserable. You know, it's it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare here. But nobody will say that because it's unpatriotic. I would tell people to reject everything. 
That's my solution. I reject the entire premise of this country now. And I'll go to work, but I reject the people I work for secretly. You have to reject everything. Well, you have to celebrate life and you have to see them as the purveyors of death and profit. And if you do that, then you can affirm those wonderful things that are there in people and in nature. And you can condemn capitalism and do your best to defeat it. How do you how do you condemn capitalism if you have to participate in it? Because the same way as most people go to their jobs, not because they really believe that the highest thing they can do in life is make someone else's rich, someone else rich. But they do it because it's a way they found that they can make a living. And if you're like me, and you grew up in a bourgeois background with choices, I got a good education and I didn't have, and I wasn't in debt. Now, of course, when I went to school, it was not it. Nobody was in debt in, to control. go to school. Nobody was in debt to go to school. And then I had generous fellowships for, gra- for graduate school. And so I got paid to go to graduate school, you know, on generous fellowships. That's gone now. You know, I'm old enough. So in the 50s, the United States was the only intact economy in the world. The others were destroyed in World War II. So we were the kings of the world. There was lots of money around. And so our education was paid for. Now it isn't. And the United States is now an outlier. Those nice countries you'd like to visit won't let you in because we have a president who pits each state against the others to bid up the protective material and is inadequate and people are lied to about the disease. And, you know, China has no COVID now. They're having their biggest holiday where they all go back to their family homes. 500 million people travel. They are the most populous country in the world and they have conquered COVID. You know, places like Italy that were terribly affected, how people can be out and about again. France, Germany, Scandinavia, not us. So what is the danger to rejecting? Because I do, I, before Trump, before Obama, I told my kids to reject everything you see in front of you. It's all immoral. That, that, that we live in an immoral country and everybody participates in the immorality and you, you need to be suspect. Everybody is suspect. Our religious leaders are suspect. Everybody is suspect because we allow this to happen. Ed describes his mother. Somebody worked at an insurance company and took the blood sugar monitor away from her because she didn't have $800. Well, Somebody had to do that. I mean, I, I, you know, I know people yes, need to make a living, but somebody out. did that. Somebody did that. And as and no one is going to stand up all alone and say, no, you can have that blood sugar monitor because she'll be out of a job or he'll be out of a job. So you need a movement to say, no, we're not giving back that. We're not taking it back. You need a movement at your job and everywhere else. And the United States, because we... 
won World War II, even though we haven't won anything outright since and invaded a lot of things, but whatever. We won World War II. We were the kings of the world. And if you were white and male, each generation could do better than the last. And so we, we didn't have to stick together to make a change. And we didn't have to form a powerful left. And so when the McCarthy hearings came through and the anti-communist wave, we really didn't sustain a left movement. And now we're in trouble because we don't have one. And that's why we're doing the worst. And that's why Trump isn't stopped. You know, look, let's face it. There is corruption. Fox News would not put Donald Trump on if the sponsors withheld their ads. He'd be off. That'd be it. Well, uh, Tucker Carlson, they've boycotted Tucker Carlson and he's still on. Well, he doesn't have no ads. If he had no ads, he wouldn't be on. And if Fox wasn't getting ads, they wouldn't be. Right. And so that there's a collusion with the people at the top. Also, Americans shouldn't be blamed individually. We weren't prepared. We didn't have a vital left. When very sophisticated international communication systems and computers happened, millions were allowed to outsource and take Americans' jobs to places where people got less than a quarter of the money and had no ecological or health protections. And then they came back and bought our, our political system, which was for sale. Now, that cannot happen elsewhere. In Sweden, if, if you want to shut down your factory, you have to get every single person who works there an equivalent job. So what they usually do is change what they produce because it's just too hard to get everybody a job. In Germany, if you want to get any financial help from the government because you're in trouble, you have to have a neighborhood council that is on your board that decides what you're doing ecologically to the neighborhood. You have to have union representation. You have to have ecological protections because they have a powerful socialist movement and left movement to the left of the usual socialists and a powerful Green Party. We felt we could all get ahead if we were white and headed in a family by a male, in a family by a male head. He could get a family wage. And we were a mainly white country now, then, which we are not now. And so people were lulled into a sense that we don't, you know, why, why become a force with other people? And now they're realizing and union organizing is burgeoning. We're in a corrupt country, but it's where we live. And if we want to work, we'll probably be part of the machine. But if we join with other people, they'll keep us in tune with the values we affirm. And we need the left. And what's happened is a lot of left groups have started to save the climate and save health care and save in black lives. But we need a unified movement because we are the mass of people. And most people are not horrible. You know, Trump only has a third of the voters. So there's a lot to affirm in people's possibility. But we are in a very corrupt capitalism and we are dying. Yeah. And what's 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 I agree with you that only one third of the country supports Trump. But that's all you need when 
the two-thirds stay home on election day. Absolutely. Where are the biblical Jeremiads? Where are the people, the scolds? Where are the people who are standing up and saying something like, after World War II, during the Nuremberg trials, we decided you couldn't say I was just following orders. We, right. we let the, the American people, we let ourselves off the hook and we yep. say, well, I had to keep my job. So I took the, the glucose monitor back because she didn't have eight hundred dollars. I was just following orders. Well, now Ed's mother is dead because you wanted to keep your job. So now you have to live with that for the rest of your life. Where are the people who tell the ninety nine percent? That when you follow these orders blindly, you're murdering somebody. Don't we need scolds? I know I've been told not to say this because my listeners are going to hate me. For But I'm sorry, you know. Well, the left press is a Jeremiah. The, you know, there are all sorts of things on the net showing how corrupt and wrong we are. And there are 15 million people got out in the street risking COVID to, to tell the world that Black Lives Matter. There are, you know, they are scolds. They are saying, wake up. But, but you know, I, I, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just, it seems to me Mario Savio, free speech movement, talked about throwing himself on the gears. Where right. are the nurses and the doctors? Why are, instead of protesting, why aren't they throwing themselves on the gears of the health insurance companies? Nobody's going to die if you throw yourself on Aetna's gears. Why, where, why aren't people throwing themselves on the gears of this evil machine? There comes a point where you have to stop saying, poor me, we're, we live in this country, this capitalist system and Mnuchin and he's in bed with the Democrats and the Republicans. And at some point, the the 99 percent has to peacefully throw itself on the gears and say, you know what? Keep your blood yes. monitor. I'm not going to take it away from you. I don't yes. want to kill you. But you'll be picked off one by one if you're the one who says it alone. You have to have your union behind you. And the, like the nurses did recently, they would not go out on the floor if they didn't get protective equipment. The doctors got great protective equipment. They didn't get it. So they stayed in the nurse's room. They said, we're not leaving. And your hospital isn't running until we get that equipment. People have to act together to make a difference. One person can do that and one person can get picked off. You need organization. And that's why more and more people are unionizing and joining groups and joining protests. But we need a unified left movement with somebody like AOC at the head of it. Right. We're right. burning. After World War II, we said to the Germans, there's no such thing as collective guilt. We're not going to say you let this happen. We're just going to put your leaders on trial. And mm -hmm. we've, we've kind of inhabited that here in the United States where it's not our fault, it's the leader's fault. Well, I don't know. I, I think somebody has... It's all our fault. It's, I, I, think, I think it's collective guilt. Well, I think shows like yours 
are telling people, wake up, we need each other, we need to get out and protest. I think the two podcasts, Capitalism Hits Home and It's Not Just In Your Head, also help. And so do all the other things that we do. They all help. And because we're so backward, because we were the exception, American exceptionalism, we didn't develop the kind of left we need now. And there's more progress towards it than there has been in a long time. Right. You know, there's morning marks. The sex workers have a, a Marxian reading group. Right. Probably many, many other people do. There's a, an awareness. Class matters. Race and gender matter, but class matters, and we better get together because we're the mass. I'm not saying this because I'm so grateful that you do my show. I'm, this is the God's honest truth. Your coming on this show week after week has changed my life because I need to make money. And sure. I've always fallen into the trap of my ego being massaged in lieu of getting paid what I'm worth, that kind of stuff. And by having you come on week after week, I now approach whatever work I'm doing for money as I can separate. I can compartmentalize now and say, this is for money. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying to me, not you, but whoever is handing me the measly check, I'm able to see, wow, you will say and do anything to get as much work out of me for as little money as possible. That's right, because you're a capitalist, and that's what you're supposed to do if you're a capitalist. That's being a good capitalist. And and just say anything like the. I mean, I'm not. If I I'm not trying to be, over, you know, melodramatic here, but I've watched some people, and I think this is like Linda Blair in The Exorcist, who w- would say anything, do anything, to. Suck Father Demi. I mean, it's, you know, to destroy Father Demi's faith. They will say and do anything to get you to work harder for as little money as possible. I, I don't know what the answer is other than to recognize the transparency of it. That's what you've really yes, helped me. We all have to understand. We wouldn't be hired if we weren't in a corporate situation, if we weren't making more for them than we're being paid, then there'd be no point in hiring That's theft. That's capitalism. And as long as that's there, that's the way our economy will run. Getting you the most out of you and giving you the least. And that's whether that's true if you're a doctor in a practice at a big hospital, even if you're paid a lot, they're making so much more out of you than they give you. And they work you like a dog. I have a client who's in a big hospital and he's paid a lot, but they work them like dogs. Do and they do they know that they're doing it or they just think this is He knows. He knows, but he has big loans. You know, he's not gonna be a little country doctor somewhere. He's a specialist and he has huge loans for medical school. And he knows he's being exploited. On the other hand, he's making a good living and he hopes to pay back his loans. But it's a system, it's not this one bad guy or that one bad guy, it's a capitalist system. And you're good if you make money. Look at how nicely rich people are treated. 
the museum has a special showing for you because you dropped a lot of cash on them and they treat you marvelously and you get little gifts from them. And when you spend this much, then they greet you at the store and all that. You're treated like a queen and a king because you have the money. And they feel like I'm really great. And they elide the fact that I bought it. Selling tear gas. Yes, selling tear gas, selling Oxycontin, you the, know. Yeah, the Sackler family. The I, Sackler family. B- before the uh, COVID-19, I used to go to the Met and uh, it's pay what you want at the Metropolitan Museum. And I would take out a nickel and say, this is I'm paying a nickel. Get the rest from David Koch. And the, and the young son or daughter of the landed gentry who got a job at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. What do you mean? I go, I, I'm giving you a nickel. This is what I'm paying until you take David Koch's name off that fountain and get rid of the Sackler wing. You're getting a nickel. and I'm going in. And they go, oh, OK. And I would do it very loudly. And uh, my kids would hate me. For making yeah, because a scene. they were just wanting to conform. But right. that's why at the Guggenheim, they had a die-in. And then they stopped naming that wing after the Sackler family. Because right. all those people were lying dead, representing all the, what is it, 700,000 people who've been killed? By the Sackler family. By the Sackler family. And there was a wing at the Louvre, and there are chairs in the hospitals and there are hospital wings so that the scientific community wouldn't look askance at the fact that they're killing tens of tens of tens of thousands of people right but they're good capitalists they're making money right you don't look you don't count the dead when you're making money and the artists the the artists at the museum of modern art how can you call yourself an artist if you're part of that system and you're not well, standing how can you not be part of that system and be an artist and make a living. That's how they trap people. And so that what you have to do is go after the systemic change so that you bring out the best in people and not the worst, not think you're clever by ripping people off. And that's what's rewarded. I, Professor Adnan Hussein is joining us. I, I want to introduce him, and I don't want to be a pig with anybody, but I want to. Uh, Professor Adnan Hussein is chairman of the religion department at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada. He's fixing up an attic for me and Professor Harvey J.K. And <laughs> yes. I'm going to be they moving. They never let you in. <laughs> They're going to let me in. You, you're going to have to share a bunk bed, I'm afraid. <laughs> right. I, I hope think neither of you snores. But. <laughs> what a great sitcom it would be if Professor Harvey J.K. had to leave. He and I had to leave the country and live with Professor Adnan Hussein in Ontario and, and share a bunk bed. I can't go to museums anymore. Not, you know, even before COVID. When I read about the management at the big museums and who's on their board of directors and how they pick their art, how the board of directors get the inside track 
on who's going to be the next big thing. And then the museum buys the paintings appropriately, accordingly. And then they get inside information on which artists to buy. I don't know what I'm looking at anymore if I go to MoMA. It looks like I'm part of some kind of Ponzi scheme. Am I looking at art or money? Well, you're looking at both because you're in the capitalist system and the museum needs to survive. And so it has to kiss these people's ass. That's the way it goes, because otherwise, how will they survive as a museum? It's not like we have state subsidy for art, not like all the other advanced countries that do. Well, you don't need to pay the head of your museum three million dollars a year. No, you shouldn't. And everyone should go on strike. You don't need to pay that $3 million. You don't need to pay the head of your university $3 million while you then cheat the kitchen staff. You know, you don't need to do any of those things, but that's the way the system runs. The CEOs shouldn't get an obscene amount of money. They're the ones who decide on the salary. And even when they really messed up and the company's going down, they have great severance. Professor Falwell, you know, Falwell, I think, has a quarter of the proceeds for his university and the focus on families as his bonus for uh, watching his wife have sex with people while forbidding anyone at his university, any girl to wear a skirt above her knee. You know, whoa. But he made a lot of money off this. Right. You know, his wife used to sneak into the dorms, from what I understand. And give salacious messages to the co-eds. But, but more than more than it. salacious messages, she apparently she was. I mean, I never thought I would like the Falwell family, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're my kind of people. I mean, <laughs> well, I wanted to talk to Professor Adnan saying he's setting up. I think he was in front of a fan or something. Yes, his hair was blowing. Your hair was blowing. Yes. I was outside enjoying the balmy uh, Ontario weather. Uh, Oh, my God. Professor Adan Hussein, I I didn't get to come to your Marxist study group yesterday. I had a previous engagement. I, I wanted to ask you about that. But I also wanted to ask you about the Pope. Apparently, the Pope is uh, writing encyclicals that are un-American. Definitely. And anti-capitalist. And and, uh, and even so, he didn't chastise Cardinal Dolan for giving the convocation at the Republican convention. So there's obviously quite the division within the church. But he's better than most, isn't he? He's still... Oh, he, is. he is better than most. Look, you know... I am I am anti-clerical, but he is a progressive force within that church. Unfortunately, he doesn't seem to have the authority to curb Cardinal Dolan or the priest who said a vote for the Democrats is a vote for the devil. But he himself is progressive, and that's wonderful. Professor Adnan Hussein, chairman of the religion department, Queen's University, Ontario, Canada. How unique is Pope Francis? Well, I think he indicated that he would be a unique religious figure in the Catholic Church from the very outset when he um, chose the name Francis uh, for his papal name. 
he didn't go for a Benedict or a Pius or one of these others. Uh, he chose Francis, and it was a very meaningful decision, which he in part explains in this latest encyclical um, that he was attracted and inspired by the example of this medieval saint from 13th century uh, central portion of uh, the Italian peninsula from a small town of Assisi, a son of a merchant um, who was a new kind of Catholic Christian who decided uh, he should try and follow in the humble way of poverty uh, uh, and empathy uh, that he found in the Gospels and try and enact that um, uh, himself. And uh, that example is a very anti-institutional church, a church that was uh, centralizing, that the popes were like monarchs. And in fact, during the 13th and 14th centuries, the popes began fighting political wars and calling crusades to expand their own territory. And um, in that kind of a context, to have somebody who wanted to renovate the church through an example of humility and empathy and concern and regard for the poor who loved all of creation was the first environmentalist in some way in the Catholic Church because he, you know, had this beautiful uh, song, the canticle of Brother Sun and Sister Moon and gloried in uh, the living creation as having value in and of itself, not just as uh, uh, material uh, to be subordinated to human exploitation, right? So these kinds of ideas were quite radical in their time. And they inspired this pope who wanted to follow in that sort of example. What I thought was very interesting in this encyclical was his Explain what an encyclical is first, please. Um, well, an, an encyclical is a major uh, doctrinal statement uh, by the pope. Um, and he did, uh, you know, his first one was Laudato Si, uh, you know, very early on. And it had a lot of very interesting and progressive doctrinal uh, enunciations that this is basically it's like the state of the union kind of address it's what is going to be the policy of this global institution um, that is also a state right vatican city is its own independent country but it also has this global and international reach and it's sort of like the leader making a state of the church address and enunciating what are the key policies and the vision that they have for the church um, and so uh, in this one, in this encyclical letter, it's like a, it's a letter to all the faithful. Right? It's like a kind of communication to all the faithful that he's communicating directly to every Catholic. Um, and in this, one of the interesting things he does in explaining his uh, interest in Francis's, uh, Francis of Assisi's example, is he references a very curious and interesting episode, which is when Francis of Assisi fired, as the hagiographies say, by a desire for peace, went during the time of the Fifth Crusade, when the Crusaders, oddly enough, had invaded Egypt. You know, you would think that that's a little bit of a long way around to get to, to Jerusalem, but it was clearly part of expanding in the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, they had invaded Egypt and had laid siege to a major coastal city, and Francis journeyed and traveled there with a companion, 
crossed the lines despite the crusaders and the warriors and the soldiers saying no you can't cross these lines we've heard that there's a bounty on the head of any one uh, any you know catholic latin christian who is captured will be you know executed and and so on they filled him with fear and he nonetheless must go and preach to the Muslims, and in this case, to the Sultan. And in fact, he crossed the lines, was taken captive, eventually managed to have an audience with Sultan al-Malik al-Kamil, um, a nephew of uh, Salahuddin, uh, grandnephew, I think, of Salahuddin, the famous uh, warrior who had captured Jerusalem from the Crusaders in uh, the, uh, 1189. Um, and had an audience where they had a very famous debate conversation. Francis tried to uh, persuade him of the truth of Christianity. The Sultan listened apparently rather patiently, uh, said, I'm not convinced in the end, but let Francis go on his way um, with his blessing. And this episode has become a moment in the hagiography of Francis that symbolizes a different path towards the religious other. Can we not reach out to one another through dialogue, discussion, and through sharing what we think truth is rather than attempting to impose it through violent force and attack? And in both cases, we have Francis who was fired by this ideal but by the same token the sultan was clearly a cosmopolitan and cultured figure recognized that francis was you know a sincere spiritual person was used to entertaining multi-religious communities to have dialogue and discussion in his multi-faith uh um you know region you know and this is a period where uh his uh uh, uh you know, father was in fact actually had Maimonides or at least Maimonides' son as the official doctor, a Jewish doctor of the court, right? So they were used to a diverse society and having to find ways for these religious communities to get along and live in some kind of peaceful coexistence. So what we had here was a kind of meeting that um, really counterposes the goals of the crusade with an ideal of peace. And Francis, the Pope Francis, makes much of this episode in his encyclical in going into radical territory for Catholic Christian doctrine to reject even the, you know, just war theory, saying that even if there is, uh, by the terms of theology, this doctrine of when a war can be just, you know, he's saying we need to really go beyond that and abandon you know, that tradition, or at least modify it to recognize that there are always terrible costs of war and that too often this doctrine is easily manipulated into providing a warrant and a justification for aggression. And so he, he really used Francis's example in this famous episode of Francis preaching to the Sultan of Egypt as a way of, of, of dramatizing that we do have examples in our past and in our history that should be guiding us today to move beyond the conventional wisdom um, and, and, and have an ideal of peace. And this is just, of course, one component within a broad vision, you know, that it very much reminded me of Martin Luther King's uh, three evils speech, where he said there are the three evils that are a terror, you know, like terror. Oh, you're breaking up. Us. I'm sorry, I, I couldn't hear you. The three evils, what? I'm at. 
the three evils speech by Martin Luther okay. King right. near the end of his life. He gave a, a speech that was about the three evils of society. And he said one of them was racial hatred, racism uh, that had to be combated. The other was capitalism and inequality and poverty uh, as a great evil of our time. And of course, the last one was war and militarism. And he said, these are the three evils that really um, bedevil modern society. These are the three problems that we have to deal with. And um, in some ways, uh, Pope Francis's uh, encyclical really hit those three themes very profoundly. Um, as the three evils of our time. Of course, it's 40 odd or 50 odd years uh, since uh, Martin Luther King uh, made that speech. Um, I think we're still stuck with the same with the same problems. And so it's a really very comprehensive uh, and uh, thorough vision. Um, How does he compare to Benedict, who's still alive? Well, Benedict the ninth, uh, Benedict, uh, the previous pope, um, uh, I knew he was going to be, just as I knew Francis, by right, adopting Francis, was going to be a breath of fresh air and have a good guiding vision. Um, I knew the previous pope was going to be uh, a difficult customer for uh, ideals of peace and for progressive notions, uh, ideas in the church, because before he became pope, he was essentially what would have been, you know, the Grand Inquisitor, you know, they don't call it that anymore. The Inquisition is still going on, correct? Well, I mean, basically, he was in charge of doctrinal rectitude and published at Catholic universities and so on, and whether pronouncements by archbishops and, and, and other church officials met the doctrinal conditions for orthodoxy. So this is, you know, a kind of conservative sort of institutional approach to things. But also, he was an, an amazing theolo- theological academic. I read his work when he was just Joseph Ratzinger um, on Bonaventure, a Franciscan figure. Uh, he wrote an amazing book on Bonaventure's theology of history. But I thought, uh, you don't want an academic to be the head of an international organization that has pastoral concerns. Academics are concerned with, you know, making distinctions, logic, and, you know, human life and the spirit and actual concerns of people are always so much more complicated than the intellectual categories about truth and error. And so I thought it would be a very dangerous appointment or accession. And it proved that he did not have the kind of sensitivity to deal with the texture of human social relations, to have that kind of empathy. For him, it was a dry, analytical, theological uh, uh, policy and doctrine had to be promulgated to guard against error. That was his principle. It seemed like his principal concern. And that's radically different from Francis. And it's even radically different from a conservative pope like John Paul II, who preceded him who, for all his conservatism, was nonetheless someone who had lived some kind of uh, difficulties of life, of struggle, had some empathy for others, you know? I mean, of course, he was a conservative. He was an anti-communist, you know? It was like uh, things that were really... uh, 
you know, not very helpful for the cause, you would say, of equality and justice in the world. But at least he had a sense of pastoral care, of humanity, of suffering as being something that you should have empathy with. And the previous pope, I don't think, really had a lot of that. Oh, but, you know, what I can understand is what's the limits of his jurisdiction? Why can't he call out people who do the opposite of what he says? I know that they need what he says. The only continent they have left is South America, which has a strong liberationist impulse. And so they can't afford to have another Pole, which person or German or Italian, because Catholicism is kind of over in those places. That's right. But why doesn't he have any disciplinary heft? Why can't he tell Dolan he can't go to that? He can't give the convocation to Republicans or excommunicate the priest who says that to vote for Democrats is a vote for the devil. What's he, the matter with that? He's an elected official. But he's the top of the heap. Well, they got rid of one. They, they, they got yeah. rid of Benedict. They murdered the one before John Paul. I don't know. How, how powerful is... Yeah, why didn't why didn't he say something? Why doesn't he's obviously anti-capitalist and that's great. But why doesn't he mow down these these capitalist apologists? I wish he would. You know, he also, you know, for all the praise that I've given him, of course, we're talking about, uh, you know, the leader of a very conservative institution and is bound up by uh, doctrines and uh, theologies that, of course, are two millennia you know, old. And so you can't expect that him to be a forward, a completely forward thinking uh person on every uh, issue that we would like. I mean, one other issue is that he also has really not uh, prosecuted the um, offending priests in this whole sex uh, scandal. This is uh, really outrageous. Uh, You know, I mean, he has basically tried basically, I think, to effect some sort of a compromise position there so that he won't have complete pushback on some of the other progressive changes he wants to make that he's more, you know, he's more and weak on gay marriage, cleaning up the dirty. Sorry. And and same sex marriage. He hasn't been too good on. Yes, he hasn't been good good on women's issues. He's not good on same sex marriage. He's not good on sex abuse by priests. He's not good. on. Yeah, there are huge gaps here, you know, in in, um, the profile. We would have real issues with a lot of his and I feel like, you know, um, I don't know what his um, commitments on those issues are. Perhaps they would be more progressive than the average. But I think um, he's decided where he can make headway is on some of these um, issues about capitalism, issues about the environment, um, trying to have a kind of social gospel. But on the issues of sexuality, identity, uh, these kinds of issues, feminism, uh, you know, women priests, married priests, all of these things. I think he, he, I don't know if he is committed or interested in them, but I think he probably also feels tactically it's difficult enough for him to try and pull people along with this anti-capitalist sort of message, this pro-environmental message. He's received a certain amount of, you know, he's in some ways more popular. Uh, uh, well, 
I mean, certainly there's the Opus Dei, and there are very conservative organizations within within the church um, that are. I, I remember hearing something um, about um, a theologian who wrote some, you know, treatise that, that was progressive, and um, he was concerned that uh, the church would uh, condemn him for his writings. He was invited for a conference at the Vatican, and he expressed, you know, to the organizers that he was surprised that they had invited him, given his, you know, radical views, or that he was, you know, contesting certain orthodox doctrines and so on. And the guy, you know, the 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 uh, head of the conference said, you know, here at the Vatican, we think in centuries, we don't think in in decades, like. You're just a little fly, a gnat in this hole. Like, you know, we've been around for 2,000 and 1,000 years. And so on the one hand, that means that they're very secure and stable. They don't always worry about absolutely everybody disagreeing with them because they know they're still um, going to be around. But on the other hand, it's also like a huge tanker. It's very hard to kind of shift it and move it because you have so many thousands of people who are invested in their particular positions within this even though you might have the top person enunciating policy. It's the same like Trump. He's been here. He can do certain things and do some damage. But in point of fact, the bureaucracy is still there and it takes a long time to erode it. The only reason why he's been able to erode it as far as he has is because George Bush started the mass and Reagan before him. So they've been chipping away at it. It takes a long time to undermine. Obama big didn't fight it and neither did the, Dem the Democrats didn't strongly fight it either. So everything was leading there. But what exactly. it does is, although he is a sympathetic figure, my feelings about the church remain. I mean, because part of my foster childhood was being brought up a little bit Catholic. And it's a riddle. What was this? It's very politically incorrect. What was the last miracle of the Polish Pope? And the answer is he made a cripple blind. And that is really that captures my feelings. Right. Well, with liberation theology, I mean, I, I kind of defend the Catholic Church. I think the the sexual assault allegations, notwithstanding, they have been a force of freedom and democracy, as you mentioned, liberation theology in Latin America. Who else? has been speaking up for the peasants. Who but else? They also crushed um, the person who was the leading proponent of liberation theology and shut him up. So there there was a natural, there was a movement, but they, the church hierarchy also punished it and crushed it. So are there, are, there, are there any other religions where the leader, is it ex, ex cathedra where the leader speaks Ex cathedra, and then like a tuning fork, everybody's supposed to get in line. Is are, are there other real because of the Jewish religion, you know, six million, nine million people, nine million interpretations. I guess oh, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was two, two Jews, uh, Jewish rabbis, and five four opinions. interpretations or five interpretations. Yeah, yeah right. Five uh, Imams speak for their sect, right? There there are Ayatollahs who say this is the law and people follow it. 
Yes. Uh, well, I mean, but even there, uh, although they have a more hierarchical sort of what we would call clerical structure of the religious scholars, they have rankings and there are certain uh, status where what they say is authoritative or not and their opinions on Islamic law and and so forth is that um, uh, even in that, there's multiple and pluralistic uh, peop- uh, group, uh, group that has that uh, status. So there isn't a sole top leader in current uh, Shiism. So even there, when and this is the thing uh, when people say, oh, uh, you know, this there's this Ayatollah is given a fatwa. And it's like, oh, my goodness, this is like absolutely the law. And, you know, especially in the Salman Rushdie affair, when Ayatollah Khomeini published this pronouncement, which was characterized as a fatwa that you could, you know, assassinate him or something because of his uh, blasphemies and so on. A lot of people in the West thought it was like the like like the what? I'm sure you kind of death sentence, a death sentence. You are sometimes inaudible. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It, um, I'm not. I don't. We can't hear you. Okay. A okay, lot of people thought it now? was a death sentence. Yeah, and it is true. These are complicated organizations, and I think because the Pope has piped up in an anti-capitalist voice and in an ecological voice, we have high hopes. But it's obvious that the bureaucracy is not stepping up, at least not enough of them for us to see, because they're very obviously not in the United States. What's and the- it just shows how they pick and choose which encyclical they think is worth following. And that's exactly the point is the same thing with the fatwa on Salman Rushdie. Uh, One opinion from one Ayatollah, uh, you know, that's just one opinion among hundreds of of, of people who could be authoritative. And so when people actually go looking for decisions, they often really shop around, you know, and ask the opinions of many scholars. And then when they get one that they think they can live with, you know, then they piously accept it, you know. So has there been a leftist Pope, was it was Leo? I think Leo. Uh, at the John was sort of lefty. They they used to call him the Jewish Pope. He's the one who allowed you to talk. You know, you didn't have to have the mass in Latin and so on. He was much more progressive. And he said the Jews didn't kill Christ, right? That was right, he did. Mm-hmm. That was one of the many progressive things he did. Uh, Leo, uh, one of them was. I remember reading about I think Leo at the turn of the 20th century, late 19th century, wrote an encyclical that was borderline uh, anarcho-syndicalist, where he said something to the effect that wherever there's power, wherever it's concentrated, you must break it up. And I thought that's uh, a good, yeah, a good way to live. Wherever there's power, break it up. Are there examples of leftists Popes that you can think of, Professor Hussein? Of, of leftist, uh, sorry. Uh, leftist popes, leftist. Well, I think that's an example. I mean, you could characterize Francis as quasi sort of left. Um, there, have all, there have been radical popes and counter popes uh, throughout history. There was a strange figure, Celestine V, 
in uh, who had a radical doctrine of poverty and they got rid of him rather quickly uh, in uh, the late 13th, early 14th century. So you would sometimes get something strange happening, but usually you don't get to be a pope if you are some flamethrower with a lot of radical ideas. What you need usually um, is you need a split in uh, the political sphere that needs to have a different pope for some radical agenda of their own where they, they need to break apart. So you need like uh, you need to support a pope if you need to get a divorce or an annulment. Um, uh, so then you start to and of, of popes and you have these popes and anti-popes and controversies around them. But usually if you just go through the election, um, it's like, uh, you know, it's like anything in the high spheres of power. They usually find ways to weed out free thinking uh, exactly. sorts of people whose priorities are not the institution, but the people uh, that's often seen as something dangerous. OK, before you go, we have Harvey J.K. coming on. Uh, what is the Catholic charismatic renewal? I always thought uh, because Amy Coney Barrett belongs to some sect, I think of only like there are 1,200 members to this group. They're Catholics, but they they speak in tongues. They we talked about this earlier. They they believe that the man is the head of the household. Hand, yeah. They literally use the term handmaid. How do you reconcile that with Catholicism? Is that part of Catholicism? That's a, a, a difficult question. It's hard to, I don't know that much about this group. I should have looked them up since this is a figure of interest. Um, but there are a lot of these um, independent splinter groups. You know, uh, Mel Gibson, the actor, was part of some... Yeah kind of branch of Catholicism that didn't recognize Vatican II and have had to build their own institutional culture, trying to preserve a conservative, older sense of, you know, uh, there's some who really fetishize the Latin mass. And so you'll find everything from kind of cultural orientations that's like the older tradition and pomp and circumstance of the old mass to those who won't accept Vatican to or the authority of the current popes and don't regard them as true uh, as true popes and have gone in their other direction and to uh, other options in between. So this sounds to me like a group that uh, maintains some affiliation with the overall Catholic community, but is pursuing a kind of social program um, that is very much like a Protestant kind of evangelical sort of Christianity. And I imagine that these sorts of splinter groups have emerged as a result of the the counterculture of the 60s to Vatican II um, and to the abortion, uh, the politics of the abortion debate is that it's perhaps brought evangelicals and Protestant evangelicals and conservative Catholics more in line politically and thus socially and perhaps even in terms of religious practice, uh, that there might be closer affiliations that we wouldn't have expected two, three generations ago, like in the 30s and 40s, you know, uh, Protestants and Catholics really were seen as from different, you know, cultural and social worlds. And there was a lot of 
animosity. Well, of course, John F. Kennedy being the first, you know, Catholic uh, that people thought he was going to be taking directions from the Pope and so on. So, yes, I'm ready to become a papist. After, I mean, except for abortion, become the Pope, <laughs> Doctor Harriet Fraud. Doctor Harriet Fraud is the host of When Capitalism Hits Home, and it's not just in your head. How do people contact you, Doctor Fraud? Well, they could look on my website, harrietfraud.com, and it's Harriet H A W R I E one T F R two A's D. Dot com, and they could send me an email, but no hate mail, to hfraud at gmail.com. Great. Thank you so much. And Professor Adnan Hussein is chairman of the Religion Department, Queen's University, Ontario, Canada. And you're dis- I try to get my son. My son is going to come to next week's Discord. Yeah. Everyone is welcome to that uh, at 4.30 on Sunday. Join the Discord and uh, talk about uh, 28 pages of Marx. I also just want to tell people that if you're interested in medieval history at all and what it might have to say about contemporary you know, relations between different communities, I'll be giving a talk. Might talk a little bit about Francis. In fact, might talk a little bit about the encyclical as well. I'm giving a lecture uh, uh, Thursday at 7.30 p.m. It'll stream on Facebook Live. Um, you can visit the MSGPQU page on Facebook. That's the Muslim Society's Global Perspectives uh, page to find out more about it. But the title is Peace is Possible, um, Lessons uh, of Medieval Interfaith Relations Between Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Um, everyone's welcome. It's an online event. Wow. And if we miss it, can we watch a replay? Yes, it'll be available on YouTube on the MSGP channel, and we'll have information posted on that same Facebook page about where you can find it. Professor Harvey, JK, you wanted to? What if we don't eat MSG? (laughs) (laughs) Don't swallow their message. That's all. You're saying five minutes later, you're going to want to watch the lecture again. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Uh, what, what What is the name of... It stands for the Muslim Global Perspectives. Muslim Global Perspective. And is that Perspectives? And that is a YouTube channel. Yeah, we have a YouTube channel. It's a project at Queen's University that we've created, and we host lectures, events, forums, discussions, research talks, and so on. And now we've moved our activities, obviously, because of COVID online. And so the events that we're organizing this year are open not only to the public in Kingston, but now, you know, to the uh, worldwide uh, community on the web online. So anyone is welcome to, and to the, tune in. the lecture from uh, Professor Juan Cole. Juan Cole. That's up on YouTube now on our channel. Great. So if you missed it uh, last week, you can hear about, um, you know, his hear his talk. Thank you so much. Thank you. When we come back. Oh, uh, what is your Twitter handle? I know you don't do Twitter that much, but what is your Twitter? Handle? Oh, at Adnan underscore a underscore Hussein. Fantastic. When we come he back. It, it makes it difficult for people to communicate with him with that kind of handle. I know. I, I should come up with a better one. <laughs> Change Twitter. And, Har- and Harriet had the, ha- ha- Harriet had the courage to give her email to this rowdy group. I don't I, know. I know. I know. When we come back, 
the author of FDR and Democracy, Professor Harvey J.K. Harvey J.K., he's got a lot to say about Thomas Paine and FDR. St. Peter, don't you call me, cause I can't go. Harvey J.K. is on the show today. Harvey J.K. My experience that if you play that next time you're hosting your lover, your sex life will improve. (laughs) (laughs) My sex life already improved. I'm ready to play that again. That is Professor Mike. That is a... That is a love song to you yeah, from Professor it, Mike Steinell. It doesn't. This is really great. Oh God, it's it's, it's good so to great. see you. I haven't seen. Nice I missed see you. you. Well, thanks. It, this these last two weekends were birthday weekends. My wife's and then my birthday weekends. So, uh, and then the, and then the, I unfortunately can't make this. What was it, Friday because I'm, do, I'm doing our friend John Fugelsang's show for a bit. So, well, we didn't have you for the. Post Veep debate mop up, so I want to ask you about that. But I also have to tell you what you've created with Office Hours. I, I didn't tell you about. Yeah, it. Yeah, bring me up to date. I feel bad. I missed what two weeks in a row. I yeah. think. So I wouldn't be doing video. I wouldn't be doing the YouTube channel. I wouldn't be doing Office Hours if it weren't for Professor Harvey J.K. saying to me a couple of months ago, "Let's do it on Zoom." I go, "What Zoom?" And you introduced me to Zoom. Next thing I knew, we were doing office hours every Friday night at nine. So 
The question. Just think of me as Andy Hardy. Andy Hardy. No, wait. Was it Andy or is it Mickey Rooney in a different movie where he says, let's do a show? I got a barn. Yeah, I got a barn. There you go. Thank you. I think of you more as Dr. Frankenstein for creating this. (laughs) So the question. Professor Harvey J.K. comes to every office hours, practically every office hours. Yeah, those right? two that I missed. I yeah. forget about. And the question you always ask me the next day is, how long did it go to? Always. <laughs> and I've hosted them in, until four wait, in the morning. Wait, before you tell me, I do want you to know that, I don't know if your listeners know this, but this was, an, I saw that you were beginning at six today. Yes, we started so like, at six now. Instead of two... Yes. To nine, it's like six to what? Midnight or what? Well, hopefully, going? hopefully till midnight. <laughs> so hopefully. all I can think is that you so fell in love with office hours uh-huh. that you're now going to do all office hour style stuff, you know? Yes. Well, six o'clock is easier for me, not our European fans. Lane is oh. upset with me. I apologize. Yeah. We have to work yeah. something out. What time do you think office hours ended? Well, the tradition would be for you, at least not for the whole gathering would be like one thirty two or so. And then the heart, the really hard asses stick around to what three by way of. Well, they were going to discord. Andy Brown set up yeah. a discord. Yeah. Andy's my buddy from Minnesota. Yeah. Great man. And yeah. uh, named his cats. He and Sarah named their cats. Sarah, uh, they have three cats, three kittens named Michael, Jamal, and Brooks. Did you know that? Really? Oh, no, I didn't. They named their three you know, I was going to bring up Michael's name in a moment, but go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, so. so I'm touched. Uh, I actually remember I, I, there was a point where I couldn't talk about my. I couldn't even remember Michael without tearing up. Now I can smile when yeah. I think of it. Anyway. Uh, yeah. office hours uh, <laughs> I, I fell asleep I turned it over to Sarah and Chloe and I fell asleep I wake up at 1030 and I figure it's got to be over are you kidding it was still going whoa, 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 whoa. so it went from 9 to beyond 1030 Saturday it it went I think it went for 13 hours and then I had to shut it down because I had to have another meeting. It would have, it would have they were, it was just oh going. My goodness. Well, that way you should have kept it going. So when I came on tonight, I wouldn't have missed office hours. I, yes. I think. My God. Yeah, yeah, I Chloe is something. She, she's really something. And yeah. who, Chloe and who else? Lance. Dan Lance? Frankenberger, who's in oh, charge of trooper, this. Right. Dan's a trooper. But Dan's in charge and he let it happen. Oh, here's yeah. Lane. Hang on for one second. Let me, then we'll get we'll talk about Michael in a oh, second. God is with us. God is yeah. with us from CM. Hello, Lane. Look at look at they're all lightweights. That lot. <laughs> you were still <laughs> there. You were still there, Lane. I did a full twelve point five hours. <laughs> Lane is still there. He's waiting. <laughs> I've been here all the time. Of course, I've been like you don't know what I've been watching in your house for the last few days. God never sleeps. Twelve point five hours, but everybody else had a bit of a sleep, but not me. Because the, the problem is over here, you get a sort of because it starts at two in the morning. You get well, a let's get of, this straight. Yeah, hold on. You get a second uh, the wind, and then you're God. Know. Dan is an android. <laughs> well, let's get this straight, right? Yep. Hi, Dan. 
Hello. Anyhow. All right. Let, uh, Lane, I will talk to you about our late start. I read your email. I understand your concern. I understand. What, what time is it in, in CM right now? It is, he says, I'm able to see at 2.15 in the morning. Okay. Well, we'll maybe we'll do a special show for our European friends. Or you could just go back to the original hours. Okay, we'll talk I mean, about it. We'll talk. I mean, I, okay, we'll talk. We'll talk. I mean, David, how about if we do a, a sh- an original show for the Europeans and we do it in French? Now you're talking. I <laughs> wish I could speak French. So do I. All right. So I haven't seen you for a while. I didn't right. see you after the vice presidential debate. Yeah, that that in particular, I wanted to show up. For, I, I just it, things are just things are, are good, by the way, but they're just really busy. You're busy. Recipes. I understand. So. What's going on in Wisconsin? It looks like it's good for Biden right now. Oh, I what? thought you meant regarding the COVID. You know oh, that too. Yeah, this state has been just wrecked. You might say the only good news in that in that vein is that a judge today, up I think in the northwestern part of the state, ruled that Evers' mandates are legal. The governor. The governor, sorry, yeah, the governor, Governor Evers, he, and he said, if the if the Republicans are so keen, because this was a decision against a conservative kind of group, a conservative group, not a kind of group, conservative group, said if the Republicans are so keen to undo Evers' mandates, they should just pass a law, mm-hmm. let, you know, which is to say, let them go on record as the ones who, you know, cost so many lives here in Wisconsin. Our, our case rate right now is just wild. So, uh, and whose fault is that? Where do you lay the blame? Well, in one sense, you got to lay the blame at Trump. I heard today. I, I hate to quote somebody who's so closely related to um, to Rahm Emanuel, but his brother, who's a doctor, who I think is a nicer guy. No, but okay. he didn't really support Medicare for all. Zeke. Oh, he didn't. Not really. Oh, well, I didn't know that. I I didn't know that. Okay. Well, he, case, he was a big defender of Obamacare. He thinks I'm getting this secondhand. What I'm telling okay. you now, but the first hand is my wife, so it's true. Okay. Um, she said that Zeke Emanuel was on one of the shows today and said that two studies had come out, at, which had asked the question: first one, what if? The United States had pursued the policies that the European nations had pursued. And even using the case of Italy, they calculate 70,000 lives would have been saved out of the 215,000. That's one third for those of you who aren't counting. Okay. And then if you use the Canadian model, Adnan, are you still here? Well, the Canadian, if they, if we had pursued the Canadian model of addressing it, 110,000 might well have been saved. So you have to place the blame in the White House with a with a, a man who clearly is either a fascist, a monster, or both. On the But at the same time, all of these Republicans who have literally not just embraced him, but have done everything in their power to mimic him and become him, they are responsible in the, in their respective states, you might say. And here in Wisconsin, Republicans seem completely, completely out of it when it comes to any public policies that would advance the public good as opposed to the private corporate good. 
Do you try to get into their heads? Obviously, you can't get into Trump's head, although there'd be it'd be spacious. It's empty. Yeah. But oh, that be, you know what? You know, remember that movie? Um, John, the Malkovich movie. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I'm forgetting the title. The one with John Cusack. And yeah. Malkovich. Yeah. Yeah. One could do like, the you know, the brain of Donald Trump as a as a cartoon version. Anyhow, so do I try to get into this? Yes, I do. And I and I actually can tell you that uh, I have a, I have one very good friend who I haven't seen because of the pandemic, but we've had some texting exchanges, though we haven't talked politics in them. And he's a guy about uh, maybe 25 years younger than I am and just recently got married a few years ago. He's a father now, um, uh, has managed restaurants, has made some good money. I mean, he's a real, and he's a Wisconsin boy from a rural area. And... He's a Trump voter. And the original rhetoric that he fed me as to why he was voting for Trump had to do with all the standard lines. You know, Trump's, you know, speaks his mind. He tells it like it is all that kind of stuff. And then the more I got to and we got we got pretty close. And one of the things that became evident to me was he was less. It was that he was ever inspired by Trump. It's that Trump seemed to represent the non-Clintons. In other words, he was just so disgusted with the Democratic Party as concocted by the Clintons right. that he was looking for, I mean, he's a, he was a classic character of, I'm going to get even. You know, you've screwed us long enough. And this is the way to do it. Because he, he actually, we've talked a lot. He supported, for example, he, he supports Medicare for all. But the Clintons didn't offer Medicare for all. Okay, and Trump, you will recall, talked about protecting Medicare and Medicaid and all that kind of stuff. And and pre-existing conditions. Yeah, yeah, right, right. His own pre-existing. So if you were, I mean, you teach, so you would ask your students to make the case for Trump. If I asked you to make the case for Trump, could you do it? I, I. what I just told you as to what my friend was saying is. But if you had to make your case, if you were being hired to make the case. And I was willing to sell my soul for, I don't know, $2 million. Okay. Could I make the case for Trump? Let's try to make the case for Trump. That's a good Because I don't understand. I keep saying, how is this possible? How is this possible? Well, it, it see, it, right now it seems to me utterly impossible in light of the way he responded to the pandemic. And here's the, here's the thing I don't get. Was he not supposed to be a germaphobe or something like that? Yeah, he said Why the great would, thing. He was quoted as saying the great thing about COVID-19 is now I no longer have to shake hands with my voters. Yeah. And by the way, I, my, my wife and I have really talked seriously about the fact that he never had it. It's not like a joke. Right. That he just didn't have it. And that the scenario was that Hope Hicks got it. And his relationship with Hope Hicks, I don't know how intimate they have been, okay? Though I can imagine that it's far more than most people realize, okay? And he was so freaked out by it, he had panic attacks. And the panic attack, and basically his doctors were willing to go along with him because they're all just sluts anyhow, right? You know, for working with him, I guess. So, and because now they claim he's had two negative tests. Well, come on. You know, it's just. Do you think he's recovered? But I, I, I think 
that too. But then I think he's not smart enough to, he's not, he, he has been a failure at everything. He would be a failure at his own conspiracy to. Well, but except what if he's, what if he's brilliant and actually just truly vicious and vile and, and, you know, I mean, that's not, I mean, that's not out of the question, right? But I mean, people would, I mean, the, Walter Reed, their their doctors there, there has to, it would be leaked. They that 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 uh, White House well, leaks. It just strikes me that a man his age, his weight, his eating. I mean, his entire physiognomy is that what they call it? Anyway, not physiognomy, his physique and physical status would warrant. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense to me. Now, on the other hand, I don't know if he's not going to have some kind of relapse that is just, you know, he's shot up on steroids and eventually it'll catch up to him. All right. So I asked him died in the third week. I asked this of Henry Huckamacki. Yeah, because I have a Republican friend who I trust, who I think is really smart. And he says that covid is a bad flu. This is what he says. Don't get angry. I'm just. I'm not getting angry. Don't get angry. He says. I'm going to laugh, but I'm not getting angry. He says, if you take old people out of the equation, that the that the yeah. tr- the Trump administration mishandled nursing homes. That's the true scandal. That nearly half the deaths were in nursing homes. He yeah. Said, well, if you if you take yeah. if you take the the nursing homes out of the equation, then it's a really and if you accept that there will be a a vaccine by the end of this year, which many that I don't know about that I that I don't know about that it I, will be remembered I, I as a say to that theory that will the, be. Uh, the, that it will be remembered as a bad vaccine flu. worth taking. They say that they say that Pfizer. This is what they believe. Yeah, that Pfizer is ready to go with a vaccine that will have at least a fifty percent efficacy rate. That when we look well, back, pretty, that, that, those are pretty bad odds, actually. Well, but sometimes, well, they're gonna. That he says they're gonna look back and say it was politicized. That's like that's like I tell you what, you got a fifty-fifty chance. You go left or you go right. You know. <laughs> no, okay. I, I see Do you think it's possible that your hatred, our hatred for this party, clouds our judgment? No, I hate the Democrats, too. <laughs> OK, well, all right. But no, you, seriously, seriously, I mean, to switch gears just a little bit, because it's all part of the same yeah. swamp, to quote our friend Donald. The fact is that we should never have been in the situation to, of having to have a hearing for this woman to take a seat on the Supreme Court. This is like one thing after the other with the Democrats, that they seem incapable of mobilizing themselves in a way as to make life messy for Republicans so that they think twice about doing something which is clearly wrong for the rest of us. Right. I mean, you know, the, you know, I mean, just think about it. Because I've said, look, you and I have been talking now, what, maybe 
14 months? When do we, I don't remember. We start talking. About I don't know. You months. told me it was your birthday and I said, you just had one. I remember having a, yeah, an so espresso so with you. 14 months, something like that. Yeah. And, and I, I think about it and I think to myself, wow, it seems you know like a long time, but I've said this to you many times. The Democrats turned their backs on working people. 40, in fact, it's soon going to be 50 years, but they have 45 years at least where they've, I mean, think about what have, what is the Democratic Party as it's constituted with the likes of Pelosi, Schumer, or in the past, Clinton? I mean, these, what have they done for working people that would rank in any fashion, even near to the Democrats of the mid 20th century? Where, what have they done? Mm. Can, you know, you like asking these kind of questions of me. Well, tell me. What, what have the Democrats, the Democrats done, done for the working people? Dem- for, what? I'm, I'm trying to figure out what they've done for the working people. Working people here in America or working people yeah. in China? Uh, <laughs> I, you know what I'm asking. <laughs> I can't think of anything they've done for yeah, union I, I membership. I, I honestly can't either. I, I can't. Um I mean, Obamacare. I, I would say Obamacare earned. Uh, well, all, only. Well, how about if I? Okay, I'm going to make a. Somebody can jump all over my case, and I'll say, well, basically they they pushed through Obamacare because they didn't want to go. They they didn't want to go to you know where they want to go to they want to go to Medicare for all they, they didn't want to do it in spite of the polls that said Americans wanted health care, and they didn't. And when they passed it, chips. What about chips? Children health care under Hillary. Okay. Hillary pushed that through nice. as first lady. That nice. was good. Nice. But why couldn't they just, why couldn't they do Medicare for all kids? Because that would make the kids lazy. If kids can get free health care, they're not going <laughs> to they work that hard. They would never get a job. You're right. If they had free health care. Funny you say that. You know why? Because I was, I did a, I did a, like an hour and a quarter hour kind of uh, YouTube show with the Jacobin people this afternoon on FDR and the New Deal. When the question posed by the Jacobin people was, were FDR and the New Deal socialists? It was meant to be a provocative kind of title. And, and although I like to brush up on my you know, numbers and my quotes and all that. So I was looking back over the book, The Fight for the Four Freedoms, and I came across this, the, the arguments by the Republicans against Social Security in my book. And I, you know, I'd almost forgotten the degree to which they were convinced that literally American civilization was was shot through, you know, social security. You know, nobody wanted to get a job. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about benefits for the elderly, right? And the single parent household, and people who had disabilities, the blind and infirm, as they would have said in those days. And God forbid you had social security, right? How do they justify that? They don't really how mean do that. That's exact. How do they? How do they? They do have it? to be. It's they, they're Satan. I, I mean, you have to be. The only explanation is they're evil. It's if evil. you're against I mean, social, I always, I always, I always, I never liked when people called fairly standard politicians evil, but they're not fairly standard politicians. These guys. And by the way, David, you'll recall. I'm sorry, I keep reminiscing nostalgia for the past. You know. Um, all those times we watched those debates with the Democrats to shift back to the Democrats. And they, could, they had the audacity to tell Bernie, we can't afford you're going to bankrupt the nation. I mean, 
who are these people? I have this fear. You want my, my current, like it's a recurring one time a day fear that that the next Democratic president after Biden is Buttigieg. Or the next Republican president. He, he seems to have found a home over at Fox. Yeah. Uh, is he going to Fox? Is that the story? Well, no, but he's on Fox all the time. Oh, they, he they is. Love him. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. The debate, uh, Senator Harris, in terms yeah. of the stuff about fracking, her insistence. Yeah, yeah. It's criminal. Let's talk about that. Before, we, before we refer specifically to that set of idiotic remarks, um, I do want to say, do you remember, I think I, we talked about this, after the first debate, I said that, that I knew that I knew that Biden prevailed. I knew that Trump had lost. I knew that was it. Trump was finished after that night. No, 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 no. If Adnan's around, ask him what he said that night. I knew it was over. And But it was so bad that not only did he ruin his night, Trump that is, he ruined Pence's night. Because all everyone was doing that night is waiting to see if Pence was going to cut her off. Nobody even heard anything except for what you just brought up. Right. And I thought his civility, although some people think he wasn't so civil, his civility undermined Trump by by, by behaving. He was showing he was reminding us how leaders are supposed to. I mean, I mean, Pence Pence is vile, too. I mean, you you know that. okay? but but he he wasn't you didn't see the vomit spewing and the sweat you know, emerging from every pore in his case, as it was with Trump. But it was also true that that it was a terrible night by any political standards. Okay, and of course, when she kept making, she said at least two or three times, right? Joe Biden does not is not going to end fracking. When in fact he is going to end fracking at some point. And then, of course, in the short term, there are the frackings that are literally destroying people's lives, and the frackings that are basically, you know, just bad. Um, and not necessarily destroying people's lives. It, it's it's all going to work its way out. You it you think there, he, you think he's going to get rid of fracking? I don't. My understanding. I was reading this very serious commentator say basically his his platform basically indicates that okay that it's going to happen. The political will in Pennsylvania right now is to get yes. rid of fracking. The people of yeah. Pennsylvania know yeah. firsthand, according to these polls. They know firsthand how bad fracking is. Why is Biden saying he's for fracking? He claims, well, I have to win Pennsylvania. No, he's taking their money. He's not going to end it. He didn't say I'm for it. Also, because the Obama administration thrived on it. I guess that's what got, you know, because all of a sudden the price of oil was so low because of all that kind of stuff. By the way, did you see that video of that that woman whose name, Wakeman, something like that, this woman who did that video about, Women in fracking. Oh, it was very funny. Yes, it was funny. Wasn't yes. It? Yeah. OK. Um, they say I know you say that Trump won in the polls. Certainly no, show that Trump lost. Trump lost. Yeah, uh, he lost. Biden won by default. Right. And they say that uh, Biden's lead doubled nationally. However, some people say that it's hard to measure how Trump did because 
the people who are going to vote for him yeah. were, were so disgusted by his performance that they wouldn't talk to pollsters. That's a, a theory of polling is yeah, when there's I, a debacle okay. like that. Yeah. You don't get right. an accurate read that he may that it may be tighter. We may be surprised on, a, on election day. Yeah, well, if if I'm wrong, then I really have to think my entire relationship to my fellow citizens. Well, you re- I want to bring in Professor Marianne Cummings. Do you remember watching the Reagan Carter debate in 1980? Oh, yeah, sure. Didn't you think? I don't know if Professor Marianne Cummings was born yet, but I remember watching <laughs> yeah. the 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 Carter Reagan debate in 1980. I had smoked a couple of bowls back then, and I was laughing hysterically at Reagan. And I thought, at or with at at Reagan, <laughs> thinking mm-hmm. there's no way this guy is going to get anywhere near the Oval Office. And the next I day. I didn't think that because I, I well, but keep in mind, you liked Carter. I didn't know any better. I didn't know you back then. <laughs> professor Marianne Cummings yeah. is besides being a physics professor, is also the commissioner, a commissioner, a parks commissioner, Aurora, Illinois. And professor, before I say hello to Professor Marianne Cummings, yeah. you're absolutely right, Professor Harvey J.K., this show is lousy with physicists. It's unbelievable. <laughs> There's so many physicists. I'm serious. The chat room is oh, filled with physicists. I remember like three and weeks ago. I'm going to take off my mask and reveal it. No! I'm a physicist. <laughs> um, I don't even know no, what a I physicist have, is. I have a, I have a, before I go, because I don't want to get in the way. Um, I don't know if I mentioned to you that when I first began to teach, I taught a year at St. Cloud State University in Minnesota. I was on a one-year contract. And the one, it was amazing to me. That there were a lot of really great activities at St. Cloud. But one of them, the best in some ways, was, by the, was organized every other week by the physics department. And they called it the Poet Society. Yeah, Poet Society. It, it met every other Friday. A professor from whatever department would be invited to talk for 15 minutes on some obsession they had. So, for example, an astronomer who was part of the physics program gave a talk on the Star of Bethlehem as an astronomical occurrence as Christmas approached, that kind of thing. I did 15 minutes on Karl Marx. You'll be entertained to know. (laughs) Anyhow, so and I remember the first time I went, I was invited. I was told, oh, you got to come. And I so I went and I turned to someone. I said, so what does this mean, poets? This is physics. They said it means piss on everything tomorrow's Saturday. So I, I have a very warm place in my heart for physicists, by the way. Professor Marianne, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. I need to go, David. I hate to say this. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Thank you, Talk Professor you Harvey J.K. Talk to you soon. Okay. Donald Trump on stage at a hangar at Orlando Sanford International Airport tonight. I feel I so thought, powerful. He says, spoke for an hour. I I get the optics because what I was really upset by last week wasn't even the debate, but just watching as Bernie Sanders held these rallies that were utterly pathetic. 
he flew, he gets in a plane through airports on limos to talk to tens of people. And, and then he's got Biden Harris all over him. And it's like, you know, the optics for that is just that, you know, this is progressivism, utterly defeated. As opposed to, like, his, his, his crowd that he attracted in Ann Arbor about seven months ago, in the cold, over 10,000 people in the central part of the campus. This was, uh, this, this, this was Bernie Sanders. And you just, you just see these pathetic little photo ops with Bernie Sanders. And then one of them, some, somebody was there with a big Trump flag flying it in front of him. And he, he used to even confront the Trumpeters that would be in his office or in meetings. And he just, he just droned on, you know. And then you look at Trump. And for the low information, for the person not directly affected by COVID as a disease, but it may be affected by COVID is they can't go out, they've lost their job, they've, you know, you just look at that optics. And it's like, yeah, well, this is what Trump knows. He's certainly not, uh, he doesn't know policy, nor does he care. And maybe he is smart, just like Reagan. They've got a lizard brain kind of certainty that you don't have to know about the policy. The lesser creatures know about the policies. Wonks, physicists, those guys, you know, the leaders, they're, they're about show of force and strength and giving hope in their own twisted way. You know, like, if you believe that this president, old as he is, um, out of shape as he appears to be, conquered COVID in a week, it makes people feel like there's less to be afraid about. It gives people hope in in an odd way. I remember my mother commenting about, uh, about old Bill Clinton. And he says, you know, Bill Clinton survived the politically unsurvivable. Just that alone gave people hope. People felt upbeat, you know, like, oh, this guy isn't being down. Like this guy was like he he had five spears thrown at him. Right. And then his enemies are suddenly the dust clears and his enemies are all hoisted on their spears. Like Newt Kingridge and that Livingston jerk. And, you know, and they're left with Denny Hastert. Right. The only guy who they were all sure didn't have a scandal in his background. <laughs> Always. You know, so anyway, yeah, the, the optics is, is everything and, and at this point with, well, with, with Trump's face. And uh, the Democrats, even though like old Biden seems to be the, the benefactor of just incredibly good luck all around. But the bottom line is, what are the Democrats offering people? I know I'm not going to mention names, but all of my um, comfortable academic friends for whom the, the COVID only meant, you know, staying at home, inconvenience, things like that. Uh, they don't get the desperation out here. They really don't. I mean, it's tailor-made for an FDR right now. Like, if the, it's tailor-made for Bernie Sanders to be the president right now. And we're going to get people who make sure who's priority. And this is no joke. I mean, do you think that the Democratic Party, if you think that the Democratic Party, I mean, the leadership now, 
the DNC types, if they really consider the, Dem- the Republicans to be their major worry, they don't. <laughs> Not at all. They get, they get into power, and their major target is going to be the progressives. You know, they're going to do business with the Republicans. They're all paid for by the same people, and I'm sure a lot on the Republican side would be very happy for the Democrats to get rid of their Trump problem, because they can't do it. Because that would piss off the base. The Republicans want to get rid of the Trump problem. They, of course they want to get yeah. rid of Trump. But they yeah. can't. They, but the Republicans, the difference between the Republican establishment and the Democratic ones is that the Republicans establishment does respect their base. They do answer to them. Whereas the Democrats just piss all over their base. Do, do the Democrats have a base? I mean, well, I, think I mean, you know, they're, they're, do they? We've there talked are, about this. The, the, there's the left. Yes. There's labor. There are the identitarians, the identity people. But is there a solid base that threatens Biden? The way the Tea I think Party there was, did. There certainly was. It was enough of a threat that they basically had to coordinate. And there was there was articles written about this. If you Googled something like Democrats stop Bernie Sanders or Democrats halt Bernie Sanders, you're going to have several articles going back to about a year and a half ago about how they really genuinely worried, including meetings with the DNC, including Pete Buttigieg, you know, some random guy in the Midwest, and others on how we were going to thwart a Bernie Sanders, you know, nomination. So they put a lot of effort into that. Uh, Harvey mentioned something something earlier about the Democrats don't seem to be able to rally to, you know, thwart their enemies. Well, yeah, they can. They did. (laughs) Because the Republicans aren't their enemies. And if you notice, even a lot of these people, like Jan Schakowsky at all, I mean, they're... They are absolutely reliable lefties when it doesn't matter at all. Who is Jan? Oh, Jan Schakowsky. She is the, uh, I think she's uh, Illinois first. It's a Chicago. Uh, it's, it, it's in Chicago or overlaps with Chicago. Mm-hmm. And she's very lefty. But, of course, she was a Hillary delegate. But she did sit back with us Bernie Sanders delegates in 2016 when they were just behaving awful. I mean, the the the, yeah, the show of unity was that all the Bernie Sanders people in every single state section were just pushed to the back. I mean, you know, this was it, it was childish, but and I liked her personally, but you know, like everything else, uh, you know, Kamala has technically the best, uh, the most progressive voting record. And what does that mean? I mean, did any of it get through? She had an opportunity for leadership and where she could have made a difference is where we, you know, we see who she really is. She didn't prosecute Mnuchin. Of course, that was one big thing I noted in the debate, luckily for her, that Pence absolutely could not bring up. Right. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things. <laughs> but he did. The one substantive hit, one or two substantive hits he had. It was just basically her record, both as DA and as AG, DA of the San Francisco area and AG, was that you know, that uh, people of color were incarcerated at a rate of 17 times higher than white people for nonviolent offenses. 
Right. And he just got that right. And, and she just, she just, look, she did what she did when uh, she was con- confronted by Tulsi Gabbard. She just kind of looked down and to the side. She giggled a little bit, you know, but she just didn't have an answer for that. So, you know, so, but by and large, the, the base of the Democratic Party, I think you see that it's not as coherent as Republicans, but you see that in all the activists and Black Lives Matter and the nurses that went on strike, the teachers went, went on strike and showed it's just we don't we don't have a party. I mean, that's the problem. There's a base, but there is whereas 50 years before this was part of the Democratic Party, you know, the, the labor unions, you know, people who were activists in, in that sense. But uh, we have really failed to do what I'm sure was uh, was Martin Luther King's vision, was to have a multiracial coalition of working class people. Because you're right, he was, was it Adnan or somebody earlier mentioned uh, Martin Luther King's The Three Evils, you know, yes. racism, ex- economic exploitation, and military exploitation. And he saw that as all stemming from the same source. So he didn't say that racism is the root of, of all evil in this country or capitalism is the root of all evil. No, it's exploitation. And they have these three faces. And we don't, we don't have that. The Democratic Party, now if Tom, now if uh, Keith Ellison had won the, uh, in, in his pursuit to take over the DNC, we may have had, we may have a very different party than we have now. But they were early on trying to make sure Obama, remember Obama got on the phone, strong, strong, strong armed a whole bunch of members of the DNC and told him to and shove this Tom Paris guy. And oh yeah, huh, Pete Buttigieg, he was running. This random guy from the Midwest. <laughs> you know, so anyway, uh, yeah, they knew what the danger was. They knew what the danger was. So they tried to, to thwart Bernie Sanders back then, and then they had to thwart him again. I mean, both times the progressives came dangerously close to taking over this party. And they failed. I mean, it, it, it was just they, they failed. They tried to fight and they failed. I don't think that negated, you know, what people had predicted before that, well, the bright spot about Hillary losing was that the progressives would be in the ascendant. And yeah, I mean, Bernie Sanders remained like the most popular politician of either party. Uh, but it's, a, it's now we're in a rough space because uh, we, I have a lot of my friends who are just so freaked out by Trump and that he's driving all this evil. To me, it's not that Trump, I mean, Trump is horrible, but it's like being freaked out at Bernie Madoff and say, this is the guy, this is the guy, you know, this is what's, you know, brought all the, all the financial fraud and all the, you know, shenanigans and just the utter corruption of the system. Now we got him. We got him. He's in prison now and everything's okay. Right. And that's the feeling I'm getting here because it's not Trump. Trump is a symptom. And, you get rid of Trump and you're just right back to status quo ante and all the all the forces that gave us Trump are just still there and not addressed. I think there's something else is climate change. I mean, uh, 
I just read through the the, the House bill. It's not going to get passed in the Senate, but still, it's like almost a $2.3 billion giveaway to fossil fuels because there's this capture coalition that seems to be, I mean, their representatives are on the transition team for Biden, notably Ernie Moniz. And uh, reading through Biden's Was he website, the interior secretary under? No, he was the secretary of energy under, under Obama. Uh, no, under Obama. It was uh, Stephen Chu was uh, in the first term and Ernie Moniz was the second term. And they He's, take uh, jobs with fracking companies. They leave the Obama well, administration. Well, well, I think there's or they form these advisory groups that take right. a lot of money from the fossil fuel industry. And and apparently um, there's these people who were on uh, who were including the uh, EPA director of the EPA under Obama are now part of this advisory board to this, you know, capture coalition, CO2 capture coalition. And it's just, it's crazy. I mean, no serious climate scientist thinks this is the way to go. Ernie Moniz thinks this is the way to go, but he's getting paid a lot of money to say this. He's a, uh, not a, he's a nuclear physicist. (laughs) I'm a scientist, but I would think he would know better. I mean, look, the whole problem, and Tom Hartman just vividly describes this, our, our whole problem with this carbon, with getting our energy from carbon, is we keep poking holes in the earth. And all of this carbon comes out that should have been safely, which we've evolved with it safely ensconced in the earth. And it gets out of the safely ensconced in the earth and out into the atmosphere. And... You know, we've seen fracking, uh, the greenhouse gas effect from the from kilowatt hours of fracking is as high as coal. Now they've upgraded it because of the methane that naturally escapes. And well, we just you know we just fix the leaks. No, no. leaky pipes is a business model for the oil and pipe industry. I mean, this was all explained. I think the, the Intercept did an article about this three or four years ago, where. The whole business model is they come in, they build these pipes, they they inevitably leak. That's why they always leak. Because then the oil companies or the pipe companies come in uh, with a big contract to repair. So they've got a contract, which is a income source for the next, you know, how many years? It, look, it's capitalism, it's corruption. And this is... Well, it's not even corruption. This is capitalism sort of working as design. People figure out a way to maximize profit. And, you know, I, I often interpret, if you wanted to call it democratic socialism, I call it FDR capitalism or FDR economics, is that there's just some things that are too essential to be left to the market. And the more crowded this planet gets and the more our you know, global risks are most everything that's important. It's way, just way too freaking important uh, to be left to the, to the market. It's just critical now. There is no market. So if you read, if you care to, if you read Biden's, uh, the, off the, off his uh, energy and environmental statement off of his website, it's rather lengthy. And it mouths all these platitudes about how important this is and that is. But then you read down and you get to the core of it. It's like, you know, this needs to be based in market-based solutions. It's not, no, it, it doesn't. It can't. 
We didn't have market-based solutions to fight Nazis. And market-based solutions did not get us out of the Great Depression. You know, so it's... Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think about what are in the heads of these people who think they're liberals and have the power to really do something. And what is in the heads of our Saul and, and Andrew and our erstwhile colleague, Bill Foster, blue dog Democrat, who's my congressman, that he thinks that this carbon sequestration and enhanced oil recovery is the way to go. Both he and Sean Caston, who also brands himself uh, an environmental scientist, they both, well, they make money. I mean, the people who give to their campaigns are why they think that way. And it's too, it's really seductive. I mean, I've never been in a situation nor put myself in one where people are sucking up to me even for more than half an hour before somebody is smacking me upside the head <laughs> with a, you know, with, uh, with a complimentary point of view. <laughs> but can you imagine like surrounded by people that are kissing your ass morning, noon, and night? And then just puffing you up. Oh, what brilliant insight. Oh, he gives these talks and from the American Enterprise Institute that Bill Foster does. And they're just amazed at his physics analogies, which are all complete horseshit describing the economy. But he makes them feel smart and they make him feel special. And it's like they're not talking to us. I mean, they don't talk to us. It, the, for the top tier of even the Democrats, Ivanka Trump is a person to them. We are just this unwashed, howling mob that threatens their position of power. All right. Mm-hmm. And I'm serious. This, this is true. Picture of Nancy Pelosi's son, Paul, with his arm around Ivanka, New Year's Eve 2018 at Mar-a-Lago. They party with each other. I mean, Ivanka was Hillary of uh, Chelsea Clinton's very close friend. What is Paul? Paul is he a lobbyist? I would assume Paul. I, he's he's Nancy Pelosi's son. Right. I mean, all of these. All so these he's a landlord. People, yeah, or or a Hunter Biden, somebody who didn't make his own way, but he's invited to these things because of who he's related to. Hunter Biden gets the the Ukraine energy thing was actually a fairly small thing. All the China deals that his uh, hedge firm that he runs with uh, Chris Chris Hines, uh, John Kerry's stepson, you know, those were billion dollars more of contracts. And then basically, what is it? Because he's Biden's son, and that's what these boards, our advisory boards, are is that they're full of people, you know, who have access to other people. That's the whole point of it. So, so anyway, my point is, is that uh, I know it would feel so good to think that, oh, if Biden just won, we'd have that glowy feeling we had when Obama won that night. And that just isn't the case. I mean, these people, it's not like they're even evil. It's just that they're highly limited individuals who have played at a rigged game, and have gotten stupid, and whose sphere of people that give them input. I mean, Elizabeth Warren said a very important thing once, years before she was a, a senator, that that interview with Bill Moyer, 
that she did um, back in the early 2000s when she described how she met with Hillary Clinton in the late, you know, at the end of Bill Clinton's regime. And uh, but she convinced Hillary at the time that the bankruptcy bill that the Clinton administration was pushing was going to be a disaster for middle class people. And she convinced Hillary. Hillary turned around and she basically saw to it that the objectionable parts were out of that bill. Two years later, as a senator, she's voting for essentially the same bill. And what and Bill Maher said, well, you know, why? She says, well, pressures are different. And she says, you don't understand. Uh, it's not just that they give her money. She just looks at them as constituents. She talks to these people like, you know, Blankfein, uh, Lloyd Blankfein of, of Goldman Sachs. That's a personal friend of hers. Even the people who are adversaries, she knows them personally. So even their purported adversaries have a human face. So she sees her concerns. She hears their concerns. She sees that they're human beings, not monsters. And that's the problem, is that our political class at the top has absolutely no connection to any of us. So... um, you know, my concerns going forward, as you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to vote for Biden. I'm saying that loudly, clearly. But uh, my concerns are, well, one, if Trump manages to pull it off, uh, that, of course, there will be a lot of my liberal friends just kind of in fetal positions for a month. But when I'm talking to the uh, activists that I've been involved with here, the young activists, just prepare yourself, you know. You're going to get a lot of pushback from the Democratic Party. Suddenly, the Democratic establishment is not going to look at it as like a convenient kind of instrument to like help get or get Trump out of office. So the Black Lives Matter protests and Sunrise Movement. But once they're in power, then they become supreme nuisances. And it's going to be a lot harder, and you're going to have to. It's not that it's not doable, and that you can't demand that we we can't pressure people. It's going to be a lot harder than they maybe think. Yeah, but and you're going to be, be and you'll hey, be blamed. Give him some space. He just got into office. You know, he's got to make some deals with the Republicans. But he pulled all this bull crap nonstop for two years until there's just this major takeover like Howie Klein predicts the Republicans take over the House and Senate again. It's never going to end until like progressives can be coherent and say no. As Lawrence Donald said, he never had to listen to the left when he was a top Senate aide. He said never. And he said if you want to be listened to at all by the Democrats, you must you absolutely must be willing to not vote for them. You're never going to be listened to otherwise. So interesting times are ahead. It's all Bernie's fault. If oh, it's going to be all our fault. It'll be Bernie's fault one way or the other, you right. know? It's, so Fantastic. Fantastic. Professor Marianne Cummings is a parks commissioner for Aurora, Illinois. How's your park? coming oh they've got the big pipes for the slash pad right there i was actually it was a gorgeous gorgeous night fall night i was out right before i came here i was out uh, getting petitions 
for myself, uh, signatures for myself and for John Lash, a, a fellow progressive who's running for mayor of Aurora, you know, in the spring consolidated elections. And it was just wonderful. I didn't have to think at all about the November election. Just talk to people. Fantastic. Talk to you next week, I hope. Or on uh, what's today? Today is Monday. Monday. Maybe Thursday. Thank you so much. Great job. Thank you. Hi, Mark. When we come back, we will be joined by Mark Breslin, the founder and president of Yuck Yucks. Professor Mike Steinel. Well, joining us in Toronto, Canada, is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in in North America, perhaps the world. Please welcome Mark Breslin. Hello there, Mark. Oh, this keeps cutting out, David. What's cutting can out? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, because I can't see you. Does it matter? Uh, you you're are. lucky. Sorry. Well, um, by the way, I want to thank you for using that blues harp uh, to introduce me. There's nothing that sets me up better than blues harp. Ah, how was your Thanksgiving? Well, here's the thing, you know, it's a Canadian Thanksgiving. And for the longest time, we really didn't celebrate in a big way because we really didn't feel that there was all that much to give thanks for. Right. But now it's become a big holiday. When I grew up, when I grew up, it was not any kind of a holiday whatsoever. We got it off school. That's all I remember. But you see, Americans have an entire narrative based on Thanksgiving. There's uh, the turkey. There's 
the pilgrims. There is the famous, you know, first meal with the Indians. There's the smallpox blankets. You know, there's all those things that say how much you have to give thanks for. But Canadians don't have that story. And so it kind of limped along as a kind of um, not really a holiday holiday. And in the last little while, of course, because, you know, it's another it's another excuse to buy things in this case groceries uh it's become this this real holiday but it's it's unusual for me it's it's it was not what i the way i was brought up the other holiday that has become a big holiday at this time of year that was nothing when i was a kid was halloween halloween was just you know you went around to a couple of houses and you got some candy and you thought it was a big deal you put on a a ghost uniform a ghost costume you took a sheet and you punched two holes in it now I drive up and down these streets and they're, it's like they're art directed. It's Tim Burton they brought in and it's mm-hmm. also incredible and stuff. And this is all very foreign to me. Yeah. Very same, foreign to me. Same here with Halloween. So your Thanksgiving in Canada is you're just thankful you're not in America. Mm. Certainly now. Um, what although, is the origin no, story for Canada? What Our origin story is, you know, the pilgrims and the Indians, the Native Americans, and they saved us. The Native Americans saved the pilgrims from starvation. What is your Thanksgiving? There is none. There is none. It's just, we're just, it's the way that Jews celebrate Christmas is the way that Canadians celebrate Thanksgiving. Chinese food? No, turkey, (laughs) but... There's no story about the turkey. The turkey is just a bird that happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Got its head chopped off. Let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, so what is the what is the Canadian origin story? I mean, we hear in America there is none, David. Well, hang there on for one no, hang on for one second. In America, okay. in America, yes. you have to buy the premise, and if you don't buy the premise, you're un-American and you're suspect and they're going to send you to Guantanamo. You have to buy into this premise that we were founded by these white men who got the Constitution from God and we're free and we believe in democracy and anybody can make it here in America. And if you don't believe that, get out. What is what is Canada's catechism we don't have one. You don't even have every country has an origin story, has some kind of no, catechism. You know what? No, our origin story is uh, it's a peaceable kingdom. And uh, there's a, a group of people who get together in 1867, um, all white men, of course, from all across the country, except the country was small then, didn't extend much past uh, Ontario. And they signed a bunch of pieces of paper. It's very legal, very legalistic. And Canada was born. That's all it is. There's no violence. There's no narrative. There's no real story. It's all very sober. This is a very sober country in spite of the fact that people, you know, drink beer 24 bottles <laughs> at a time. But, um, and then watch hockey and then beat their wives. But besides that... <laughs> There's really no, there's really no origin. I'm not laughing at hockey. I'm not laughing at hockey. It's a very violent game. I hate hockey. Uh, No, I was supposed to, I was supposed to be apologizing for the wife beating, but I figured I'd apologize for. Yes, I got it. I got it. Okay. 
your son? Does he pledge allegiance? I don't be my wait, 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 wait. I just for the, I don't beat my wife. Okay. You know, even though I made that joke, I have others come over and do it for me. <laughs> we um, can't. No, no, no. That was no, Dave. <laughs> no, listen, David, and this is how they get what's called stage time. <laughs> this we can't. It's, it's a trade. We okay. Your wife would laugh at this. Sure, but, she would. But we can't. Can't do that. Okay, fine. We can't. Does your son pledge allegiance to America at school? What? Well, do, he doesn't we, even pledge allegiance to Canada. Your the kids in Canada? Do they pledge allegiance to the flag? No. Seriously, absolutely not. When you were no, growing we up, they didn't make you pledge allegiance to, to the no. flag. We sang. We sang. God save the Queen before um, Trudeau repatriated the Constitution, and then we sang "O Canada," which is a beautiful and, song. O Canada. Yeah, it's a beautiful. Or song. God save the Queen. But they're both prettier than the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, I think God Save the Queen is actually a prettier song. It has a nicer melody. Um, but O Canada, of course, has the word Canada in it, which is always a good thing for a national anthem to have, <laughs> is to have the name of the country in the, uh, in the anthem. So, um, the, uh, but, but no, we never pledged allegiance to a flag or, or had to recite anything in Canada. It was never done. Never. Loyalty oaths. Did they in the 50s? Were there fear? Did you have McCarthyism in the 50s? No. Absolutely not. You weren't no worried about communists infiltrating your government? Not only did that, we were not worried about it. One of the most celebrated uh, politicians in Canada in that era was uh, the leader of the Canadian Communist Party, Joseph Salzburg. And he uh, was in federal government for something like 30 years. My grandfather was friends with him. There wasn't that same fear about communism. But there also weren't like a lot of communists in government. I think Salzburg was the only guy who actually got elected. But nobody was blacklisted in the 50s? There wasn't this No, there was none of that. None of that. See, to be blacklisted, you would have to have an industry. That could blacklist you, but there's so there was so little production going on in Canada that there was no there was no room to uh, to blacklist anybody. Okay, that joke aside, actually, the the CBC was mostly run by um, Scottish socialists at the time, um, and um, there was uh, I can't remember the person's name. The National Film Board uh, was actually um, a government body that uh, financed most of the productions in Canada. So it was kind of a socialist uh, show business culture to begin with. Will you invade us, please? Uh, Can Canada no. please? To, please, no, no. please. I would collaborate in a second. Of course you would, but um, that's that's probably not going to happen. And it's not like, as I've said before, it's not like we don't have a, some kind of conservative wing. But our conservative wing, like for instance. The most conservative politician in Canada would still wear a mask for COVID and advocate everybody to wear masks. They just want a tighter money supply. Um, they just want less rules in government, you know, which, uh, which, of course, I don't necessarily agree with. But it's not as toxic as anything that you have there and as not and toxic as anything that you have had there and probably will never be like that in Canada. How do you see this ending? 
in America, or it ended. <laughs> when did it end? Here? Well, I said before, it's not with a bang, but a whimper. I just see it as a balloon with a slow leak. And, um, you know, it's three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, then it becomes three steps back, two steps forward. And I'm not sure where that tipping point is exactly, but maybe that's exactly where that tipping point is. Right. Is, is this a Hegelian dialectic or the hokey pokey? I can't Moment. figure it. Well, I always thought the Hegelian dialectic was the hokey pokey, but then I realized it's not a good dance for amputees. Oh, come on. Because you put your left foot out, you put your left foot in, you put your left foot out, you put your left foot in. And not only that, if you look at the hokey pokey, not only is it bad for, for amputees, yeah, you're, you're freezing on me. Hello? You froze. Uh, Uh-oh, I think I froze. You froze. Oh. So you, you said the hokey pokey is not only bad for amputees, but... Uh. But also for amputees with Parkinson's, because then you're supposed to shake... <laughs> You're supposed to shake it all around. We're freezing. You're all shake frozen. All, well, no. In Canada, it's shake it all about because that's more of a British way of saying it. Okay. For some reason, you're freezing on me. All right. Uh, maybe. Uh, I know. Uh, the uh, Maybe this late at night, the Internet connection is unstable or maybe it's just me that's unstable. Now, I got to tell you what I was doing just before I, I came on with you. I was watching myself on television on network TV in Canada. Um, there is a new documentary on Howie Mandel that got its network uh uh, its network debut. And I was watching myself. Oh, the um, guns, germs and steel. Howie they- from White. The name, Sorry, of the, the name of the documentary was Guns, Germs, and Steel, I believe. Uh, something else. Okay, I'm ahead. not sure that was what it is. But, um, <laughs> so it's, it's a documentary it's on Howie Mandel. Yeah. And it's a very good, well-made documentary by a uh, well-known documentarian in Canada named Barry Averitt. He's, done, he's the guy who did the um, uh, uh, Harvey Weinstein doc. And... <laughs> What did they uncover? What did they uncover about Howie? Well, there's nothing to really uncover about Howie, but he talks a lot about his strange kind of quasi-mental illnesses. So Howie's never been a common... I've been very close with Howie most of his career, and I really like Howie um, for a lot of reasons, which I can explain to you. I know comics generally don't really groove on Howie Mandel, but um, the audiences sure do. And I've always really enjoyed what he does. But um, and he's a he's nice never guy. Been a comic who's talked a lot. He's a very nice guy. But that's not enough of a reason for me to like him. He's a fantastic prankster and practical joker and uh, hoax hoax hoaxer. Um, but uh, what what I really like about Howie is that um, in the Canadian context in 1978, this guy was silly. And Canada's not a silly place. We have a lot of, um, we have a good comedy tradition, but it's always kind of political, kind of um, observational. And along comes this guy who will do anything to get a laugh. And it was manic and crazed. And if there's anything I really love, it's craziness. And he was crazy to a T. And anyway, in this doc, he talks about the things that he, that 
he really is crazy for him. Like he has terrible OCD. He has terrible um, fear of people touching him, which now looks brilliant. By mm-hmm. the way, looks like he's way ahead of the way ahead of the curve. You know, when he used to travel, when he would go to hotel rooms. He would take one of those black lights and he would move, sort of wave it around the room and anything that was a stain, he would take the bedding off. He would travel with his own bedding. And this was decades ago. Right Now we all do it. <laughs> the luminol. Anyway. Sp- spray the place yes. with luma. I read somewhere that he has two homes in Malibu, one for his family and one for him when his family has the sniffles. Does he talk about that in the... Um, he does not. Uh, that, that detail did, did not come out, but I think you're right about that. Uh, first of all, he's very close with with his. Uh, do you mean his his actual family, like his nuclear family? Yeah, I thought that like he, his, his wife and his kids. Yeah, I've never heard that. I've never heard about the. I've never heard the story about the two homes in Malibu. Um, and I don't think he lives in Malibu. I think he lives in the hills. Okay, but OCD. It's a serious, serious problem. Is he better? Is is it getting better? No, I definitely thought- not. Listen, I saw him for the first time in a couple of years when I was being interviewed. Um, they used me to sort of surprise him on set. And how much I wanted to just give him a big hug. Of course, I couldn't. The most I could do was, you know, fist pump him. Right. And that was it. No, it's not getting better. He is who he is. And look, the title of his book, um, his autobiography, the most salient thing in his life is this fear of being touched, fear of germs. And so what's the book called? And the book, the title has to do with that. Like, don't right. touch me or something. I'm not touching you, I believe. Yeah. That would be. So what? what is it? Is it a fear? Of, I mean, what would Freud say? What, 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 what would cause something like that? Bad toilet, toilet training? Toilet training, probably. Yeah, I'll have to ask Howie about his toilet training next time I see him. <laughs> That'll be a good conversation for us to get into. I'm a bit of a germ phobe. I mean, I, 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 I'm a hand washer. I mean, I'll wash my hands. Uh, I'm a hand wringer. It's not quite the same thing. That's just worrying. Um, my wife is much more. You are breaking cautious up. About you You are breaking up it may be here i don't know let let, yeah you're frozen let's see uh, zachary is in no i think it's here let me see if how zachary is in canada zachary how are you I'm good, David, but I think that you're the real germ here for the audience. You're the the real infection. But let me ask you about, because Mark is now completely frozen. So would you say, is that that me? Because you're in Canada tonight, right? Yes. Okay, so we're... Now you're... (laughs) Now Mark's coming into, into focus. Mark is completely frozen. Okay, good. Because I, th- I, th- I, I thought that the winter hadn't started here in Canada yet, but uh, <laughs> apparently in Toronto it has. Uh, right. not knowing, knowing? Yeah. Well, what, you raised your hand. You have a question for Mark. I'll answer. David, 
No, I was just going to say I know the what Canadian Thanksgiving is about. Oh, okay. And did you celebrate? Love to hear it. Oh, now now Mark is back. <laughs> oh, he's unfrozen. Uh, the 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 deluge of winter has 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 left. Uh, no, it's uh, about uh, the discovery of the Northwest Passage. Very Canadian thing. Super Canadian thing to celebrate. Is that true, Mark, or is Zachary making stuff up? He's making it up. I've never heard that. It's not that's something that I think every school kid knows. I didn't know that. I don't know much about the Northwest Passage and its discovery. What year would that have been, Zach? Uh, that would have been in the 1830s. Okay. Yeah, I was born in 1952, so I don't really know. <laughs> A little bit, you know, the same time. It's the same time. Like, you guys are that old anyways. So like, that was the North-South Passage, your birth. Yeah. Uh, well, let me see if I can com- communicate with Mr. Breslin. We may have to. It, it's I was looking. I, I was looking forward to this. So what did you eat tonight? Oh, um, no, we we celebrated our. Um, our Thanksgiving last night and the night before, and it was a very traditional turkey stuffing, uh, scalloped potatoes, uh, delicious um, maple carrots, mm. uh, and uh, apple pie. Sound nice? That sounds. Are you allowed to eat apple pie? Yes, I'm allowed to eat apple pie. Wow. And have the ducks come back? No, we gave the ducks up, and uh, but we those, shouldn't they fly? Con, Conrad Lorenz would say they were imprinted by you, and they would fly back to visit you and your family. It's a bit of a of a flight. Um, it's about a three hour drive where the farm is. When we dropped them off, my son cried. We all had a good cry, and then we left them. And if we went back, I don't think we'd really recognize them because there's about four hundred ducks there. Or maybe that's tomorrow, next Thanksgiving's dinner. <laughs> have, have, have you served duck yet to your son? No, um, and this is no. We won't be able to call it duck. We'll have to call it crispy meat or something. <laughs> and how's how's the cat? It's chicken and orange sauce. Daddy, I didn't know they had chicken. They put orange <laughs> sauce on chicken. Oh yeah, French. <laughs> How's the cat? The cat is doing great. Um, the cat, I think the cat was abused, is my guess, because the cat loves us. The cat only wants to be in the same room as us. Um, we can pet her, but we can't hold her or pick her up. So I think the cat was right. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Do you think cats are... Is it a male or a female? A female. I didn't say the cat went to prison. <laughs> Jesus. How's the... <laughs> how is, how's comedy doing? <laughs> well, um, there, there's been a new lockdown and the Toronto Club is closed and the Ottawa Club is closed, but the suburban clubs in the Toronto area are still open and the Alberta clubs are still open. So right now we're down to four. 
I was hoping, I mean, you know, as much as I hate Trump and the Republicans, it seems yes. like the second wave is coming to Liverpool, France, and Canada. There is a second wave. So it's not just There's the a second wave. We had we had something like 900 cases in in the province. That's too many. So they've shut things down again. Right. Right. Oh, you can get rid of it. It's really easy. Everybody simply doesn't leave the house for at least a month. By that time, anybody who's sick will have been treated. Right. But if they shut it down completely, and I mean completely, then this would start to go away. Go away. Yeah. So they're doing a piecemeal. They're deciding, okay, well, weddings are still okay, but funerals are not. I don't see the difference between a wedding and a funeral, (laughs) but that's a whole other issue. That took a moment, but I'm glad that you listened. Yeah, you're freezing. Next time we talk, we should uh, talk about funeral plans. Do it earlier. Yeah. Uh, you're, you know what? Uh, this is torture because I, I, I want to talk to you and you're breaking up. So let's yeah, do this. I'm sorry. This is torture for me, too. But the show usually is. <laughs> Thank you. Mark Breslin <laughs> is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks. And we'll talk to you next week with a better connection. Sounds good. Thank you. I love you. Thanks, David. I love you. Thank you. Bye. I love you, too. Thank you. Mark Breslin, we I I could keep talking to him, but the connection is just uh, not good. I think we have Dave Cyrus, who's due here any minute. Right. Is that correct, Dan? But if you want, we could go to the newsroom and find out what's happening in our community billboard. Are you ready for a community billboard, Dan? Yes, I am. Okay. How are you? Good. How are you? How how badly was he breaking up? It was rough. I texted you a few minutes ago saying it was it was uh, not you. Yes. Sometimes it's bad on Zoom, but it's okay on the podcast. So it's a little confusing. But tell me. Hey, did Tom Weber sell all his paintings i'm not sure how much he sold i didn't quite make it to the event but i know a few people that did and they said everything looked awesome but i'm not sure how the sales went right do you have a cold uh yes i do can you hear my gravelly voice yeah it sounds like it's going through your nose no it's coming out my throat oh Well, I hope you're going to be well enough for our COVID town squares this Saturday night at 930. Big show. Big show. Got work to do. Henry Huckamacki, the irritable immunologist, this Saturday night at 930. Tickets are on sale. They're only $15. I guess they're going to be tiers, right? Have we come up with tiers yet? Yep. They're going to be similar to last time. Uh, One of them changed. Henry, in addition to the, the... steel knives he makes he makes hand carved wooden butter knives butter knives yes he sent i put a picture inside the event break thing so people can check them out but yeah that, that's part of one of the tiers this time if you that hakamaki hakamaki if you want to stab some butter that's <laughs> the uh any other tiers um yes they're similar to last time 
we have um, the general admission, which is 15 bucks like usual. Then we have the super generous for 30 bucks. And that's where it's uh, you get your name in the credits, mm-hmm. which that's always fun. Right. Um, last time we had a few. Um, I have a new personal bartender, Sarah Bush, personal bartender to Dan Frankenberger. Oh, good. That was uh, is that this week's credits or last week's credits? That was COVID Town Squares three. Okay. So, and we're coming up on number four. Uh, number four. Kathleen, Kathleen has a human spoon partner who is real Ricky. Right. There's a hair we, plug wrangler, as I understand. The, the previous show there was right, but this, and a donkey this, uh, fluffer. I think somebody donkey paid. fluffer was one. Yep. And uh, Lane Lane has a had a credit this past time. He was an inspirational hug provider. Oh. Okay. Well, that's nice. Tell us about the community. What What is our community up to this? Um, I wanted to bring up our show uh, a few days ago on Saturday. We had a show with Dr. Jen. Yes. And evening with Dr. Jen. We uh, examined a bunch of interesting pictures that, that she brought up, and she explained the scenarios and took questions of the scenes being displayed. So that was fun. And her Twitter handle is at real Dr. Jen, and her website is jenniferverdelin.com. And lastly, her YouTube channel, which is which is pretty cool. It's called Wild Connection TV. Right. And and we have an evening with Dr. Jen on our YouTube channel. So if you want to watch it, it's about 90 minutes. Bert Ross was hysterical. You did a great job wrangling yep. everybody. An evening with Dr. Jen. We decided to thank everybody for showing up at the pay-per-views. And we decided to just put on a show Saturday night with Dr. Jen. We'll do more of those. I, that That was fun and she is absolutely she's just a oh, yeah. gift she knows you can do a six hour show with her and I no know, problem I know. the time's flying by yeah. one last thing uh, since Dave is here um, episode one and two of the radio play COVID Confidential has now been released on YouTube uh, the YouTube channel is called COVID Confidential but since it's so new it's a little tough to search for so to find it easily you can go to Twitter at COVID underscore radio and uh, they're linked up in there. And episode three will be debuting at the end of the COVID Town Squares this Saturday. And I think I have a part. I have a part in that. You ever turn your lines in? I know I have to turn my lines in. I'm going to do it later tonight. For those of you who don't know, the end of COVID Town Squares, Henry puts on a little radio, film noir, radio noir play. And there's some familiar voices in it. Fantastic. <laughs> He and Kathleen worked really hard. There's a they're scientifically accurate and it, it relate the characters relate to mm-hmm. different cell structures and everything with the disease. It's pretty cool. Great. Please join us this Saturday night at nine thirty for the COVID Town Squares. And it, it's very easy to buy tickets. You just go to DavidFeldmanShow.com, hit the pay per view, drop down menu will take you straight to Eventbrite and you can buy your tickets there. You need a, a Zoom account as well as an Eventbrite account to purchase tickets. And this time the link will be on my website. I screwed up two weeks ago. The link was not on my website. Anything else, Dan? No, sir. That's it for now. Very good. Thank you, Dan. Well, let us now go to Brooklyn or L.A. Maybe Brooklyn. LA. Brooklyn. How would, I, how would I be in L.A.? Things don't go anywhere anymore. Where's your People microphone? Don't... Where's your microphone? Do you not hear it? That's better. Yeah, it's fine. This should be fine. Did you get a new microphone? 
No, it's a long story. I can't use the brass one today. Someday it's coming back. Okay. But this should be fine. Let me you give you a proper thinks. let me give you a proper Just fine. Let me give you a proper introduction. Dave Cyrus is a screenwriter, comedy writer. You've seen his work recently on SNL. He was just working on a puppet show for Fox. And his new movie is The King of Staten Island, starring the brilliant Pete Davidson, Bill Burr, and Marissa Tomei. It's directed by Judd Apatow. How are you, sir? Keep working with Bill Burr over here. Yeah, I had uh, I Bill, worked on Bill was hysterical on SNL. He, he, he mustered a lot of controversy, I've been told. Because of the cancel culture stuff? Yes, he was very people were very offended that he said you can't cancel John Wayne. So right. and it's just like, I mean, no, I thought it was funny. I think, you know, I, I'm the last person to defend the sort of anti because, like, look, sometimes you can say, oh, that was a mean thing to say but you know as well as i do that there are a lot of people who don't really think about things whether they're appropriate or not they're just they think that they make it in life if they can be the first person to start a movement to destroy someone they all Mm -hmm. want to be suey parks they want to have disingenuous uh you know attempts at proving how great they are by destroying someone else and it's like all that matters is intent and the intent of bill burr's act was simply to show us that white women are the enemy. So I don't see the problem. Right. But John Wayne. I've talked about before. I've talked about it before. White women have been the real force behind what bad things white men have done for hundreds of years. And I'm, I'm glad we're finally shifting the blame to them. Right. John Wayne, though, bad guy. I mean, of course, it's just funny to go back 50 years. But, you know, his, you know, you know, this guy, really the guy who I only know as murdering Indians in movies was a bad guy. Well, it's not just murdering Indians. He he glorified war, but he himself was a coward. He never served in World War Two. He was a draft dodger in World War Two. That that takes a a lot. Huh? That's a bad one to be a, that, a draft. John writer. Wayne dodged the draft for World War Two. He then went after. Even you would have fought in that one. Yes, for the Germans, though. Why didn't you? <clears throat> because uh, Adolf Hitler wasn't accepting Jews into the uh, Luftwaffe. Uh, John Wayne dodged the draft in World War Two, made movies that glorified war, came out with a movie called The Green Berets, which glorified American involvement in Vietnam. He himself was a draft dodger on the good war, went after the draft dodgers who dodged the bad war, Vietnam, was a a McCarthyite, a devotee who named names. Bad, bad guy. Cooperated with the House Un-American Activities Committee said things about Native Americans that should be stricken from our language. He was a bad, bad guy. It just isn't the Playboy interview. It's the way he lived his life, John Wayne. And he's not irrelevant because he continues to be one of the most popular movie stars in American history. When you poll American moviegoers, he's still one of the top Favorite well, draws. Bad guy. He was one of the biggest names in movies. 
I've known, we know the name John Wayne so much. I, I've never seen anything he's ever done, which I find funny. It's like his name seems so much more famous than well, his work. The John Ford movies. I mean, he is considered up there with Jimmy Stewart as, you know, definitional of America. He is. Yeah, that's true. So he should be canceled. His statue should be torn down. He's a bad well, I think guy. Really, honestly, it seems like it's more like the definite. It's more like the definition of thinking of canceling as something that you can't really do retroactively. It's supposed to be to stop someone getting work. But I mean, yeah, of course, John sure you a can. Person. Sure you can. I mean, you have to put like, are we? Are we excuse me for one second. On? Excuse me for one second. Gone with the Wind is a detestable movie. With, it does not I, age well. It does not age well. I believe you. Well. haven't seen it. Okay. And so it needs historical context. You have to explain Butterfly McQueen and Hattie McDaniel. And the, the, the depiction of happy slaves would be oh, like... Gone with the Wind? It would be like Schindler's List. It would be like the, the, the camps are liberated and the Jews are going, will, will, will they be Okay. Will the Nazis be okay? We're going to miss them. We'll stay here. I mean, going with them, reprehensible has to be put into historical context. Same thing with John Wayne movies, the way he depicts the genocide of Native Americans. It's just plain genocide. I'm assuming it was essentially we won. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have no problem believing that at all. Uh, what I was saying about Columbus was it's like, I was I was going to say that, like, the term canceling for Columbus seems a little light. Like, we shouldn't talk about Columbus the same way we talk about a celebrity who, uh, you know, had an offensive tweet. He, Columbus is one of the worst historical figures we know. You know, it's almost like it cheapens the word to call it canceling when it comes to, like, an actual genocidal pimp, slave right. uh, driver. But the Italians... Are probably oh, happy, Colum- happy Columbus Day. I don't happy celebrate Day. Columbus Day. Yes. Well, you do celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. I don't. Even even when it felt like it had the right to go to a holiday that already existed and just say it was theirs. <laughs> do you think we're overreacting to uh, to what to looking Bill at Burr? our history okay. and picking and choosing what we should celebrate and what we shouldn't. I think there's nothing no, wrong. No, people need to know that. I know. I believe that history should be known and I don't believe in sugarcoating it. And I don't believe in not knowing things because they make us feel better. I've met, I've many times said things on this show um, in terms of like people I agree with may have misconceptions about certain things in history. For example, Cleopatra. People are angry that Gal Gadot is going to play Cleopatra because she is, of course, Israeli. She's white. And the th- and people say, why do you have a, a, an African or an Arab person play Cleopatra? I actually disagree with that. Cleopatra was a colonizer. Cleopatra she was, was Greek. A, she was a Greek colonizer. Yeah. Give her the credit of being played by an indigenous person in Egypt when she was not indigenous to Egypt. She was the, she was a dictator who was the, who was the direct descendant of a foreign white person who colonized that country. Screw Cleopatra. Kiss my asp. Nice. I get it. I, I don't, um, I'm that imagine video is why she shouldn't be. What's her name? Gil, Gil, Gal, Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. I've heard Gal Gadot, and someone told me it was Gal Gadot, and I was flabbergasted that that could be true. 
That Imagine video. I didn't actually watch it because it's music. Um, I don't. I was not mad at it because of intention. They didn't mean to taunt us with how nice the houses behind their heads were. No, I'm talking about their choice. It's a John Lennon song, and John Lennon is a notorious wife beater. He used to beat Cynthia Lennon. He smacked her around. That's what I found offensive about that video. You are the only person who's brought that up as the reason it was offensive. But 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 John Lennon, who would have been 80, beat his wife. Well, look, I think that John Lennon... John Lennon and John Wayne, bad guys. I think John Lennon should be known as a wife beater. However, I'm not going to tell anyone they can't listen to the Beatles. I would never say that you're a bad person if you don't if you listen to the Beatles because John Lennon hit his wife. Just like I would say you're allowed to watch a movie with Kevin Spacey in it still. It doesn't you know, not a new one, but an older one. I don't think you should be able to say you're not allowed to let your kids watch Usual Suspects because one of the actors in it was a monster. So I don't I don't cotton to the idea that we have to expunge everyone's legacy. We just have to know if you like the Cosby show. It doesn't that doesn't bother me. But you have to admit, you know, that he's a rapist and that he deserves to be in jail. A rapist who deserves to be in jail. Right. Bill Cosby. You know, I don't mind if you watch, you know, any movie that has a monster in it, as long as you're acknowledging what you're doing like because that way you don't get the other problem which is where people say well i like r kelly's music therefore i think he's innocent no we should have people say look you just you, you can like the music fine just admit he goddamn did it mm-hmm. i have a rule when it comes to these accusations even with john lennon i need more than one person to come forward it's fair that that it's unfair. You know, I, I do believe that Cynthia Lennon told the truth and that nobody cared because the music was so good. But people are still entitled to a trial. And you're innocent until proven guilty. It's unfortunate. But if only one person comes forward, it's hard to prove guilt. So if Yoko came out and said he also hit her he would get a parade down exactly. Fifth Avenue. you're welcome for setting you up for that uh, <laughs> exactly um yes but isn't well, that isn't that basically well, how we have to deal here, with though. these accusations you you No, yeah you can't just assume every single accusation is true most are but you can't you should not assume and uh a good rule of thumb is usually a predator continues to predate. They can't help themselves. And I think that's a very fair thing to say. Obviously, there are some single accusers who are guilty, of course. But it, but when we have the responsibility of having to parse out who to punish and who not to, the repeat offenders are obviously a better candidate. If you've been accused of assaulting 20 women, that means you're more likely to have done it than someone who's accused of assaulting one. So I, I have no problem with that. But of course, unless there's other details, you know, there could be single accusations that do have corroborating details and or whatever reason that we should take very seriously anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, so what was SNL like? It was fine. I mean, I've been how many times, times have you been tested? Uh, <laughs> well, I was there for two weeks. 
And I was tested three times the first week, twice the second, because one of my tests didn't work. So I'd do three. Um, I got, and it's just the swab. It's the first time I've been tested where you put the swab as far in your nose as you can. It's not that bad. I don't, I don't see why people are so upset, but maybe, you know, I liked it. I kind of liked doing it. I got more Q-tips just to do it more. I think it might be a thing I'm into, but it turns out I didn't have anything and uh, I got to hang and everyone still has masks. Everyone's still totally masked up, even though literally everyone got a test. A, so they're really being careful. Even the audience has to get tested. Um, and it's a much smaller audience. They're all separate. And uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was fun being, being there. Um, Jack White was actually really good. I was ever like, I never listened to him like on my own, but I was really, really impressed with his performance for someone who was brought in the day before because the previous musical guest was out partying, so they wouldn't let him in the building. Could have got, could have given it to everyone, for all we know. So can they, can they bring the economy back without a vaccine if they do it right? Here's, I can tell you exactly what the problem is. We could, because I, I, I heard some, you know, some dick say this about like, oh, if masks were being basically saying masks can only work 100 percent or zero percent. There's nothing in the middle because they're babies. And you say, well, if masks work, why can't we go back to work? It's very simple because every place that is currently not open is a place you eat. Everywhere, everywhere. No one's allowed in right now is a place you have to open your mouth. You can already go to back to stores. You can already go to the hardware store. You can go buy whatever you need with a mask on. But every place, the restaurants, the comedy clubs, the, the concerts, every place where people are drinking or eating, stadiums, all the places that you know people are going to do that, those are still closed. So that's why masks are not the, the only answer. Masks do protect us a lot, but there's way too big a section of the economy that needs to be able to shove things in their face. This is America. <laughs> Are you optimistic about your man Biden? I, you know what? I was talking on the show earlier. I don't know who it was. I think with uh, Professor Marianne. And uh, I think Trump is going to win. I do. I think. Well, I hear that constantly from every single cynical, smarter than everyone else liberal I know. And everyone says the same thing. He's going to win. You know why? Because it's just cooler to say bad things are going to happen, man. And people, nobody wants to be, no one wants to have hope. Nobody wants to be the cockeyed optimist who gets proven wrong. But I think Trump is a terrible president. Oh, really? And You're going to go out on a limb there. I think he loses real, real easily. I think he loses so big that he tries to use that as proof that it was rigged because it's mathematically impossible. I could get so few votes. I, I'm not saying it's going to be a great four years that we're going to fix everything, but yeah, we're going to be, we'll be having some great incremental times, uh, under president Biden. Um, if now, come really on, I've him. known you since Trump, Sorry declared yeah. his candidacy every step of the way he's been done COVID. i mean did you I, I we've been taping the show tonight so i haven't been able to watch his rally but you know he was left for dead a week ago what makes you think he's not 
because he has a rally here. Everyone keeps saying to me, well, look at the fanatics at his rallies. And the, and the answer to that is, yeah. And the fanatic at the rally gets just as many votes as the guy who doesn't have the time to go to a rally. Normal people don't go to political rallies, especially not for Trump. Normal people are not lunatics walking around with their MAGA hats trying to pick fights in the street. All those people get one vote. And I don't think a lot of people really respect those people. Did you think Donald Trump was going to be able to show up for a rally? Yes. A week after he was released from Walter Reed. Yes, I did, because he is the president and because they caught it when they did before he even had symptoms. They were able to just jack him up full of full of orphan blood. And so he's allowed (laughs) to walk around because when you're the president and you have access to literally any any medicine that is not yet approved, but you can get it. Yeah, I did expect him to be fine. I expected him to you know, recover from this because, like I said, he got it. He was bragging about the an antibodies he has when they aren't his. They were injected into his body. He's practically filled with nanites. Like, that's not that didn't surprise me at all. Right. You've been wrong about him every step of the way. We don't live. You have been wrong. You've been wrong. About what? About you, the, did I you think he, he was going to win? Did you think he was no. going to win? Did you? No. Did you think he was going to get inaugurated? I mean, I remember being around people, mutual friends who said authoritatively they're going to swear in Mike Pence. I've heard it. There's a big scandal afoot. Mike Pence is going to be sworn in. Really? I said the the morning of the election, I said we're, we're going to dodge a bullet today, but it really shows how screwed up this country is that Trump could come so close. Russiagate? Did you think he was going to survive that, Russiagate? I really overall thought that the impeachment, I always never thought he was going to actually be impeached. I thought this is still a necessary step to expose his crimes to the country. I think that the problem is, what do people want to happen? I never really thought that anything was going to happen other than he was going to be a horrible president and lose by a lot to anyone he ran against for a second term. I mean, if I if I really had to be had to bet, that's what I would have said. But, yeah, I was wrong. But didn't you have faith in our norms and our institutions? Didn't you think that I had more faith? I, I, I believe. But the thing is, I still don't know for certain that those are completely gone because we look at Trump like we're watching a TV show and you start to get used to the norms of a TV show. You start getting used to the beats and the themes. And I think that that's what's happening is that we're looking at him like this is scripted. And if it's scripted, he keeps winning until he has the biggest epic loss possible. And that's when it ends. But we don't live in a TV show. I think we live in the real world and we've been watching a guy get lucky and think that he's walking on water when actually he's not he hasn't quite hit the water yet. I actually think this ends according to Occam's razor. Simplistically, that the lying, cheating con man gets from being a lying, cheating con man. I really do. I, I hope you're right. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I but I still right. believe that I've, as much as I've paid attention to politics all my life, we are a pendulum. 
And every time people think something has swung to one side and it's just going to be that way forever, something comes crashing back. Like with Obama, like when we, when we thought that the world was just better, we thought that like, oh, humans are a little better now than they were under Bush. I guess we're just going to keep going this direction. And then the other side said, no, no, we're going to shit in our hands and throw it at you because that's how much we don't want the future to happen. And we basically brought back the know nothing party. Right, right. The 19th century party that was basically identical to, to Donald Trump's uh, platform as a president, much more so than Republicans. Thank you for explaining that we know nothing. So you're you're in with the the in crowd. You're a screenwriter. You're busy traveling with all the cognoscenti. Are they aware of the suffering that's going on in this country? Well, they are not a group. Yes, they are. The one percent. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that counts as, nor do you. Nor obviously am I hanging out with them. You hang out with celebrities, famous people. You, you, I hang you out down. in Pete David. I hang out in Pete Davidson's basement. Let's not <laughs> massage the truth here. About you're, my reach. you're a big shot comedy writer. Okay, you're in demand. You're dealing with a lot of powerful people. Do you think they see what? is really going on. The powerful people I know think it's extremely important to get rid of Trump more so than the, than the, the, the regular Joe's out with, I think the power, the most powerful people I know seem to have a responsibility. They feel to do something and they're all, if I'm being specific, they're very pragmatic progressives. They want, they didn't, they wouldn't have voted for Biden in the primary, but they are full throated saying he has to win or the world is screwed. And I agree with that. Right. Right. Are you, uh, uh, rich people that I know seem to care. Yes. I wouldn't, if I had, if I was suddenly a millionaire, I would not really be, I don't think very different. I've voted against my own taxes before the Orthodox Jews in your neighborhood. Yes, my neighborhood, indeed. Where do you live? Uh, I live in Midwood. Midwood. Uh, my next door, na- my next door neighbors are all healed. They've they've all just gotten over it, over the the COVID. Thank God, God bless. They're all healthy. They survived it. Hopefully, they get their sense of smell back. They get their what? Uh, get get their sense of smell back. Really? Uh, some some of them have, some haven't yet. They don't have a sense of smell. Right. So most people who get the disease. Yeah. Right. Now make your make the joke that you're deciding in your head whether or not it's okay to make that particular joke about Orthodox Jews. Go ahead. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Uh, I was trained. I I was trained in an Orthodox temple. I went to Orthodox Hebrew school for from the time I was eight to the time I was 18. Yeah. it was a different orth, different orthodox, different orthodoxy back then. More, more leftist, more le- right now. They're very, there's a lot of authoritarianism, a lot of conservative politics in orthodox Judaism. Whereas in the sixties, it was uh, a given that a, that a religious Jew would be a Democrat. Well, they still are. The orthodox have gotten dumber. They only read one book. They're pretty stupid. Well, 
I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to. I think it's a, probably a little more broad and complicated than that. I'm not going to call that because look, there's some very educated people in that community, and there's some, not, you know, not a lot. Not the well, ones who aren't wearing masks. Well, no, the ones I, voting I, for Trump. Not too bright. I'll agree with that. If you're not wearing a mask, if you're not voting for Trump, then I don't. I mean, if you're voting for Trump, I don't really uh, respect your intelligence. That's true. And underground like services that are again, mm-hmm. you know, holding. Yeah, service. no, it's disgusting. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It's like it cockfights. I mean, it's like, and then and then claiming victimhood. I just all I can all I think is think of all the things that we did to poor black people who just want to go to public school, yet. Only, yeah, you can only politely ask people to leave a, a thousand person funeral. Uh, it's in your yeah, neighborhood, no, it's, right? It's, yes, it's in my neighborhood and I hate it so much. It is amazing that I have to dodge gr- groups, you know, while walking down the street because I'm terrified. Because no, no one in my neighborhood wears a mask. They think I'm sick because I'm walking around with one. And have you, discu- I, have you discussed this with them? Uh, I cannot. I just. But what 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 is their rationale? The rash. I, I I honestly don't know what they would say to my face if I asked. But I think it's more. I well, I don't know what they would make up because they're not going to tell you the real truth. The real truth is we're just politically aligned with conservatism, and they say don't wear a mask because liberals want you to. I I honestly can't think of what else it could be. Like if Trump had come out from the very beginning and say, wear a mask here, says, uh, you know, you know, murder Hillary Clinton on it. Like they would be like, yes, everyone wear a mask. And it would have been like, fine, you did the least you could do with your power. It seems like they're only doing this because they saw us uh, wearing masks and because the line was science. And when you spend your whole life telling your kids not to believe what the scientists say, and then they say, wear a mask. You have to be consistent. You know, I mean, they wear the most uncomfortable clothing imaginable. But right. a mask is a bridge too far. Deal. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's a very good point. We've seen many times if you're willing to wear a gigantic fur hat in the summer, you should be willing to wear a surgical mask. Yeah. Um, but that's it. But that's about reasons. They're they're not going to do something because the you know, the Yankees tell them to. Uh, you know, people don't trust their government and sometimes use that mistrust as an excuse to disingenuously not do things they don't want to do or push agendas. It's kind of like how people who want to uh, not take vaccines will bring up the excesses in the pharmaceutical companies and, you know, selling opiates as if one invalidates the other. It's a little childish. Well, we have to wrap it up. Name one good thing this country is doing. SNL was really good this week. Oh, okay. There we go. That's it. Thank you. I, uh, I'm glad to be involved. King of Sand uh, Island was really good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay, name go, name go, something go. we're getting right. Uh, Doom Patrol is really good. Um, Jesus Christ, you really put me on the spot here. Uh, something good in America right now. Uh, autumn is in New York. Feels like autumn. Who cares? I can't go out. You can't go um, out because of the. Yes, because everyone has it again. And no one wears a mask. Um, something it's so good. simple. We had Henry Huckamacki on today. 
the immunobiologist, wear a mask for a month. Stay home for a month. Don't go anywhere for a month. And we could get rid of this thing. Well, here's the thing, David. You're forgetting something very important about that, though. What about the countries that did that? True. What about what about the countries that where they got everyone to wear a mask and stay home and they're really good about it? Taiwan, South Korea, China. It's over in China. No, the places where there was a real problem and they did they did wear masks and they did stay home, like Spain and Italy and England. Mm-hmm. And then, the, but they, but the thing is, they did something we couldn't do. No, no, they, England, England is just as stupid as we are. Well, England's pretty bad. But if you look at the charts of all those countries, of all the big countries that got hit hard, because that's who we should be comparing ourselves to, all of them plat, all of them flattened the curve. They got back down to almost zero for a few months, and then they reopened, and it skyrocketed again. Every major European country now has a very u-shaped recovery it went up they beat it and it came right back it is terrifying so whereas we have a pathetic where it just it just gets it's big and up and down but the down is still bigger than anyone's big like the one at our best we were still doing not even halfway okay and then it got even worse so there's something horrible about this disease and that we've seen literal countries where they did everything right. And then it came screaming back. Well, have you looked they, at these charts? Have you looked at the actual charts of France and Italy and Spain and England? And uh, I mean, there's, there's different, but those like those specific countries that were all very hard. They all had very serious lockdowns, very serious mask wearing. And it, and they did something better than we did. They got rid of it. But why is it back bigger than ever? It's like Trump. I don't know. That wasn't rhetorical. I don't know. Trump is like the coronavirus. You cannot get rid of it. That's only because the people who like Trump have never seen him do something that violated what they liked about him. What are you doing to relax? Um... Well, I mean, I I have a good amount of downtime. I've got the Oculus. I enjoy that. I play games with it. That's the Facebook um, virtual reality. It's not. Is it on my face? Oh, maybe it's on my Facebook. But yeah, it's the virtual reality headset thing. That's I've, that was like a big part of my entire pandemic has been doing that. I try to talk to people. I like conversations. You know, I have fun. I go to Pete's house. You go to Pete's house. I, I steal his mom's food. Yeah. We got, we work, I work with Pete, you know, so we do stuff there. It's a very nice basement. Uh, it's got, it's got air filtration. So it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's Staten Island, which, which is, you know, very far from, from me, but who cares? How do you get there? Uh, you take a ferry? No, I drive. I'm not getting in a ferry with other human beings or mm. anything else. It's, uh, yeah, if I go to, if I go to Manhattan, I drive now. But now you can park sometimes. Let's see. Anything to plug before we go? Nothing I'm like concerned about plugging. No, I just I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm still going to try to think about something good that happened uh, right now because um, there's got to be something. Well, Johnson Johnson has halted its COVID-19 vaccine trial after unexplained illnesses. That, I didn't hear that. That's Trump's good. doctor says the president has tested negative for COVID. 
on we can't believe what he says. Days. That's true. Oh, I oh, I have something good. Yeah. Um, Mel Gibson has a new movie. Ah. Uh, called Fat Man. I saw the trailer and I'm still not convinced that it wasn't just a sketch, a parody of a movie trailer that he did for some reason. It's where Mel Gibson plays retired Santa Claus and Walton Goggins is hired to murder him, which was kind of already an American Dad episode. <laughs> and and yeah, that's a good thing. If Mel Gibson can come back and play Santa Claus, clearly you can come back from that episode of MTV Half Hour Comedy Hour they had to ban. Yes. Dave Cyrus. Follow Dave Cyrus on Twitter at Dave Cyrus. S-I-R-U-S. And go see The King of Staten Island. Anything else you want to plug? No. um, You can watch last night's SNL, uh, Saturday's SNL. I uh, got my name in the credits and everything, so good for me. Great for you. And uh, yeah, I'm so excited for the rerun residual. That's that's my that's what I'm excited for. That was the best part of the job. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I, I can't think of anything else coming Fantastic. out. Fantastic. I haven't agreed to do any shows. So great. Thank you, Dave Cyrus. We will be right back. It's time to talk about Donald John Trump. <laughs> All right. End the show. Well, I'm going to say good night to everybody. Okay. Good night. Good night. Okay. From New York, from beautiful Bayville on the glorious Gold Coast of Long Island's North Shore, let's welcome our old friend Jackie the Joke Man Martling. Yay! Friendless jokes say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling. New jokes every day at 4.20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. You want... (laughs) You want personalized videos? Go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. Instant fun. Call Jackie's Dirty Joke Line. Use your finger 516-922-WINE. Want some very wild jokes to brighten up your next Zoom conference? Joke them if they can't take a... Hey, email Jackie. Jokeland at AOL.com. Hello, Jackie. Mommy, mommy, I don't want to take pictures with Father McGinnis. Shut up and get undressed. (laughs) (laughs) What do you find in a clean nose? (laughs) What? Fingerprints. (laughs) What would you call a Jewish sea captain? What? (laughs) Yom Skipper. So a guy says to the bartender, you know, now that I'm getting older, I start to act more and more like my old man. You know, cracking stupid jokes, complaining all the time, fucking my mother. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Whoa. (laughs) So two female medical students are behind an old professor who's walking very unsteady and very slowly. First girl says, he's got arthritis. Second girl says, "Uh uh-uh, he's got a heart condition and can't breathe well, so he's having trouble keeping his balance. Well, they catch up and they tell him their diagnosis and ask who's right. He says, girl, we we were all wrong. You, young lady, were were wrong about the arthritis, and you, sweetheart, 
were wrong about my heart. And I was wrong, too. I, I thought I had to vomit, but I shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> How women like parking spaces? What? <laughs> the good ones are usually taken, which is why you occasionally have to stick it in a disabled one. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. What do you call no, when no. you have sex? with three women at the racetrack. Hang on, start again, start again, start again. <laughs> what do you call it when you have sex with three women at the racetrack? What? A trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy at the bar says, you know, yesterday a woman knocked on my door asking for clothes to give to the starving people in Africa. Partner says, so what'd you do? I told her to take a hike. Hey, if my clothes will fit them, they can't be all that fucking hungry. Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The guy says to the salesman, I need to buy a dress for my wife. The salesman says, what size? He says, small, medium, and large in that order. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what's the worst part about a beach full of dead babies? Ooh, what? Trying to hide your heart on. Oh, my God. Jackie. Jackie. How's a dentist like a gynecologist? How? They both work on cavities. <laughs> <laughs> so two Chinese guys are starting a round of golf, and the first guy hits a great drive. The second guy says, oh, nice T-shirt. First guy says, oh, thank you very, very much. My wife bought for me. Fit nice. What did the epileptic do when he found out he had leprosy? What? He went to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> So a creative writing professor says, Class, I only give one A-plus per semester. And the assignment was to write the shortest story you can that includes religion, sex, and mystery. And Sherry Sheasley won. She wrote, Good God, I'm pregnant. I wonder who did it. <laughs> 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 Why are New Yorkers so angry? Why? Because the light at the end of the tunnel is New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> what did the girl say at the sperm bank? What? What are they going so Mrs. French is at her hairdresser's getting her hairstyled for a trip to Rome. And the hairdresser says, Rome, why would you want to go there? It's crowded and dirty. You're crazy to go to Rome. How you getting there? She's with flying Virgin Air. Virgin Air? Ha! That's a terrible airline. The planes are old, the flight attendants are ugly, and they're always late. Where are you staying in Rome? We'll be at this exclusive little place over on the River Tiber called Pesti. Stop! <laughs> I know that place. Everybody expects it's going to be special and exclusive. It's a dump. 
Oh, and we're going to the Vatican, and we hope to see the Pope. <laughs> now that's rich. See the Pope. You and a million other people. Good luck on this lousy chip of yours. You're going to need it. Month later, Mrs. Flinch comes back into the hairdresser's shop, and he says, Sarah, how was your trip? Oh, it was wonderful. Not only were we on time in one of Virgin Air's new planes, but it was overbooked, and they bumped us up to first class. And the food and wine were wonderful, and I had a handsome 28-year-old steward. He waited on me hand and foot, and the hotel was great. They just finished a $5 million remodeling job, and now it's the finest hotel in all of Rome. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's all well and good. But I know you didn't get to see the Pope. Well, actually, we were very lucky. As we were touring the Vatican, a Swiss guard tapped me on the shoulder and said, the Pope likes to meet some of the visitors. And if you'd be so kind as to step into his private room and wait, the Pope will personally greet you. Sure enough, we went in. Five minutes later, the Pope walked in through the door and shook my hand. I knelt down. And he spoke a few words to me. Yeah? <laughs> what did he say? He said, who fucked up your hair? A <laughs> 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 guy gets pulled over for speeding, and the cop says, why are you driving so fast? He said, I... I, I, I want. I want to get home b before I pass out. <laughs> <laughs> a guy picks up a woman in the bar and brings her back to his hotel room, and he lies on the bed. She takes off her wig, takes off her blouse and her padded bra, takes off her fake eyelashes, puts her false teeth on the dresser, and she says, "I think I know what you want." He says, "Yeah." Why don't you unscrew it and toss it over? <laughs> wow. Wow. A guy is shopping for organic vegetables, and he can't find any labels on anything, so he grabs a few handfuls of fresh produce, and he goes up to an old guy who's wearing an apron, and he says, These vegetables are for my wife. Have they been sprayed with any poisonous chemicals? The old guy says, no, no, I'm afraid not. You, that you're going to have to do yourself. A <laughs> <laughs> girl walks to the drugstore and says to the pharmacist, do you sell extra large condoms? He says, oh, yes, we do. Would you like to buy some? She said, no, I'm just going to stand here and wait for a guy who does. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, did you hear about the girl who's half Irish and half Italian? No. <laughs> she mashes potatoes with her feet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you hear about the football player who went to prison? No. <laughs> he went in as a tight end and came out as a wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> A guy goes up to a girl in the bar and says, I'd like to suck the farts out of your ass and hold them in like a bong hit. Jesus. How do you like me so far? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a forced Kowski brothers at deer hunting, and they pair off in twos. The first night, Jed walks into camp alone with an eight-point buck on his back. One of the other brothers says, Where's Henry? 
<laughs> Henry had a stroke or something. He's a couple miles back up on the trail. They said, you left Henry laying there? <laughs> yeah. I figured, fuck, ain't nobody going to steal Henry. <laughs> 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 For endless jokes, say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling. Jokes every day at 4.20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. For personalized videos, go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. Instant fun. Call Jackie's Dirty Joke Line. Use your finger. 516-922-WINE. Want some very wild jokes to brighten up your next Zoom conference? Joke them if they can't take a... Hey, email Jackie, jokeland at AOL.com. Thank you, Jackie. So a girl's going on an ocean voyage. She goes into the drugstore and says to the pharmacist, I need a three-month supply of birth control pills and a hundred seasick pills. The pharmacist says, Jesus Christ, lady, if it makes you sick, why do it at all? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's Jell-O? What's Jell-O? Jell-O is Kool-Aid with a heart on. <laughs> <laughs> Two cannibals catch a missionary. They boil them, put them on a table, and they start eating. The first cannibal starts at the missionary's head, and the other one starts at his feet. After a few minutes, the first cannibal says, How are you doing? The second cannibal says, Me having a ball. The first cannibal says, You eat him too fast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how do we know that God is Polish? How? Because he built the shithouse so close to the playground. Uh, okay, all right, all right. Hey, what did they call sex ed in the 50s? What? Recess. <laughs> <laughs> so Jim and Edna. Jim and Edna are in a mental hospital, and as they're walking past the swimming pool, Jim jumps in, and he sinks to the bottom. Edna jumps in and pulls him out. Oh, and the head nurse, here's what Edna did. She orders her to be discharged from the hospitals. She figures now she's mentally stable. And when she goes to tell Edna the news, she says, Edna, I have good news and I got bad news. The good news is you're being discharged because I concluded that you're at displayed. You now have a sound mind. The bad news is Jim hanged himself with his bathrobe belt in the bathroom right after you saved him. I'm so sorry, but he's dead. Edna says, oh, he didn't hang himself. I put him up there to dry. How soon can I go home? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Why should you always travel with a six-pack in the winter? Why? In case you have to leave a message in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave you one of the classics all right. of all time. Okay. Oh, Flanagan, Strakowski, and Ravelli enter a contest to raise the world's largest pig because the prize is a million bucks. They buy the biggest pig they can find and then decide not only are they going to feed the pig huge amounts of food, but they're going to stick a huge cork in the pig's ass so it can never shit. The day of the contest, the, 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 geez, the pig is so huge they can't move it. 
So they arranged for the contest judges to come to them. When they get there, the judges can't believe how big the pig is. And immediately, they give the, the, the million-dollar prize. He immediately gives the prize. The judge gives the million-dollar prize to the three guys. And after the judges leave, the guys decide they got to take the cork out so the pig can get back to normal. Well, of course, none of them wants to do it. So they rent a monkey to take out the cork. The trainer puts the monkey in a position behind the pig. O'Flanagan stands 10 feet behind the pig. Stokowski stands 20 feet behind the pig. And Ravelli stands 30 feet away. <clears throat> Ravelli stands 30 feet away from the pig's ass. The trainer gives a signal, and the monkey, <laughs> and the monkey pulls out the cork. So much big shit comes flying out that O'Flanagan is completely buried. Stokowski's buried up to his waist. And Ravelli gets a good coating on his ankles. They can't find the monkey. No monkey anywhere. Stokowski and Ravelli run up to dig out O'Flanagan. And when they finally dig through everything and get to O'Flanagan, he's laughing like a hyena. Ravelli says, hey, O'Flanagan, what's this so funny? You're buried up to your neck in a pig shit. He says, hey, but... He says, I, but you should have seen the monkey trying to get the cork back in. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you soon. I love you, Jackie. Thank you. I love you, too. Bye. Bye. So many signs I'm 300 miles behind enemy lines I'm blending in Not causing a fuss When it comes to politics I never discuss I'm an island of blue In an ocean of red Four more years I might be better off dead Signs. I'm 300 miles behind enemy lines Gotta get behind Joe, it's the way to go Gonna give the Democrats all my dough I got my ballot, I'm ready to vote If the other guy wins, I hope he don't gloat I'm 300 miles behind enemy lines You can fool some of the people all of the time The truth now is a hard hill to climb I got crazy uncles, I got crazy aunts I'm pretty nervous, I got ants in my pants behind enemy lines We got a pandemic It hit us slow The economy's bad It's going too slow Gone are the dreams of a better place Sanity needs To make its case
have so many signs I'm 300 miles behind enemy lines So much confusion, can't catch my breath Everywhere I look, there's too much death Don't know what scares me more, to win or to lose No matter what happens, I'm singing the blues Professor Mike Steinel, I could just listen to Professor Mike Steinel all day, and I usually do, on Spotify. President Trump hit the campaign trail today. He held a big rally in Florida. He has trips planned this week to Pennsylvania, Iowa, and North Carolina. His aides said today, three aides said they have no concern about Trump's health. Well, either do I. I want to thank all our guests for showing up tonight, and I will thank them in a second. But first, I want to remind everybody that we are having our fourth COVID Town Squares this Saturday night at 9.30 p.m. The irritable immunologist will be there, as well as immunobiologist Henry Huckamaki. There are several tiers. You can buy a general admission ticket for $15. And then there are other levels you can level up to support the brilliant Henry Huckamaki. Please go to davidfeldmanshow.com and press the pay-per-view menu button. And it'll take you right to Eventbrite. And you can buy tickets for Saturday night's COVID Town Squares. We're only selling 100 tickets this way, everybody can get special attention from the irritable immunologist and Henry Huckamaki. Please, I don't ask you for much on this show. Please go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the pay-per-view button, and buy a ticket. All the money goes towards Henry Huckamaki's research and education. And you should also subscribe to Henry's Patreon account, and gain access to his newsletter, go to patreon.com forward slash Huck 1995 and sign up for his newsletter. He writes about public health. He writes about science and, of course, COVID. Nobody has been on top of COVID the way Henry and the irritable immunologist have been since the pandemic started. They have been aggregating all the studies and telling you 
what to worry about and what not to worry about. I want to thank all our guests, Professor Mike Steinel, Henry Huckamacki, Howie Klein, read him over at Down With Tyranny, the brilliant Howie Klein, Ed Larson, director of How America Killed My Mom. You can buy it or rent it on Vimeo. Ed has a podcast that you should listen to. He also does a podcast with my friend Jeff Ross, who I hope will be doing this show in the not-too-distant future. Dr. Harriet Fraud, host of When Capitalism Hits Home and It's Not Just in Your Head. Professor Adnan Hussein, chairman of the Religion Department over at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada. And he has a special event this Thursday. Go to MSG on uh, what is, the Muslim... What is? Are you here? I see you. Let's plug that, please, Professor Hussein. I'm sorry. What, what is your organization? The Muslim Muslim Societies Global Perspectives, and you can find us on our Facebook page. So it's facebook.com/slash/msgpqu. You okay. can find all the information about the talk on the 15th. Great. I'll and I'll be. I'll do better job of promoting that uh, as we move forward. Thank you. And thank you for doing the show today. Professor Harvey J.K., author of FDR and Democracy, the brilliant Professor Marianne Cummings, Parks Commissioner, a Parks Commissioner for Aurora, Illinois. Mark Breslin, founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in North America. And Dave Cyrus, His latest film is The King of Staten Island, starring Pete Davidson. Rent it. Thank you all for watching us on YouTube. Thank you all for showing up in the Zoom room. And thank you for listening to the podcast. I will see all of you on Thursday when we tape our next episode. Stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. 
So get your ears on right Buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say And he's coming your way He's got a lot to say And he's coming your way He's got a lot to say And he's coming your way 